Hello, Topical, and welcome back to your favorite MBA coverage from your favorite podcast. And today's going to be a really fun episode. I've got my uh, loyal MBA correspondent, Arav Faruqi, on. We're going to talk about all the playoff matchups coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we uh, recorded this right at the last minute. And yeah, we're super excited for the playoffs. We hope you all are, if you're as excited as I am, frankly. I really enjoyed watching the last game that I watched. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, go check out our YouTube page, Topical Rationalizing the Monkey Brain. You can find all the unedited uh, recordings that I've done. And hey, in the next couple weeks, uh, recordings are really going to heat up, so you're going to want to make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of them. And yeah, we're going to get right into things. So, Arad, I know the only game that you and I have watched since we last recorded, which was three days ago, was the uh, Timberwolves uh, Jazz. Not Timberwolves Jazz. That that kept confusing me during the game because the Nuggets uh, jerseys looked exactly like the Jazz. But the the Nuggets uh, Timberwolves game, and really what I I couldn't be happier with, uh, just a play-in game for the playoffs. And I'll use it as my excuse to say that the playoffs this year, every team that had a winning record uh, got into the playoffs. Yep, that is uh, <clears throat> that was something that I that I appreciated about this year's playoffs as well. Um, I do I do feel for Denver Nuggets fans, even though I myself am a Timberwolves fan. Uh, they had uh, a good season, and um, you know I feel like they if uh, if Paul Millsap had been healthy all year, they probably would have been. Uh, more of like a solid five or six seed, uh, given you know the craziness in the West, uh, rather than uh, barely losing out. Um, so that was unfortunate for them, but you know um, they probably are. Uh, they're probably just maybe one addition, two additions away from from finally breaking into the playoffs because I know they've been so close in the past couple of years. Oh yeah, and really, it almost seems like the injuries sort of balanced out completely in the playoffs. Just there, there was no team left untouched by injuries at this point. Exactly. I think everybody missed time. I, I think from top to bottom, I know James Harden, Chris Paul missed time, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant missed time. The Spurs obviously had Kawhi gone all year. Russell Westbrook, their team lost uh, Andre Robertson, and then <clears throat> the Jazz missed Gobert. The Timberwolves missed Jimmy Butler. The Nuggets missed Millsap. Um, the Blazers, I'm not really sure off the top of my head. I'm sure somebody, someone did. Uh, the Pelicans, obviously missing DeMarcus Cousins this year. So, And that's just in the Western Conference, I'm sure. The Eastern Conference has been ravaged a little bit as well. Yeah, definitely. So. <sighs> oh, sorry. Uh, and uh, what what'd you think of the game itself? I thought it was one of the most exciting games I've seen in the past year. So it beat out the other four I've seen. Um, it to me it was a fantastic game. Um, uh, I remember uh, <clears throat> I watched the op- I, I watched it from beginning to end actually, um, and I you know I was as soon as I thought to myself like. Um, uh, Aside from a little personal bias, I knew after the first basket um, that I thought the Timberwolves were going to win because uh, the, the um, Timberwolves had the ball. They scored first, so it was 2-0. And then on the, neg- the Nuggets' first possession, uh, the Timberwolves as a team, they played fantastic defense. Uh, they, they switched everything. They, um, you know, they played up on all shooters but gave enough space to defend them if they, if they chose to drive. Um, the, the first defensive possession of that game for them was, was I thought, fantastic. So... Um, I just knew that if they could keep up that sort of intensity throughout the entire game, that they would have a, probably a better chance of winning uh, the game because I think once you mix in great play uh, with better players, which I do believe the Timberwolves had in that particular game because, you know, uh, the Nuggets, while Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns are both excellent, I don't think that Denver has anyone that can really combat uh, the two-way ability of Jimmy Butler. So I, I, you know, I pinpointed that as probably just the defense being... Um, 
the reason that I thought the Timberwolves would win, which towards the end of the game, if anybody was watching, turned out to, to be the case as, um, you know, the unsung hero of the Timberwolves, you know, somewhat pretty bad defense this year has been Taj Gibson. He's uh, he's the one that can really step it up and, you know, he's an extremely versatile power forward. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league because he's not really an offensive player. He's more of a scrappy defensive player who is, you know, focuses on getting offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, and just uh, making life hell for any other, uh, you know, any other player who's like six, eight or taller. So <clears throat> the game was the, but the entire, the game itself was fantastic. I don't think that there was a lead bigger than, uh, I think maybe eight or nine uh, throughout the game. Uh, it obviously went to overtime. It was tied at one, 101 to 101 for a good amount of time. Um, and it was, it was fun to watch as well because, uh, for, you know, for the, during like, you know, the second, the second quarter, the third quarter, you know, it was the, the Nuggets were kind of in, you know, increasing the pace, you know, they were, they were playing how they like to play and because they love to run obviously, because it's easy for them to run yeah. <clears throat> since they play in Denver so frequently where the altitude is all different and all that. So they're one of the, they're, they're a pretty good team in transition and all that. So they were, they were getting out to run and then the Timberwolves were able to slow it down when, uh, when the game was, uh, coming closer to the end. And then, um, <coughs> And I think the play of the game, which I'm sure you would agree with, was uh, Nikola Jokic was uh, isolated on, or Taj Gibson was isolated on Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic was looking to make a play, and uh, Taj Gibson uh, stripped him clean of the basketball with about uh, three seconds left. And then, uh, you know, the Timberwolves got the ball. And that stayed, that uh, kept the game tied uh, to send it to overtime. And then, you know, Jamal Crawford tried to heave from half court um, to try and win the game, but, you know, obviously it didn't go in. And then, it went to overtime, and then overtime was uh, was was a beautiful thing to me because I noticed a few things uh, that I didn't really that I wasn't sure that I would see as a Timberwolves fan. Um, Jimmy Butler, while I mean, obviously I have a lot of faith in him. Like I've, I, I've I've been a fan of him even you know before since before he was on the Timberwolves. I liked him when he was on the Bulls because you know I always recognized that he played both ends of the floor and that he was a pretty clutch player. He he wasn't really afraid of shooting the ball in big moments or having the ball in his hands or anything like that. Uh, him making consecutive big plays on both ends was something that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was then, a great series. And, yeah, Andrew Wiggins hitting two clutch free throws, even though he's a 64% uh, free throw shooter this year. And had uh, I think he missed two that night, but he, he went to the line and he calmly knocked down both of his free throws. And then Carl Anthony Towns, even though he's, you know, he's, He's billed at six eleven, but I don't think I think you know looking at him, he's really not six eleven. He's probably more like six nine. Um, oh, really? Huh. Yeah, uh, that, that's a common thing actually. Like NBA players are typically either taller or not as tall as they're listed at. Uh, yeah, it's a strange thing, but because you know Kevin Durant's definitely not six nine. He's closer to six eleven, seven feet. Yeah, that's the thing. So Colin Anthony Towns is you know probably more six nine, six ten than he is six eleven, seven feet. So. He came up huge for a huge rebound over the entire Denver Nuggets team, which <clears throat> essentially clinched the game because then Denver obviously had to start had to start fouling and all that. So um, big plays from all three of the team's best players, I guess, or if you know if you want to call Andrew Wiggins the third best player, you know, obviously sometimes it's Jeff Teague, sometimes it's you know Taj Gibson, um, but overall I was really impressed. Um, I, there definitely as a Timberwolves fan, there were definitely some no biting moments. Uh, when I, I thought uh, Denver might close it out, especially up until Taj Gibson made that play, I was really worried. But after he made that, I kind of had faith because they had all the momentum going into overtime, and it it did not disappoint. I thought it was an excellent game. Yeah, for for me, uh, you obviously thought that their uh, defense convinced you that they were going to win. For me, what really convinced me that the uh, Timberwolves were going to win, I would love to see a stat on this, but the Timberwolves were leading for something like 
40 minutes out of the 48 minute uh, regular time. And like, yeah. it just seems like that happens so often that like the team who was leading for the longest wins, and especially when you dominate it like that, and where the commentators kept mentioning the Nuggets not having a lead until the overtime uh, when they obviously went up by like one point with a couple minutes left, and until the it was 19 to 18 in the first quarter. So for just three quarters, the Timberwolves not dominated, but they held the lead, they played solid defense. They got uh, amazing contributions out of a Taj Gibson. We were talking about this the next day that Taj Gibson had like the game of his life. He, he was making all the defensive plays. Uh, he made a couple great steals. Him and Jimmy Butler had fantastic games. Carl uh, Anthony Towns had, it was great on the boards. He was getting tons of rebounds. And the commentators kept mentioning that like it was going to be a concern about how uh, he was getting so many fouls. But luckily it never came to a head. Uh, and he was able to stay in the game the entire way. It was fascinating watching him uh, battle with uh, Jokic because, like, you could really see that like Jokic was trying to like tease him and not tease him, but like uh, taunt him into getting giving up a foul and like just some of those uh, exchanges were like he, Carl Anthony Towns kept getting stuck on Jokic were bizarre. Yeah, I mean the referees definitely. I feel like it's it's an interesting thing in the league because you know we've been covering refs a lot, but I think it's when when you have more finesse style players, you know, kind of like you know. <clears throat> Because among big men uh, in the league now, Jokic is probably—he's definitely one of the more finesse big men. He's—he's he's more about passing the ball and doing, you know, he—he kind of plays more like a guard than he does like a big. Um, so I think it's easier for him to get some calls because of the way he plays. You know, similarly to how more finesse players like, you know, James Harden, for example, gets a lot of calls because he's—you know—he doesn't really play physically, and Jokic doesn't do that much either. So, and I think it's—it's—I I, in a weird way, I really liked to see that Carl Anthony Towns was was not like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't fouling and, you know, like that it didn't come to a head because even though he, I'm sure he accumulated some fouls, I'm not, I'm not sure how many, but the fact that he wasn't shying away from playing defense uh, was, you know, that was really, that was important to me because it kind of shows me that that's like, that's kind of the next thing that he really needs to commit to, I guess, next season before he could becomes like, you know, obviously he's already a star, but to really become like a, a, you know, maybe like a top 10 player in the league or something like that, he really needs to just, I guess, make more of a commitment on defense because while he's been a good defensive player this season, you know, better than he has in the previous two years, I feel like there's not much more that he needs to improve about his offensive game because even though he's a center, he shoots 43% from the three-point line, which is outstanding, and he shoots 87 or 88% from the free-throw line, and he shoots like 54 to 55% from the field. So, I mean, there are points of the season where people thought that he might end up averaging a 50-40-90 if he could just, uh, which would have been unbelievable. Streak. Yeah, he, he could. He people were just thinking that all he really needed to do was go on a hot streak of uh, free throws. So, and obviously he plays very well in the post. So I don't really think that there's that much more that he needs to share up about his offensive game. So I would love to see for him to go into this uh, off season and just come in more to uh, defense because he could come back next year being an extremely phenomenal two way force, which. <clears throat> with you know another year of the team being together could probably lift them to maybe being a higher seed in the West next year. Yeah, definitely, and it's the same thing for the opposing center in the game, uh, Nikola Jokic. And like, I almost feel like Nikola Jokic needs a uh, better defense even more than Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I I, I was reading an article on five thirty eight about uh, Jokic, and just go and going based on uh, Basketball References uh, Play Index uh, tool, which is a tool that they used, but it's a tool that I like to use also mainly for NBA two K. But in this case, it's fascinating where you can just set a bunch of parameters where you can say. Okay, look through every player's season in the past, well, history of the NBA, and you can just 
say look for uh, players with uh, a rebounding percentage of uh, greater than 15%, like an assist percentage greater than 20, a true shooting percentage greater than 65, as many different uh, stats as you want, and, like as many different comparisons as you want, and just find every player that uh, is like that in NBA history, and that was really cool for me in NBA 2K. I got to find what my, uh, my career player was like, but uh, when you run that with Nikola Jokic and you use the uh, factors, uh, let me look exactly, uh, based on his uh, total rebound percentage, assist percentage, free point per, uh, attempt rate, and true shooting percentage, there's literally no player in NBA history that has uh, numbers even within 5% of Nikola Jokic. Yeah, he's an extremely, extremely, like, he's such a gifted offensive player, like, for he averaged six assists and he's a center, which is absurd. I, I can't the last big man I think that um averaged six assists was Kevin Garnett, I think in two thousand five yeah. or two thousand three. So one of those years. One of the years two thousand three, four or five. I think it was the year after his MVP season, which would make it two thousand five. And then obviously the last <clears throat> the last really gifted passing center that we saw uh was Joe King Noah when he was on the Bulls. He averaged close to six assists, but he was still closer to five. Yes. Um so he he did a good you know he but in terms of currently like I don't think that there's a comparison that he's the best passing big like and it's not even in terms of the fact that he gets so many assists it's just the sorts of passes that he's able to make like he he throws passes behind his head like over, over the back he doesn't look like he he really has a really like, he has an amazing court awareness of where his teammates are which to me kind of tells me that he knows all of his schemes and where everyone is on the court at all times which you know not not very many players can like can do like I think if I were to if I were to just list off the top of my head players that really know that like it'd be all the high IQ players like it would be LeBron Chris Paul uh I don't even think you know I don't even think there's superstars in the league I don't think have that ability like I don't think even though Russell Westbrook gets a lot of assists I think all of that is more he drives to the rim and then he dumps it off to Steven Adams or he kicks it out it's not really you know making creative or yeah you know, like nifty passes like you know out of necessity it's just kind of like he does he does he goes to the rim with the intention of creating for someone else and you know so like i don't think durant has that ability i don't think westbrook has that ability i don't particularly think harden has that ability steph you know none of those guys i think he's in a very rare class in terms of his offensive talent and his core vision um but it it, it is a little bit it, it is a little bit alarming i guess for denver nuggets fans that he's not more of a defender because he does have the size to be a good defender. I know he's not particularly athletic or anything like that, but you know you don't always have to be able to jump out of the gym to be a good defender. So um, I think because this was, I mean, like it, I think it's a little embarrassing that this happened to him. For, you know, if I were him or if I were a Denver Nuggets fan, is that uh, at the end of that game against the Timberwolves, uh, he was subbed out of the game uh, when the Nuggets were on defense in favor of Mason Plumlee because Mason Plumlee is a better defender. Okay, and obviously. Like that, no, I remember. I specifically remember Mike Malone doing that, subbing out Nikola Jokic for Mason Plumlee for a defensive possession. Good eye. I didn't even notice. Yeah, that was in overtime. Uh, so uh, I think you know what, what he's he's in the same boat. He just definitely needs to make a stride defensively before he really enters, uh, you know, the upper conversations. And then <clears throat> I'm not sure off the top of my head how good of a three point shooter he is, but. If he's able to expand on, you know, his ability to shoot the three just so he can score a little bit more, uh, maybe get, because I think he's around 16 points per game. You know, if he can get to like 19 or 20, because obviously he's doing a great job with rebounding and assists. So if he can just get his scoring up there a little bit and his defense up there, you know, um, his scoring job just a smidge and then his, you know, make an improvement on his defense, then 
he's going to be a force as well. But he's extremely talented. Um, he was really like he. I mean, if he if he wasn't playing in that game, I wouldn't have even been worried, honestly. But I just know that he's capable of doing some crazy things. I think he's he uh, he holds the record for the fastest triple double recorded ever. So. Oh my God! Really? He recorded it, I think, in thirteen minutes, fourteen minutes. Well, that'll do it. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, it was in the second quarter, so it's pretty quick. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that. I would have thought it'd be Russell Westbrook or something. It was before he did it this season. It oh, was, it okay. was, I think Westbrook set it with like 16 or 17, and then Jokic broke it this year with like 15 or 14 or something like that. Something close to that. Gotcha. Well, that's that's really incredible. And yeah, Jokic, the sky's literally the limit with him. He is an incredible player. And just watching the first half and seeing some of those three-pointers that he was just knocking down easily, that was really incredible to see. And, like, it just stretches out the team so much. And Denver's always had an incredible offense. And even in this game, I thought they played really good defense. Like, they really played tight with them. They really stymied them in the paint. And, like, it, it was really, good, really cool to see, like, these two teams play good defense against what are very good offenses uh, for both of them. Uh, but something I'm curious to see what you think about, because I'm honestly not sure. Do you think Mike Malone should be fired after this season? I mean, honestly, I don't. I would say yes, but not because I feel like he did a subpar job. I feel like he did a good job with what he had, because you know Millsap was supposed to be a starting power forward, and he ended up missing a bunch of games. So I, I can't really fault him for it. But at the same time, I feel like Denver is in that situation where, like, because if you. I'm not sure if you if you if you remember, but I think in, it was in 2014. The Golden State Warriors were the sixth seed in the Western Conference, and they made a uh, they were a really top notch defensive team. But the problem with them was that they were then they had good offensive talent, but they were never really able to piece the two things together to you know become contenders. And then you know they fired Mark Jackson, they bring in Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr unlocks the potential of their offense, and then they go from being a sixth seed to a 67-win first seed with an MVP and winning the championship. So I think Denver, what they need is kind of the reverse of that. I think they need a, I think they need a coach. You know, not that Mark Jackson was doing a bad job with Golden State, but in the same way Mike Malone's not doing a bad job with Denver, I just think that they should bring in a coach who can really unlock the potential of their defense because they. that's really all they're missing as a team. Because uh, I remember last season, or maybe it was the season before. It was, yeah, it was last season. Um, when both the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors were having phenomenal regular seasons, um, Denver once they replaced uh, Yusuf, once they started, uh, once they began starting Nikola Jokic, like once he entered the starting lineup, they from that point they had the best offense in the league ahead of Golden State and Houston. Yeah, that's and right. This was, yeah, this was last season when you know obviously, and this was in a season when Golden State set the they had the third greatest uh, offensive efficiency of all time. So. And you know, Houston. Houston had set the uh, they had set the three point record, I believe. So <laughs> I really just think that not because he's doing not because Mike Mullen's doing a bad job, but just because it's just because it's time for them to move on to take the next step. Because I think it's clear at this point that you you know Mike Malone has been coaching this team. I think for four, three four years now. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, or maybe it's been longer than that. But you know, just since I've been watching basketball, I'm pretty sure he's been the head coach to the Nuggets. And yeah. you know, they haven't made the playoffs. Um, they really haven't been able to take that next step. Uh, you know, into being, you know, like a solid team in the Western Conference. Uh, they always and, and it's weird. They're it's a weird case because Denver is one of those teams that like they they're always able to play anybody. Like 
you know, they're known for being one of the teams, you know, since the Golden State spike in success, they're one of the teams that always use Golden State to challenge. Uh, you know, Denver's one of those teams. Utah's one of those teams. Uh, and the Spurs are one of those teams. So I think Denver really just, they all they really need to do, in my opinion, is, you know, end up, uh, they just have to find some sort of way to get a coach or maybe surround Mike Malone with a coaching staff that really knows defense. Because when I look at their roster, they're a player like Will Barton, obviously has the potential to be a good defender. Gary Harris is a pretty good defender. Jamal Murray is still a young, long, you know, he's a young, long guard. He can play defense. Uh, Paul Millsap obviously can play defense. Um, he's a little older now, but I'm sure he still has something in there. Jokic, I'm sure, can play defense. Plumlee can, if, you know, Jokic has the ability to because of his size. Plumlee can play defense. Um, and, you know, maybe they could just bring in some bench guys along with either a new coach or getting a new staff for Mike Malone. But I would say, honestly, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't say he should be fired, but if I were the Denver Nuggets, I would fire him just because I feel like it's time to move on. Because, uh, you know, like, you can't really, like, you can't waste your young players' years like this because if they just keep losing and not making the playoffs, they're not really going to want to play in Denver because there's really not, there's not that much, like, there's not that much incentive to playing in Denver in terms of, a, you know, like a, a night, like, for, you know, attraction yeah. or anything like that. Kind of like, you know, because, like, you know, if, if it was a situation in Los Angeles or Miami or New York, like, you know, people don't really always want to leave those cities. So, but Denver, I don't think anyone would have that much, you know, regret leaving. Yeah, no, and I pretty much agree with you on all points. The Mike Jackson, and sorry, not Mike Jackson, Mark Jackson comparison is fantastic here. Because uh, aside from the Warriors being better in that case, uh, yeah, like this is a a team that uh, just does not have uh, any uh, strong defense right now. Like it has some players that are good at it. Obviously, Gary Harris, uh, Mason Plumlee, as you said. Like it just does not have a good scheme right now for defense, and like it's. It's not seven seconds or less that they're running, but like they're just trying to outrun the players on the court, especially when they're at home, when they can count on their stamina to be better than other teams, and that's something that's ultimately not conducive to uh, defense. And like it seems like they're ultimately going to have to shift that if they want more production from that. And it seems like Mike Malone isn't the right coach for that. Personally, I think Mike Malone's done a great job rebuilding this franchise. I think he's done a great job, and because I don't know the name of the GM, I'm going to assume that mostly comes from him. It was complete BS that he got fired from the Kings uh, two years ago for uh, George Carl. Like that, that, that was the that was one of the worst coaching changes I've seen in a while, and it's almost solely the reason why I think Granit Ivek is one of the worst uh, owners in terms of basketball operations in the league. But oh, uh, was that Malone? Was it the former coach of the? Yeah, Mike Kings? Malone. Yeah, like you remember oh, uh, Demarcus Cut. Yeah, and then it was Dave Yeager. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I remember because uh, Dar- Demarcus Cousins is always talking about how Mike Malone's like the best coach he ever had, and like he was so yeah, pissed. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do recall that because he said he's all, he said he had, he had like a new he had a new head coach like every year he was in uh, in Sacramento, and then he said only one of them was good. Yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, he's probably better than uh, what's his name, Alvin Gentry, at this point. But yeah, no, it seems like the the ownership has to move on. It's just kind of forcing their hand, which absolutely sucks. Maybe if you can bring Mike Malone back in like the front office or something, but obviously Mike's going to want to go coach somewhere. So, that, I mean, that sucks, but it, it's kind of out of their control at this point. Like, if you don't get production out of this creative youth, and I get that you win 46 games, but, I mean, ultimately you got to make the playoffs, and it sucks, but whatever, and, like, you never know. Like, this could be another situation like the 13-14 Suns where they win 48 games, miss the playoffs, and then the next... Uh, two years they suck and they have to fire Hornacek. Yeah, I think it's weird. The thing with Mike Malone is, like, he really has a. I feel like he would just be better served being an assistant coach for an. You know, you know what I mean? Because 
Yeah, like but, for an offense. Yeah, exactly. Like, kind of like how Thibodeau was so great as you know as a defensive, like a defensive assistant coach for those you know Boston Celtics teams and all that. I just I, I don't really like because it's it's kind of apparent to me that Denver like they don't really commit that much to defense. Like it was good to see them do it against the Timberwolves because you really don't see it that often. Yeah. Most of Denver's notable wins are always pretty high scoring games, like either in the one teens or the you know high like one you know one oh nine. Like it's somewhere in the range of like one oh five to like one. 30 or something like that you know like you get high scoring games from them because of the pace at which they play you know yes i'm not sure where they rank in pace but just the fact that you know they they love to run like you said because they play in denver but i think the most interesting thing about denver is that i was reading an article a couple you know a couple months ago and it, it said that if you look at denver they're kind of the they're like the, they're like the one team that's like they kind of have the most potential to kind of they they have the most potential to be an organically built uh, an organically built championship team in the way that Golden State was because Golden State didn't go out and acquire big free agents. Uh, I'm talking about pre signing Kevin Durant, prior yeah. to signing Kevin Durant. Like they they didn't really tank to get extremely high draft picks. They just they didn't um, they didn't attract big free agents. They didn't do anything like that. They just they had a good front office that drafted players and fit them into a good system that worked for them. So. I was seeing comparisons because, you know, uh, Draymond Green was a second-round pick who was extremely versatile. Nikola Jokic is a second-round pick who was extremely versatile. Uh, Jamal Murray was a seventh pick in the draft. He's a really good shooter. Steph Curry was a seventh pick in the draft. He's a really good shooter. Uh, Gary Harris was somewhere around 11, and he's a really good shooter and two-way player. And Klay Thompson is a really good shooter and two-way player. So, obviously, it's not the same because, you know, Steph Curry has blown to be something that nobody could have expected, but... <clears throat> you know, if Jamal Murray ends up growing into becoming, you know, like a 22, 23, 24 point per game score, and, you know, Gary Harris next to him can become somewhere around that too, you know, maybe 18 to 22 or something like that. And then obviously Nikola Jokic, his development is already ahead of schedule. You just have to become better defensively. There were people that believe with, with their talent on offense, if they just got some sort of kick on defense or some spark on defense, had some sort of player that could kind of anchor their defense or anything like that then they could really shift into that sort of stratosphere just because they, they were organically built and they had a good system. Um, and I think, you know, it just, I think it two years ago, it really caught a lot of people's attention, how well they were, uh, how well they were performing offensively because they were ahead of Golden State in Houston, which was obviously astronomical to think of at the time or last year. Sorry. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you know what? At, at this point, I think all we have to say to you nuggets is we bid you adieu from the playoffs. You did a good job, and we look forward to your next couple of years because you've got a lot of potential. Indeed. All right, so that's the Nuggets. Uh, and we'll get into the Timberwolves more when we are talking about their uh, series against the Rockets that's coming up, The uh, unfortunately, the eventual slaughter. So at this point, we'll probably uh, get in... Well, not probably. We are going to get into the playoff matchups at long last. With weeks of buildup, the playoffs have been something that's been on our minds this entire regular season, frankly. Uh, luckily, we had a nice uh, last week of the uh, regular season to set up what is all, what we can only hope for um, in an amazing first round. And you know what? I don't think any of these playoff matchups were what we were really expecting, even going into the last day of the season. It seems like they all got flipped at the very end. I will say, honestly, I was very, very, very upset that Golden State matched up with San Antonio because, I, frankly, I believe that's, like, aside from getting, like, like, I, I don't want to say it's the easiest, but it's one of the easier ones. Like, they didn't get the Wolves, they didn't get the Thunder, and they didn't get New Orleans. 
like of the teams that they could have gotten, I think the easy, like they ended up getting San Antonio, who comes in at its like because if you had to play the Thunder in the first round, that's a highly emotional series for Kevin Durant. He obviously he's known to have like he he's extremely he he has all sorts of like weird like reactions and you know emotions when he plays in Oklahoma City. He always gets up in Russell Westbrook's face and he always gets involved. So that would just you know, and they would be without Steph Curry and. It would it, the the thing with that is it would you know even though Carmelo Anthony is not even really considered a star anymore I guess at this point we can consider Stephen Adams close to a star because of how good he is we you know that team is that team those teams are both have three stars there's Russell Westbrook Paul George and Stephen Adams slash Carmelo Anthony and then on Golden State you have Draymond Green Clay Thompson and Russell and uh, Steph and Kevin Durant sorry Steph Curry being out for that series I thought that would have been very difficult for them in the first round um, New Orleans Anthony Davis they present something completely different because. Rajon Rondo, despite what people think about him, is still an amazing playmaker. Drew Holiday is a great two-way player. Uh, Anthony Davis is obviously a monster. He's, in my opinion, one-on-one. Like in, in individual matchups, when he's played Kevin Durant this season, has outperformed Kevin Durant. He beat him a couple nights ago uh, last week. He beat him last week uh, pretty convincingly, even though Kevin Durant had like 41 points. Anthony Davis was just too much because he was... He was doing it on both ends because, you know, when Durant has really good offensive nights, he typically doesn't have great defensive nights because even though he's getting called a two-way player, he's really not two-way on most nights. Um, then they didn't get the Timberwolves, which I think Carl Anthony Towns would be a huge matchup problem for Golden State. Jimmy Butler would be able to give Kevin Durant a little bit of trouble uh, and make things not as easy for him. Um, so I just – and Utah obviously is playing fantastically. Uh, Golden State would have absolutely no answer for Rudy Gobert. Um and they, they, he's probably the most unique player in the Western Conference in terms of who, who they could have faced. Because now, to me, like this, facing the Spurs to me just means it's a half court battle between. Because since they don't, since the Warriors don't have Steph Curry, they're not going to be playing at a, at a fast pace. They're not going to be playing that much full court. They're going to be playing more on half court. And the Spurs prefer to do that anyway because their best player, Lamarcus Aldridge, prefers to play in a half court set. So. It's going to be a half-court set battle between Kevin Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge, and unfortunately, I will have to take Kevin Durant in that pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Like, at this point, like this entire series has just gotten soiled by the fact that Kawhi still has not come back, and obviously he's not coming back for the playoffs regardless of what happens. That would be a horrible choice for Greg Pop to bring him back in the middle of it. We saw that went with the Knicks a couple of years ago with uh, Amari Stoudemire. So Kawhi, he apparently missed this entire season. I can't believe it. He, he played nine games briefly, that's it. Oh, yeah. In January, but it, it didn't count for anything. He averaged like 16 points per game. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. So, okay, I, I, I didn't plan for this, but I, I think this is actually a better idea for uh, each of us to give a... No, let's not. I, I was thinking we could each give a summary of what we expect from the series, but uh, going through the outline is probably going to just give it to us anyways. So, uh, as we've been uh, alluding to in previous weeks, we're going to go through uh, the matchups for every uh, position. We're going to go for point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Then go for the bench, highlighting interesting players that we've seen. Uh, go for the coaching matchup and the, the different philosophies, how it's going to come up in the game. Then we're going to talk about who our favorite is to win, like who we actually want to win the game. Then we're going to talk about uh, what the favorite has to do to win the game. So, like, as in, like, the team with the higher uh, seeding, because for the most part, they're the favorite in all of these series, except for maybe that Celtics one that we'll eventually get to. Uh, what the underdog needs to do to win, what we're most excited to see, and then our actual prediction. So let's get started on the Warriors versus Spurs. Starting at point guard, we have uh, 
Sean Livingston versus uh, Patty Mills. So who who do you have coming out in this one? Uh, I think if I, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Steve Kerr is choosing to start Quinn Cook in Steph Curry's absence. Oh no, I know. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. I'm going to be using uh, wind shares as a barometer for uh, who I think Steve Kerr should be starting, anyways. Oh, who you think he should be starting? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, well, I mean, regardless of whether or not it's Sean Livingston or Quinn Cook, I think I would give the advantage there to Patty Mills because he's very, even though he's very small, he's very tenacious. Um, he's a pretty good defender, and he's a really good team player. He's a really good three point shooter. He's good at getting in the passing lanes, disrupting plays. He he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a smaller version of Matthew Dellavedova from a couple years ago when he was giving Steph Curry a lot of hell in the twenty fifteen finals. Um, so. I mean, Sean Livingston, obviously, he'd be able to shoot over him in the mid-range all day, but Sean Livingston is a little bit, like, his game is sort of, even though he's a very good player and he's very long and all that, I think his age has kind of caught up to him a little bit. He's not as good defensively as he was when the Warriors have made their runs in the past. He hasn't been nearly as productive. He obviously has no outside shot whatsoever. And, you know, him being able to come in and shoot mid-range jumpers is only going to be so effective. So I don't really see him being that much of a factor in the series. And, you know, Quinn Cook is... Well, he's had some amazing regular season games. Those regular season games have been absolutely meaningless, and they've they've been you know they've all come in a stretch where no team is really putting forth their best effort. Yeah, uh, every team was just kind. Of, I mean, and like he's put up good numbers, but they they've had some ugly losses. They lost by twenty to the Pacers. They lost by forty to the Jazz. Um, so and uh, and there I would give Patty Mills. Um, and then the next shooting guard I believe would be Clay Thompson against Danny Green. Uh, I, I have DeJounte Murray, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I th- yeah, I think regularly probably what he chooses to do is he plays DeJounte Murray at point guard, Danny Green at shooting guard, and okay. brings Penny Mose off the bench. But regardless, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just say a brief something about both. Obviously, a good Clay Thompson, the advantage against both. Uh, Clay Thompson's a phenomenal two-way player, and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal shooter. Um his thumb injury really hasn't seemed to set him back. He's kind of been typical clay where he, you know, he has some good games and some bad games. Most of them are good though. Um, it really hasn't hindered his ability to play defense. Um, DeJounte Murray, I don't think at this point in his career is he's very young still. He's a very good defender, but he's, he's, he's really not that skilled on offense. Uh, he's not, he's not a fantastic playmaker, not a fantastic shooter, not a fantastic scorer. Uh, he really is more of a, de- a defensive player. He's very long though, which, you know, and but that to me that doesn't really give Clay Thompson that much trouble because Clay Thompson doesn't really he doesn't create his own shots he just kind of catches the ball and shoots the shot for shoots the ball for open shots yeah um, and you know Dejounte Murray will probably be able to contest a lot of those much better but Clay Thompson has been knocking down contested shots for the longest time so um, and then if it's Danny Green it would it literally just be Clay Thompson versus a, a version of himself that's not nearly as good as he is uh, Danny Green's a great two way player too but he's you know. He's not nearly as good a shooter as Clay Thompson is, and I haven't really been watching him enough to know whether or not how, how good he's been defensively. I know he did make all def- an all defensive team last season, and Clay Thompson didn't. So, but this season, I, I'm not really sure how, how good Danny Green has been defensively. So, yeah, and it seems like for the most part, it's just a worse version of him defensively, just because we haven't been hearing about him. So, yeah. yeah, it seems like a clear win for the Warriors in terms of shooting guard, and then just for my feelings on point guard, I think it's actually super close to be honest. I, I'm really. I, I like Patty Mills as a player a lot. He, uh, I believe there's like some metric where he plays at the fastest, like literally meters per second in the entire league, just over uh, his playing time. So he's one of the fastest players. Obviously, uh, Sean Livingston being one of the longest, and not really much to say about Quinn Cook, to be honest. 
So I, I would say that one, that position is just a wash, and it's going to come down to uh, which player just gets hot and which player just stays cold and doesn't provide yeah, as much to the team. I, I agree with you, but I think the interesting thing to note, though, is Sean Livingston's hot is always going to be... It's it's never going to produce as much as Patty Mills' hot because Patty Mills can shoot the three. Yeah, good point. Offensively, at least. Defensively, Sean Livingston would, by a mile, would be better with hot defensively just because he's, he's literally 6'7". <laughs> and he plays point guard. And his arms are so long. I'm not sure what his wingspan is, but I'm sure it's pretty long. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. And like he's, I, I'm sure it is. I'll look it up later. But uh, yeah, he's like six six. Uh, he's literally like the tallest point guard in the league. And most of the time, he, I don't even know if he lines up at shooting guard that often. But he probably should just with how tall he is. Yeah, I think that, yeah. The only reason because Clay Thompson is also six seven, so it's kind of like whatever. But uh, small forward then would be what Kevin Durant and uh, uh, Kyle Anderson. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a massacre. Yeah. Kyle Anderson is an underrated player. I give him credit. He's you know he's a good defensive player. He can shoot some threes, but I don't really think that there's that much that needs to be said that Kevin Durant is better. Yeah, I actually think he can do a little to slow down Kevin Durant, but I think... Defensively, just, yes. Yeah. But he's I, very tall. I think he's like 6'9", right? Or yeah, six, and like he has he's a great reach. And like he, frankly, he was on my All-NBA defensive team, and we'll eventually get into those again probably oh, around awards season. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched him enough to know that, but... Uh, Kevin Durant's just his ability to make shots from everywhere. He, he's taller. He's so tall, and he's just he can make shots from anywhere on the floor. On, but but I will say, however, um, if if they catch Durant cold for one night or two nights, this series could go maybe six games. Yeah. Just the the Spurs. While I while I made the comment earlier about a half court set, I would have to take Lamarcus. I would have to take Kevin Durant over Lamarcus Aldridge. If Kevin Durant is cold and Lamarcus Aldridge is going, and the Spurs defense is clicking on all cylinders, then I don't think you can ever count on a Popovich team, regardless of who's on the team. Sorry, I, I'm just going to interrupt you there. Sean Livingston has a seven foot reach. That's insane. That's yeah, that's ridiculous. absurd. That is absurd. Wow. Well, yeah, that's that's shocking actually. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I would still. I mean, if the series could kind of, it could be interesting if you know Kevin Durant is cold for a game or two, but you know. Seeing as that, you know, that's that depends on multiple things. I would, I have to take Kevin Durant in that matchup. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely would too. And honestly, I think a good comparison for this one would be the LeBron James versus Kawhi Leonard in the 2012-2013 finals, where Kawhi Leonard won the MVP. That doesn't mean I think that the Spurs are going to beat the Warriors here, but I think it's going to be a year after. Uh, Kawhi was Finals MVP in 2014. Okay, yeah, whatever. I don't remember the exact year. Just the one he won. When he played really good defense on him, you're saying Kyle Anderson, you think he could have a coming out party defensively, like it's possible? Well, no, I think more more line of uh, your point where uh, Kawhi Leonard won that uh, finals MVP despite LeBron James getting like 22 points a game. 28, yeah. Yeah, so like even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like he, he was awarded it because he was defending LeBron and he did the best job of his team defending the best player who should have won the finals MVP, but they can't give him the finals MVP because he lost. So... Yeah, exactly. So, like, I expect good defensive contributions out of him, not much offense, because I think Kawhi Leonard got, like, 10 points per game in that series. Like, he was just a non-factor on offense. And, yeah, obviously, I don't have high expectations for Spurs overall in the series. So after- And then our forward would be, what, LaMarcus and Draymond? Yeah. All right, so um, this is interesting, because I know a lot of people love to praise Draymond Green's versatility, but I, however... I'm not a blind witness, and I see his inabilities on the court when Steph Curry is not playing. Uh, I see how much his production drops off. I see his inability to actually lead his team uh, to being productive against anybody that's not the Phoenix Suns. 
So I'm going to Lamarcus Aldridge because even though Lamarcus Aldridge isn't a phenomenal defender, he's large. He's bigger than Draymond, so he's not going to have that much of an issue backing him down uh, to get you know the shots that he wants. Um, and Draymond Green is probably going to get frustrated and get a technical foul, or you know, because that's just what he does when he's playing another gritty defensive team. It used to happen when he played Memphis all, all the time. So, um, you know, I feel like if Draymond Green gets a little bit shot. He's going to throw a fit, and I think it's going to give Lamarcus Aldridge a little bit of a mental edge because he's really he's a really cool, calm, and collective player. He doesn't he doesn't really you know he doesn't complain and he doesn't yell and he doesn't get you know technical fouls and he doesn't you know he doesn't he doesn't start up an issue with the refs or anything. So I'm going to give Lamarcus the edge because I think he's def- I think he's a more skilled player, and I think he's going to have a mental edge. I don't necessarily think that he's a more versatile player because he's not the playmaker or defender that Draymond is, but. He's, a, he's about as good a rebounder, and he's a much better scorer, and he has much more offensive talent. I don't even think that's close. And just get all of that given the fact that Draymond Green really is he, – he produces much less in terms of his assists and his scoring and his shooting percentages when Steph Curry is not playing, unless, of course, they're playing the Phoenix Suns. Because I know any Warriors fan would just say, oh, look at that one game that he played against Phoenix where he had like 29 points, 10 rebounds, and like seven assists or whatever. But, I mean, they were playing the Suns, so – yeah, and uh, that final point that you just made, that's why I'm actually picking LaMarcus Aldridge as well. If Steph Curry was in this series, I would pick Draymond Green over LaMarcus Aldridge, but because exactly. he's not getting because he's not getting the outlet passes or the passes into the post, I don't think Draymond Green is going to be as effective as he has been in the regular season, obviously excluding the games that Steph Curry wasn't there because Steph Curry missed a ton of games. But uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, secretly, he's been becoming a very good passer out of the center position, and like you, you can even the power forward also, but just in the post is really what I mean. Just passing out yeah. to uh, open three-point shots, and he's, he's secretly become that because a lot of people still think that he's just some bruiser, and, like, he goes into the post, he's just smashing the person, and then, like, he just passes it out like he's some kind of uh, triangle player. But, no, he's becoming a really good, uh, uh, not new center because, like, yeah, you know, he's not taking the three-point shots. But outside of that, like, he's been uh, really adopting a good passing. And Draymond Green, he does drop off significantly when uh, Steph Curry's not on the court. We talked about this in an earlier podcast where uh, Steph Curry, when he's not on the court, uh, Kevin Durant's averages go down, uh, Clay Thompson's go down, Draymond Green's go down. Interestingly, JaVale McGee's goes up, so I don't really know what happens there. But he's not really a factor in this series, so yeah, I pick Marcus Aldridge there. And moving on to center, we have uh, Zaza Pachulia, uh, Mr. Uh, I Injure League, myself, and uh, Paul Gasol, if he ever gets healthy, that is. Uh, I think it's Paul Gasol. Okay, cool. I think he's just, he's, he's just better at, I guess, everything except injuring other players. Even though he's old, he's much more skilled. He's a really good three-point shooter now that he's older. He's a, still a good rebounder. I'm not really sure how much he can do defensively because he is 36. But, I mean, I'll take that over the fact that Zaza just has good skills. So, Yeah, I would as well. There's not much to Zaza Petrulia. Like, maybe he can uh, dunk a, the ball occasionally. But, honestly, I like JaVale McGee over him. Yeah, JaVale McGee gives them much more athleticism depth. Like, he just... Because he, he can go catch lobs. He can get some energy going for the team. He can build some momentum. He can... He can make good defensive plays because he can block shots. You know, Zaza just can't do any of that thing. I mean, Zaza, like, the possession will almost be over by the time Zaza makes it to the possession. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it is interesting that uh, Steve Kerr has been starting Zaza over uh, JaVale so often. Why why do you think that is? I think it's just because, I think it's because putting JaVale, like, 
I think it's when because I think it's for when he brings all those players off the bench or when he brings players off the bench, he kind of wants an energy boost because if you if you started Javale, you kind of have all of your energy in the starting lineup because then you really don't have a spark plug who comes off the bench because if you if you look at the Golden State Warriors bench this season, they really don't have anyone other than like Nick Young who's really explosive, I guess, but he's really not even that. He, he can just kind of shoot threes. So yeah, so that's it. that's our uh, positions. Uh, we have. Uh, basically a wash on uh, well no i'm not gonna recap because i'm just gonna give my opinions you guys decide for yourself based on what we said uh what you actually think of them but just to go over uh, some highlights from the bench essentially i just went to basketball reference and literally any name that i recognized i just uh, listed here so i have for the warriors david west andre Iguodala, javel mcgee omri cassipi uh, quinn cook and nick young and then for the spurs i have rudy gay david burton stanny green manu chinopoli and tony parker uh, well, I and uh, just a slight correction there. Omri Caspi was actually cut before the playoffs. He was. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> what happened was they um, the Warriors decided to sign Quinn Cook to a long term deal, and in order to make space for them to do that, because Quinn Cook was signed to a two way contract, I believe they had to sign him to a real contract, which resulted in them having to cut Omri Caspi's contract. So, well, oh. Omri Caspi has never played in a playoff game, and. This was going to be the first year that he was going to, but unfortunately, he will not. Well, I'm going to ask you then. Do you think that was a good decision? I, I honestly, I don't. I don't. It's, it seems validated because Quinn Cook has had a couple of good games, but Omri Caspi is a he's a good NBA veteran. He's a really good shooter. Yeah, I know. Um, so, and that's what the Warriors you know, need. Yeah, I mean that it, it's a it's an interesting decision, but I mean, I don't really know. I, I didn't see much of Omri this year, so I'm not really sure, but. Uh, overall, I'm just, I think I'm going to have to give the edge to the Spurs bench because Manu Ginobili, even though he's 40 years old, is still playing really well. Um, in his given times, he's closing games really well for the Spurs. Um, I saw a, a clip, a brief clip of him off, on offense, and he was a uh, he like I'm not sure what team he was playing, but he drove by a defender who was like 20 years younger than him, and then he like he just kind of like he very skillfully scored on a player who is like much, much younger than him as well. So, uh, and also it's, uh, you know, he came up with really big defensive plays last season in the play- playoffs. I feel like Manu Ginobili is also, even though he's much older, he is one of those players who definitely preserves his best for the playoffs. So he's underrated uh, for his age. Tony Parker, I believe is the same way uh, for some, even though he's not that old, he kind of, you know, he obviously has that old man persona to him because of how long he's been playing and how, you know, championships he's won how much experience he has so uh just in terms of his veteran savvy he's i think he has a little bit of an edge over everyone on golden state's bench except maybe you know sean livingston and andre godala because they're veterans as well uh because i really don't have any faith in nick young's basketball iq and i don't have any faith in his experience because he's really just kind of a silly player who's really just he's really just there so he can win a championship like he's he's not there because I mean, like he, he made fun of Golden State Warriors fans on Twitter in 2016, and then he joined them the next season. So, um, And then Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston have really declined this season. So um, those being their two best players off the bench in recent years when they've you know been able to make some noise in the playoffs, I'm going to give the edge to the Spurs bench, but slightly because you know Golden State is younger and more athletic. I just think that for the playoffs, when the pace slows down and things like athleticism and all that stuff don't matter as much, um, I, I think it's always better to have a veteran bench than it is to have a young bench. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili, maybe in the playoff, in the regular <laughs> season, it'd be more of a concern how old they are. But 
considering how well Manu's been playing over the past couple weeks and uh, Tony Parker not falling off because of his age. It's well, obviously he's fallen off since the since ten years ago, Tony Parker. But just like not depreciating that much over the course of the season, I, I definitely think this playoffs is setting up a good performance out of them. And I, I agree, it seems like they can outpace the Warriors bench as long as they can keep pace with Freeze. I know David Pertans likes to take Freeze occasionally. Danny Green's pretty good about it. Manu, obviously, he's been awesome with it. I have no clue what they've been getting out of Rudy Gay, but it seems like they can. Keep pace there, so really, it's gonna. He's, he's, an, he's an, he was an. I, I kind of thought that he would be a really underrated addition this off season, but he disappointed me a little bit. I feel like he should probably be starting just because of his talent. Um, because I feel like him and Lamarcus Aldridge would be able to make a pretty, a pretty like Rudy Gay wouldn't be able to replace Kawhi, but he would be the best option to replace Kawhi in my opinion. Um, but I'm not sure how he is defensively. He he's he's six eight and he's long, so I, I feel like he would have the potential to be a good defender, especially in a Popovich system. But maybe he's just been hurt this year. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either because he, he's one of those guys that I always uh, really like to follow because he's always under the radar as being like one of the clutchest players in the NBA. And I mean actual clutch, not just like, ooh, he's clutch. He literally has like one of the best shooting percentages in the last minute of the game. Uh, one of the best uh, in in terms of just shots made versus shots attempted as like the game-winning shot. Which is really interesting because like nobody thinks of oh the Kings that clutch team or ooh Rudy yeah, Gay. He played on the Kings for a while. Yeah, no, yeah, I know, and like yeah, with the Grizzlies <laughs> as well. So he's one of those uh, grit and grind guys that we always love, and the Spurs always love to pick off the Grizzlies. But yeah, like he's a really fun player. I have no clue why he hasn't been better this season, to be honest. But hey, we'll find out in the playoffs, I guess. Yeah. Um... So yeah, I think that pretty much goes over the bench. I think in terms of coaching, because I know you wanted to get to that. Yeah. Popovich over Kerr. Oh yeah. Easy. There's no doubt in either of our minds. I don't think Kerr is a product of Popovich. He learned how to coach under Popovich, and I don't think that we're at that point where you know student becomes better than the master just because the student has three all stars and the master has basically you know he almost has one. Lamarcus Aldridge was the last pick in the all star draft, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Like, Kerr's completely overmatched in this category. Uh, he's Popovich is better at drawing up plays. He's better at scheming. He's better at knowing when to put people in, take people out, and he's better at just uh, managing game egos. Like I don't see an aspect where Steve Kerr can really be better. Maybe uh, looking younger, but like that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, it's also I mean, like Popovich is also better with his timeout selection. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Steve Kerr is always praised for is his out of timeout plays, but I, I'm pretty sure those are all derived from Popovich plays, <laughs> because he literally worked under Popovich yeah. for like so long before he became a head coach. And uh, you know, just a little side note about Steve Kerr. I don't know why no one ever talks about the fact that he's a completely failed executive in this league. But, um, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Poor Steve Kerr. And yeah. I, I mean, at least he's back from injury. I, I was worried that like his back stuff was gonna just to start de- derailing his coaching career, but luckily he's. No, he's... no, that's good. That's, he, I like him as a guy. I just don't think I think he's overrated as a coach. I don't think he should have been coach of the year that one year in 2016 when we were both pushing heavily for Terry Stotts. Yeah, that definitely should have been his, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, at least not right now. So uh, <laughs> then we'll get into uh, what we think the favorite in this series, the Warriors, the number two seed, needs to win- do to win. For me, it's just play to their true talent and not get head- out-head-coached. Uh, I'd assume it's about the same for you. Yeah, for me, um, what the Warriors need to do to win is literally Durant just has to not choke. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Like, there's absolutely no reason and there's no excuse. There's no reason whatsoever that the Warriors should lose. 
They have the more they have better talent. They on paper have better everything. They have three all stars. The other team has a, a, a borderline all star in the Marcus Aldridge, who just happened to make it this year, but didn't make it last year. Yeah. Um. So there's no reason. There's no reason the Warriors shouldn't win this series in a comfortable five games. But just because of Popovich's greatness, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes six. Yeah, what do you think Popovich needs to do to get this team to uh, even like six games? I think that what he needs to do is he needs to do what he did to LeBron James in the 2007 NBA Finals. And he needs to just, he just needs to make Kevin Durant, like he needs to make Kevin Durant like shoot like ridiculously difficult shots. Because Popovich held LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James was also 22 years old, so let's yes. not get away. But he made LeBron James shoot 36% from the field in that series. Um, LeBron James, I mean, yeah, he was 22 years old, so I'm not going to kill him for that. But it was still, you know, it was still amazingly impressive because in the regular season, you know, LeBron, I think, averaged close to 50% from the field. Um, and he averaged, I think, 30 points per, or 31 points per game that year. Uh, so I think Popovich just needs to kind of. You, he needs to bring out his absolute best half-court schemes so that he can close in on Kevin Durant. And in this case, because the Warriors have such limited offense now that Steph Curry isn't there, they're only, they only score 105 points per 100 possessions when Steph Curry's not playing. Yeah. So I feel like you can afford to leave Klay Thompson. Like You can kind of afford to ignore him because D- Durant is going to have the ball most of the time in his hands, and Durant is not really that savvy of a playmaker to be able to get Klay Thompson open for like, you know, to shoot like, 14, 13 threes. Um, so, you know, it's not going to, I don't, basically what Popovich needs to do is if, if Clay Thompson's, if, if they are going, if they're playing through Clay, which I imagine they will not do because obviously you have Durant who's better. Yeah. I don't think they'll play through Clay, but if they play through Clay and Clay is getting, you know, like a bunch of, if he's getting off like 11 threes and like making like six or seven or eight of them, then you kind of have to start playing your defense towards the passing lane so Clay can't get the ball. But since I don't think they'll do that, I think all he really needs to do is just, you know, bring the double team on Durant when he's, you know, close to the inside and uh, just just really play up on it and make him uncomfortable and just kind of just make it kind of like a Durant rules thing, like the Jordan rules, uh, where you just kind of, you, know, you don't have to double and triple team him, but basically you just make life hell for the best player because no one else on the team is going to be able to beat you, uh, similarly to what he did to LeBron in, you know, multiple finals. So yeah. if he's able to do that, then, you know, they could probably go six, but just the sheer talent of the Warriors is probably going to be too much to overcome. Yeah. And a good point uh, was uh, I, I was looking back at the 2016-2017 uh, Western Conference Finals because like that's pretty comparable to what's happening right now, aside from Stephen Curry being on the Warriors right now. Yeah. And there was a, it was a super close point differential all throughout the four-game sweep. And like frankly, I'm surprised it didn't go five. Just like obviously in the first game when Kawhi Leonard was there, but even game two, game three, game four. It was a super tight series, and like they, I believe all of them were like, it was like five or ten point wins for the Warriors. So, like, the Spurs were not getting blown out in that series. And I think really that just speaks to the strength of Popovich as a head coach. But I think it's interesting. Like, you could, this could be a closer series than we think, you know, just because Stephen Curry isn't here now. And like, yeah. like I could, I could easily see uh, Popovich getting a, a game or two off of them. But you know, just in terms of uh, my prediction for the, how the series is going to go, uh, I have it going uh, five or six games. So I believe you have it going five. Yeah, five, six as well. Okay, so just depending on Popovich. Yeah, and obviously we both want the Spurs to win because we're just trying to avoid that uh, Warriors finals. But uh, what are you most excited to see in the series? Uh, I'm excited to see how Lamarcus Aldridge performs in the half court against Kevin Durant because I feel like he should use he should utilize his 
he's not taller, but he's bigger. So I, I, he can use his size advantage, I think, a little bit to kind of, you know, physically, he can definitely outplay Durant from a physicality standpoint because Durant is not a physical player, but LaMarcus Aldridge, even though, you know, he's not some sort of brute, like he bashes you all the time, but he definitely does give you some wear and tear, you know, and he, he makes it tough for the entire, for to, to guard him for the course of an entire game is going to be difficult. And, you know, obviously there are going to be times with Kevin, he, they're probably, like his preferred matchup, you know, Popovich is probably going to get LaMarcus Aldridge switched on to Kevin Durant because, you know, just because Draymond Green is stronger, I'm sure he would prefer to have uh, Aldridge on Durant rather than having Aldridge on Green. So, um, you know, or Green on Aldridge and Durant on Aldridge. But, you know, uh, I'm just looking forward to LaMarcus Aldridge basically to see whether or not he can really, I guess, kind of you know, back up the fact that the Spurs had so much faith in him signing him a couple years ago. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see now because, you know, we all know that he really wanted to be the star when he was at Portland, and now this is his opportunity to be the best player on a playoff team. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just looking forward to seeing whether or not he can rise to the occasion. Yeah, uh, for for me, I'm really excited to see uh, Manu play. He's been awesome these past couple weeks, as I said. And there's a, there's a good case to say without Manu, the Spurs wouldn't be in the playoffs right now just because of how well he's played and like just the incredible performances. I believe like one of them he had like ten points at a fourth quarter, and like, he's just it's been really impressive what he's done. So I'm really excited to see how he does. And then I'm really excited to see how Rudy Gay performs because even before talking here, I just know nothing about Rudy Gay, but I think he's a good player, so I want to see what he does. Yeah. Also, I will just just add this portion before we move on to the next series. Earl Watson did pick the Spurs to win this series. Uh, that's why he's not head coach anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking when he said it too. But he gave good, he, the reason he gave for it was because he just didn't think that the Warriors would be able to figure out like. He felt that if the Warriors got anyone else, they would have been able to figure it out. But he just thinks that Popovich is so smart and so good that he's going to be able to exploit the hell out of the fact that they don't have Steph Curry and just make it complete hell for Kevin Durant, which will essentially just remove him from the series, which will result in Spurs winning in like a really gritty six or seven games. But again, that's neither here nor there, so we can yeah. move on to the next series. And I think you can make a case that the Warriors might lose in the next round, but not right now. Yeah, I think, I think they'll comfortably get out of the first round. Yeah, so uh, next series we have the 2, not 2, 1v8 uh, uh, matchup in the East, the Raptors versus the Wizards. It's an exciting matchup, not really, because the Raptors are going to absolutely demolish the Wizards. I don't even know how they're in the playoffs right now, but we'll treat them as if they're a proper playoff team anyways. They got their uh, winning record. I, I can't complain too much with how, what the Eastern Conference has shown out of their 6 for 8 seeds in the past couple of years. So I guess we'll start with point guard with uh, Kyle Lowry versus John Wall. I mean, John Wall's just coming off an injury. I'm not expecting much from him. He is not good in the clutch. He's just really not. Last last year, he had a, I think the last playoff game he played, which was game seven against the Celtics last year, he went 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter, Ooh, which bad. is awful. And he is just, I mean, he hit a clutch jump shot in game six. And then he, you know, because, and then he, 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 because the Celtics were all black to the game, you know, indicating that it was a funeral, and he said, don't come to my city wearing all black. And then he won that game, and then the next game he went to Boston, he went to their city, and then he got, you know, wiped off the floor. So uh, I don't have that much faith in John Wall. I just don't think that he, he's a very he's a very good player. He's a very, you know, he's a very versatile player, but I just don't think that he's a very smart player. He always makes silly decisions. Uh, just, he, just the other night he was driving, and he had an open layup, and he turned around and threw the pass back out for no reason, and then they ended up getting picked off, and as a result, they lost the game. So, um, 
I don't have faith in John Wall. Uh, but at the same time, this is an interesting situation because I don't have that much faith in Kyle Lowry either because he has given me absolutely no reason to have any faith in him. Faith in him. Oh, yeah. Um, in the playoffs, at least. Um, but just because, I guess, just for the sake of having to pick one, I will pick Kyle Lowry just because, you know, more experience. And to some degree, I feel like, you know, at some point you have to not – like there will eventually come a point where you won't be bad in the playoffs because he's had, like, two bad years in a row. So – I think he'd have to either be a complete, like, a completely afraid of the spotlight or completely bad on national TV because he seems to always play bad on national TV. Um, or he just has extremely bad luck. So I'm going to choose Kyle Lowry in this matchup uh, simply because he does have a lot of bulldog. You know, he has a lot of bulldog like intensity in him. He plays real defense even though he's undersized. He's a better three point shooter, which is obviously more important uh, in, you know, today's NBA. Um, and, you know, defense and three point shooting is what they'll need. And, you know, the thing is with John Wall is John Wall, I think, is expected to carry more of a load on his team because he's seen as the best player of his team, whereas Kyle Lowry is sort of seen as the second best player on his team next to DeMar DeRozan. So I'll favor Kyle Lowry, but slightly. Yeah. If this and was because John is coming off an injury. Yeah, good point. And uh, if this was the normal Wizards team that you usually see in the playoffs with like the three seed or the four seed and they're coming off a hot end to the regular season and they're looking strong, then I would choose John Wall just because of Kyle Lowry's uh, recent performances in the playoffs and just how untrustworthy he is at that point. You're absolutely right. I can't trust uh, the fact that the Wizards have been horrible in like, the past uh, 10 or 12 games. I, uh, I was listening to the lab today and they were saying that the Wizards have gone like Nine out of twelve games have been losses, or like maybe even something worse than that. So like they, they were playing very well before John Wall. I mean, they were playing very well for a certain stretch because Bradley Beal was playing lights out. But you know, they they've really come back down to earth. They're they're nothing big. Yeah, like I, at a certain point, you have to think that if the Pistons were weren't like just so down in the dumps, they could have actually uh, snuck into the playoffs just because of how much the Wizards have fallen off. So, yeah, yeah, that's essentially why I'm picking Kyle Lowry. Hopefully he doesn't disappoint us, because I do want to see this Raptors team finally live up to its potential from the regular season, but we'll see. And another position that's really going to determine that is a shooting guard, where we have DeMar DeRozan versus Bradley Beal. Uh, I'll take DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I just, like, I think he's a better player. I mean, I'm not really... He's he's bigger, he's longer, um, he has more potential. I guess the only real, the only distinct advantage that Bradley Beal has, I believe, is the fact that he's a better three-point shooter. DeMar DeRozan has more skill. He can take you off the dribble. He can get you in the mid-range. He can drive to the cup. He's athletic. Um, and overall, he's just had a really good season. I think it's been really under the radar because, especially lately, because the Raptors, you know, in their last, I think they lost like five of their last seven games, obviously, because, you know, they were basically assured, aside from like a two-game scare where, you know, they were close to the Celtics. But they, they basically at home, they've had the first seed in the East locked up, I guess, ever since Kyrie Irving went down with that injury. So I can't really blame them for being a little bit lackadaisical at the end of the regular season. Um, and DeMar DeRozan had a really good season this year. He averaged, I think, like 23 points, five rebounds, five assists. Um, and he, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, he definitely started taking them. Um, and now he, you know, he's, he's an improved three-point shooter than he was last year. I think he went from 29% to 33%, which it's a pretty good improvement, you know. I mean, determine you know, going off of how bad he was last year, because at least now he's like, because before defenses when they defended him was just like you could literally just sag off because you knew he wasn't even going to shoot the three. But now you have to at least defend him at the three point line because if he shoots one and he's wide open, there's a one in three chance he'll make it. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jamar Rosen, yeah, he's been having an awesome season. Like he, he's. It seems like he's finally uh, becoming more willing to take three point attempts. Still isn't making them at the rate that I would like, but 
At least he's trying them now and not just taking mid-range shots every single game. So that's been helpful. Uh, Bradley Beal, you, you know my feelings on Bradley Beal. I'm pretty down on him. I don't think he's that good of a shooting guard. I think he's overrated just because he, of his playing style and how much he takes frees. Uh, yeah, he's obviously coming off injuries, so that's not good for him. He has a bit of injury history, actually, so uh, hopefully... He, does. he missed a good portion of the season a little while ago. Yeah, so hopefully you can get past that stuff. And it's never fun to see those players that are always injured. And, uh, yeah, like it, it seems like... Mostly young with no playoff experience. I think he's like 24, 25. Yeah, he, he is young. I, it, with the NBA, you always forget how young these players are. It's ridiculous. I know, because I remember I was looking last year, and I think he was 23 or something, and I was pretty surprised because I felt like I'd always seen him. But, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely going to come up in recent years with just how many players are going to be 19 in the league. But, yeah, it, it's obviously uh, DeMar DeRozan, and it seems like he has a less of a history with uh, playoff failure, so let's cross our fingers there. But you never know if this uh, Raptors team in this, ser in this series is going to be so important for uh, making sure that they're not just going to completely collapse. Yeah, he's, he's come up, DeMar DeRozan has come up small, but he hasn't, I think Kyle Lowry has been more of a consistent disappointment because DeMar will, like, he'll have a down game, but then, like, he'll, he usually bounces back. He usually, he rarely has consecutive back games, whereas Kyle Lowry has had, like, awful series. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that basically summarizes what we think at shooting guard. So, uh, then we have small forward, and this one, honestly, I have no clue who they're starting at uh, small forward for the Raptors, so I just guessed C.J. Miles, and then uh, Otto Porter Jr. for the Warriors, uh, the, not the Warriors, the Wizards. Um, see, I'm not sure who is starting at small forward. That's a pretty good point, actually. Um, I haven't watched enough Raptors games to really know, so um, I guess if it's C.J. Miles versus Otto Porter, just because I, I know Otto Porter is a good two-way player, um, I know he's tall and he's long. I would give the advantage to him uh, just because I know that he is. He has a lot of upside as a player. So, so I mean, I'm just going to give it to him because I think C.J. Miles is a veteran who hasn't really shown all that much. Yeah, I agree. Like The only good thing about C.J. Miles at this point is he has a good history of being a good three-point shooter, but Otto Porter Jr., obviously, he shot like 45 or 46% last year and led the league. So that's not going to do him any points. I, I think exactly. I think Otto Porter's a better driver. I think he's better in the mid-range game. He can actually pass it around a little bit, so that's helpful. Obviously, he's, he's not, athletic too. Yeah, he's not fantastic. Yeah, and like he's not a fantastic passer or anything. But how often? He, he, yeah, I know what you mean. Like he's not not like a. It's not like he's gonna dazzle you or anything, but he, he can make the right pass. I know. What you yeah, we're like CJ Miles. He's just gonna stand on the three point line and uh, knock down shots, and that's really all he can do. I don't really know how they both are on defense, so I'll just assume they're both about the same mediocre. So yeah, it goes to Otto Porter Jr. Clearly. All Otto right. Forward, I guess, would be what <laughs> I don't even know. Markeith Morris and Pascal Siakam. I have Serge Ibaka actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. It is definitely Serge because Pascal Siakam comes off the bench. Yeah. I think Pascal was starting briefly when Serge was injured or something, but okay. uh, I'll give it to Serge Ibaka. Um, I'm just a fan of him. I feel like he's he's an interesting player because I, I genuinely feel like he lied about his age and had his prime soon. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not even lying. Because, no, I know because like, he's like, from the Congo. Yeah, he averaged like three and a half blocks per game in like 2012 when he was supposed or 2013 when he was supposedly like 23. And now all of a sudden he's like 28, and I'm supposed to believe that he's all of a sudden just not nearly as good as he was. So to me, that's a little suspicious. I feel like it's more likely that he was like 27, 28 then when he was actually in his prime, and now he's just like, you know, in his 30s and he's just losing his athleticism. But I'll still give it to Serge Ibaka. Uh, he can turn it up on defense sometimes. He's still, a, he's still a good team defender. He just doesn't block as many shots as he used to. And he can shoot the three now. He's a pretty versatile two way player. So 
I'll give the edge to Sergi Baca also because Marquise Morris is just the worst of the Morris brothers. Yeah. In my, I think he is. I, I was going to say, if this is Marcus Morris, I might actually give it to him because I'm a big Marcus Morris fan. But... Yeah, I like Marcus Morris. But Marquise Morris really hasn't shown me anything. No. And I'm, I'm still kind of caught up on those conspiracy theories from last year that after the Celtics advanced, uh, that Mar- uh, Marquise and or when the Wizards, there was some weird thing about how like people thought that Marquise Morris was actually playing for Marcus Morris because, Mar- because Marcus Morris was supposedly playing really bad. And <laughs> People were expecting more from Marcus Morris because he was good. So they were like, wow, like, Marquise, what are you doing? That's a pretty good one. And, yeah, like, my problem with Marquise personally personally is just, like, how he was when he left. If you remember, they both played on the Suns together. and then Oh, yeah, and he was such a brat about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you hear Zach Schumann talk about all the time, oh, LeBron James is a brat, and, like, I don't like him personally. I don't like Marquise personally because he he made such a sting about, like, a stimmy or whatever, about uh, just uh, leaving the Suns and... Literally for like thirty games later, he was like, "Oh, I, I wish my brother was playing with me." And like, yeah, and he like he like I remember he like grabbed his own teammate by the jersey and like shook him and stuff. Like, he's just not really. He doesn't really strike me as a really you know a, a good teammate or anything like this. Yeah. So yeah, we're both uh, big Baca fans there. So hopefully he plays well. And then we have center, which is going to be a really interesting matchup here. We have Jonas Valanciunas, who is always my pick to uh, do better than he actually does. And then Marcin Gortat, Mr. I want to go retire in Orlando. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, this is, a, this is a close one, but I'll give it to, um, I'll give a slight edge to Marcin Gortat just because I think that he has really good chemistry with John Wall and, uh, they really play in the pick and roll. Like they play in the pick and roll really well together. I know they had some. They had like a Twitter issue. And they got into a fight earlier in the year. But on the court, they have pretty good chemistry. Um, and you know, I've just I've seen him. I guess step up a little bit for the Wizards, uh, kind of as a as a good as a, like a locker room guy and as someone who speaks up for them. And you know, um, I just I like I, I just like him. Like he's you know he plays he play he seems to play the right way. Um, even though he's not really the most skilled guy in the world, he. You know, he makes up for it. He tries on defense. He tries to get rebounds. He tries to run the pick and roll properly. He tries to dump it in the in the basket when he gets down low. Pretty, you know, he's like a he's like a really polished version of like he's like a super Zaza almost. Like he doesn't really have any like real skills, but he he just utilizes his size and his ability, you know, that he can do to do it. So, um, and Jonas Valanciunas, I like him, but he to me like it's just he he's been on the cusp for so long. He just he still has yet to show me that he's really. A legit player in the league. I think this is his fifth season, and he's just done nothing. I don't even think he's had like a really big game at this point. Uh, so, nonetheless, a big series. So, I'm gonna have to go with Marcin Gortat just for experience and you know what I've seen and what I think. Yeah, I actually like that uh, comparison to uh, Zaza a lot. That's that's pretty interesting. I think Marcin does a little bit more, but I think you t- you understood that as well. And yeah, that's a good yeah. point about the chemistry thing. And it's something that I don't want to overlook here is Jonas, along with Kyle Lowry, he also has a history of underperforming in the playoffs. Maybe that's just me because I think that he should be like one of the top five centers in the league, but he does not play like it at all. So I, I might just be conditioned to think that he's always underperforming, but I think he plays a little bit worse in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, he's weird because like it's it's kind of like it's weird. It's a weird thing now, like how you look at all these foreign big men, like you know, like Chris Stapps and like you know. Uh, uh, Joel, you know, just all these like and like Lithuanian big men, particularly like Zajunas Ogaskis, and like you know, uh, you know, even like people. I, I know Ar- I don't think Arvidas Sabonis is from Lithuania, but um, no, he is. He is okay. Yeah, maybe like, he's a, know, maybe like, Latvia. I'll check. I have like a stigma of like Lithuanian, you know, white white tall big men. I feel like they should be good. Um, and well, he, Porzingis he is. Porzingis is very good. He's from Latvia. Yeah. 
Okay, let me let me see. I've used a bonus home country. So I, I don't want to screw up those Balkans. They, I, I can't imagine they like uh, Lithuanian. Okay, cool. Lithuanian. Yeah. I wonder why Estonia is never representing. That's weird. Uh, I guess they got in the relate to the party or something. I'm sure we'll see an Estonian sooner or later. Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, that's positional matchups. Then we have the bench. Uh, the Wizards one's actually super short. I'll just start with that. The only people I saw as any way in any way notable, I saw uh, Kelly Oubre, who's really good. Don't get me wrong. And then Thomas Sadaransky, who's also really good. But unfortunately, that's it for them. And then well, for, they had they had Jody Meeks up until this morning when he was suspended for twenty five games. Yeah, which I saw. So that's why I knocked yeah. him out. <laughs> So, uh, Wait, Thomas, what is, Thomas I, yeah, he's a good defender, good playmaker. Um, but I mean, I just don't even think there's a comparison. I feel like the Raptors bench has been amazing all year. Uh, they have so much depth from just random guys. Yeah. Like Fred Van Vliet has been a fantastic this year. Pascal Siakam, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, OG Anunobi, who's a rookie who's been playing really well yeah, under no. the radar. He's been playing good defense. Norman Powell, Jake, uh, Jakob Podol. Jakob Pertl is, you know, a pretty good... Dion Wright, coach. even? Who? Dion Wright. He's been great. Oh, Delon, Delon, yeah. Oh, oops. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I spelled that it. wrong. That looks like an I, yeah. There's no problem. But um, Delon Wright, yeah. They're, they're, they are a pretty... They're a deep team, and all those players, especially Fred Bleed, is like a six-man-of-the-year candidate because he's played really big in some big games. So I'm going to give the edge to the, uh, the Raptors bench easily. You know, not even because we don't know who the Wizards bench really is, but because the Raptors bench has just been superb all season, probably the best bench in the league uh, if you can encompass the entire regular season. Yeah, like the only competitors are the Raptors, uh, not the Raptors, yeah, the Raptors are competing against themselves at this point with the uh, Rockets, but yeah, obviously it's been the Raptors. You can, all six of those players are, yeah, six, like the, they've all been fantastic, and like, I mean actually fantastic, as in like they could all start for the Magic right now and I don't yeah. know, maybe compete for a playoff spot or something. Like it has been unbelievable, and I just love the fact that they all have such random names. It's yeah, such a cool thing. Ben Fleet, Siakam, Aminobi. Oh my gosh. And also, I'm a really big Norman Powell fan, so hopefully you can show up in the playoffs. I'm so curious to see how the how Dwayne Casey treats the bench in the playoffs. I think it's weird because you always hear about how they go to shorter rotations, but I feel like that would work against the Raptors because... Their starters can be so shaky. I feel like it might benefit him to have like a twelve-man lineup instead of like a typical nine or ten. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll just go straight into coaching the coaching matchup. I don't think this is going to be much of a competition for us. We have Dwayne Casey versus uh, Scotty Brooks. Yeah, Scotty Brooks lost all faith twenty twelve when he lost. Like he just got killed by Spolstra, who was also a baby. Oh. So I was going to go the other way. Oh really? Yeah, because uh, I'm really down on Dwayne Casey. Are you really? Wow, I'm really shocked to hear you say that. I personally think Dwayne Casey has been a phenomenal coach this year. I know he's had some really, really bad, you know, he's, he's had some bad showings in recent years. But to me, this year, to me, he showed that he, he kind of, he gave a changed approach. And rather than playing so much isolation through DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, um, he really opened their ball movement and he allowed for much more three-point shooting and they kind of moved up. Uh, and they moved up on defense, too. They're the only team entering the playoffs that's top five in offense and defense. It used to be them and Golden State, but Golden State's defense and offense both dropped uh, you know, in recent weeks. So um, I don't think Scott Brooks really – I feel like to a degree he's also underachieved because I think John Wall and Bradley Beal are 
they're probably the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference, aside from Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And, you know, they've consistently underachieved. He hasn't made the most of Otto Porter, um, his potential. He hasn't made the most of Kelly Oubre's potential. And, obviously, he had a lot of shortcomings when he coached the Thunder. Um, and he, he was thoroughly outcoached in a lot of series back then. Um, so, I, I give the edge to Dwayne Casey just because I feel like he's had an amazing season. And it's... You know, he's, uh, he's even though he, you know, I, I think Brad Stevens and Quinn Snyder are both better coaches than him this year. He's probably going to be up there in the coach of the year discussion, probably finishing second. Uh, or my, he may he may win it, which I don't yeah. should. You know, he's going to be up there. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's the first thing we've disagreed on so far. Yeah, and to be honest, I think this is just a, really, I think the problem here is I don't have much knowledge on either of these guys. So I, I personally, I'm down on Dwayne Casey just because in the, in recent playoff years, I haven't liked at all what I've seen out of him in the hey, playoffs. I think he coaches a lot like uh, Doc Rivers. Just, just oh, because. yeah, that's a good comparison. You're right, he does. He really does. Yeah. He has before, but this season, I've watched a lot of Raptors game in the regular season, so you haven't. You have so. Yeah, and like you it, think he's it, turned it, the corner? Sorry? And you think he's turned the corner? I, I really think he has because I think it's weird this season. He plays like I completely agree with your Doc Rivers comparison. Uh, like that was so accurate, actually. Like I'm, I'm sh- I wouldn't have even thought of that, but yeah, that's a, that's a great point. He really did before, but now I would equate him more to like, like a, I guess like a, like, you know, I'm not really sure who's a really good two way coach in the league. That's I, I guess like Dave Yeager with a good team. Hmm. I can get yeah. behind that. Like something like that. Like I think when you watch them in the playoffs, you'll really see, or you know, who knows? Because the Raptors are so flaky, but. If you were to watch a regular season game, then I think you'd see some stuff that you really like there. Their ball movement is so much more fluid. He plays his bench a lot of minutes now. He, you know, he does, he tries, like, rather than, you know, being so complex and the specific isolation plays, he kind of runs, like, the same set of things to get, like, the same sort of results. Like, he runs stuff for DeMar DeRozan to get to the basket, or he runs stuff for DeMar DeRozan to draw attention, and then for Kyle Lowry to get a three, or you know, for like OG Ananobi to get a dunk or for Fred Van Vliet to hit a corner three. He really gets a lot of guys involved now, which is, I think, why we've seen DeMar DeRozan's, like, he's he plays more openly now. Like, that's why he shoots more threes now, because, you know, Dwayne Casey's system has kind of changed a little bit. Kyle Lowry has been a good three-point shooter this year, you know, even better than in years past because of that. Um, and they're more of a three-point shooting team, three-point shooting team now, which I think, I think that was an important thing for him to realize that the NBA was like, you can't run two really good isolation players and win. You have to shoot threes if you want to win. And they, they took a good step defensively. So I think their I think their rankings, I think they're like top I think they're number three in defense and like number two or four in offense. And they're, not, they're probably not number two in offense. They're probably number four in offense. Yeah. So something like that. But um yeah, they they've impressed me this season. So I think hopefully I, you get to see that in the playoffs, but you know, you never know with the baby dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if if Dwayne Casey can live up to that, then absolutely, I'm all on the Dwayne Casey train. Not not for coach of the year because he has not done the best job, but yeah, absolutely Brad over Scotty Brooks. Should, should win. Brad Stevens or Quinn Snyder. Yeah, and yeah, okay. So if basically that's the case for almost all these positional matchups at this point is just can the Raptors live up to their potential? And yeah, so that's <laughs> that's what I'm most excited to see. Well. But what I'm most excited to see, really, is how the Raptors bench is used, but also are the Raptors actually going to live up to what they've been doing in the regular season? And also, is this series going to even determine that? Because I, I don't know about you, but I don't think the Wizards are even going to be competitive in this series. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think at maximum it's going to be five games just because DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry have an off game like they always do. But what I'm looking forward to most in the series, I really want DeMar DeRozan to step up and establish himself as like 
like clear cut, I am the best damn player in this series. Like I want him to really, I'm not saying he has to go out there and average like 35 or something, but like, I just want him to definitively play better than both John Wall and Bradley Beal and Kyle Lowry for that matter. Like I want him to just, I want him to, I want him to take over the series so that he feels confident going into the next round. So he doesn't choke. Yeah. And, uh, just, I he also, cause he's playing the Sixers in the next round, assuming the Sixers get out of the first round. Um, we'll have to talk about that in a second, obviously, but assuming they play the Sixers in the second round, it's not going to be easy for them to beat them. And I think if you don't have a confident, like solid zeroed into martyrs, I don't think there's a chance that they would beat the Sixers personally, but, um, we'll get to that when we get there. Yeah. And I'll definitely, uh, talk about that point. Cause that's something that I absolutely hate about a lot of the NBA playoff coverage. And wasn't something I've noticed before this year, actually, so I don't know if they regressed or what. But, yeah, just in terms of uh, what the favorite needs to win in this series, it's just not much because they're way better. Don't be a dumpster fire in terms of your performance. And, yeah, that's really all I think. And then what the underdog needs to win, I'll quote this year. The Raptors need to take a massive step back from the regular season to lose, but I still don't see them losing even if that happens. So, yeah, I have Raptors in four, clean sweep. Not a competitive series, and yeah, Wizards are gone, and we move on. Yep. Okay, so uh, our next series, we have the 76ers Heat, and just to address that uh, point from earlier about like uh, just treating the NBA uh, playoffs as too much of a bracket, I know this isn't something you do, but this is something I've been noticing over and over, like NBA coverage for uh, leading up to the playoffs this year, so I just want to address it right now. I think it is a horrible tendency that these uh, guys uh, are, are doing this, especially this year of all years. But, like, there is, like, upset potential all over the place. They're treating it like it's the March Madness, and I really do think it's, like, a March Madness, uh, I don't know what the word is, hangover. And like, it just, because with, with the March Madness bracket, it's a constant yeah, who you're going to face. It's laid out from the beginning, and, like, whoever wins the game that's right next to you, you're playing them. In the NBA playoffs, the one seed, like, obviously 1v8, 2v7, 3v6, 4v5, but in the next round, the first, the top seed remaining plays the lowest seed remaining, and then the two middle seeds play. It is not one v one v eight versus four v five in the next round. It's not three v six versus two v seven, like some people want to say. Obviously, if also if the favorites uh, win, uh, just you know they, uh, what what's the word for it? They uh, go chalk, I believe is how people describe it, just based on like actually writing out brackets. Then obviously that's going to happen. But that doesn't happen that often. Well, yes, that does happen a lot in the NBA playoffs because the NBA playoffs are very predictive. And, like, you can say with, you know, like, a ton of certainty that, like, something like, I, I forget the exact percentage. I think it's, like, 80 or 80 or 85% of the time the favorite wins in the series. But, and obviously, like, 4v5s being the exception to that because, you know, they, they're going to bring down that average. But, yeah. I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I think it's, like, because people get so caught up in the NBA as like as low like all this upset potential as possible but like they're just like it's so definitive like the there's been probably one in the past like i don't like 30 years probably the like uh, i don't want to say 30 years but like since this since the 2000s like i think the only time an eight seed has beaten a one seed was when the we believe warriors beat the well, 2007 mavericks well the only the only time that it really happened because obviously the derrick rose loss didn't really count yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I don't count the 2012 ACL tear. That was tragic. But um, like the only genuine one was that six game series where the Warriors upset the Mavericks in 2007. But like, and and like there are just so many staggering statistics about the favorite team. Like, like I think 80 percent of the time that a game seven is on the home court, it's won by the home team. Like, 
you know, 80, 80, 80% of game sevens are won by the home team. And like, obviously the teams with a three, one lead are like 11 and like, I don't know, like three, you know, 200 something or whatever. And in the finals, obviously like one and 132, um, mm. not 132. Oh, and 32. Sorry. Yeah. Just something ridiculous like that. But you know, like even still with the, and that, especially in this playoffs, there's a lot of potential for upsets. I'm sure we're going to get into them soon. Obviously it hasn't come up yet, but it, it seems like the NBA is starting its coverage off with the fairly predictable series, so we haven't really been able to touch on it. But yeah, if you have something like, say, the in, in the East, the Celtics lose to the Bucks or something, which could easily happen, then you have the Bucks facing the the number one seed, which we're predicting to be the Raptors, and not the whoever wins the four v five matchup. And immediately that changes everything that people are talking about because like everyone's like, oh, the Cavs versus the Raptors. Oh, what's going to happen? What's that second round matchup going to be like? That's in no way a shared thing. Like, you can't look ahead like that in the NBA playoffs. That's absurd. And, like, everyone's doing that for some reason, and it drives me crazy because, like, it makes no sense. It's not realistic, first of all, because, like, I, I think the books have a better chance of, be, yeah, of like, making it to the second round than the Celtics. And, like, it's just, I just don't understand it, really. And, like, it, it just annoys me. Yeah. I don't know. That, that might just be a me thing, but... Yeah, like I just wanted to point that out in case anyone else who's listening to this makes that mistake. Because like it's an honest mistake. You are it is like a March Madness hangover. I think the finals were like two weeks ago. So like it's not it's not like it's that far away from it. And like not everyone is as obsessed about uh, just not playoff structuring, but like just bracket structuring. Like looks up a Swiss style uh, chess uh, systems like me, or just like cares as much about uh, systems. But yeah, like don't don't make the mistake where you assume. I think let, let me just let me just clarify correctly to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Are you saying that if the like because you know that if the if the winner of the one eight series always plays the winner of the four five series, right? No, that doesn't happen. No, that that, that is that that does happen. Are you I'm sure? Reading, I'm reading it right now. It says the four winners advance to the second round of conference semifinals with a matchup between the one eight and four five winners and a matchup between the two seven and three six winners. Did I just make a complete fool of myself? I think I think so. I hate to I hate to have to correct you, Aww. but yeah. Well, I appreciate you correcting me. Four five. I I didn't really understand because I was I wanted no to no kidding. To, I wanted you to finish to make sure that like yeah I understood. But yeah, one eight always plays four five. So like you know the 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 one seed can never play a seed lower than the fifth seed. Okay. Well, let let me change my point then. Yeah. It's it's yeah. BS that we have to have that system. We need it reseeding. If the two seed gets upset by the seven seed, we need them facing uh, the one seed. And oh, the, oh, you're saying yeah, you're saying that you want to team, you want to. No, that's not, that wasn't what I'm saying at all. But it is now. So this because this is what this says. Once the playoffs start, the bracket is fixed. Teams are never reseeded, unlike in the NFL and Major League Soccer, where yeah. the strongest remaining teams face the weakest teams in subsequent rounds. The NBA is the only sport that doesn't do that. Yeah, no, I I, I was just completely wrong. But no, I actually do think that they should change that because. You don't think that that would be a smarter thing if, like, an upset like that would happen? Uh, I think that would. I mean, yeah, I think that would be fine. I don't. I wouldn't have an issue with that at all because I feel like if you worked hard enough in the regular season to get the first seed, then you should have that sort of advantage. Um, yeah. Like to the lowest seed remaining, I feel like you've earned that right by having such a good regular season. So I would support that. But um, you know, just for the sake of the podcast, I wanted to make sure that we were clear that that's. Oh, absolutely! Like if if I if I make that big of a mistake, I want to be called out on it. I don't want people just laughing yeah, yeah, at me I, or whatever. I didn't call you out. I just wanted to. No, absolutely. But, but anyways, yeah. um, 
So uh, yes. moving on to the next series, we got the 76ers Heat, which is going to be an awesome series. I think we're both really excited for this one. Really the first good one in the – it's going to be the one that really carries us through Saturday because aside from that, we obviously have the Raptors, uh, Wizards, and the Warriors, Spurs, and we're both predicting kind of blowouts in those series. So this one's going to be the exciting one, and it starts off with a great matchup at point guard, at least when Goran Dragic comes back. So we'll just assume that he's healthy, even though he's not for like game one. So, Goran Dragic and who? Uh, ben Simmons. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, I had to clarify, yeah. So, Dragic, uh, I, have I, I think it's clear Ben Simmons more versatile. Can't really shoot from the outside, but he can do everything else. Uh, Goran Dragic's only advantage over him would be his three-point shooting, which I don't think is going to be that much of a factor when you consider Ben Simmons' defense, passing, rebounding, and ability to score in the paint, and in the lane for that matter. Um, so, I'm going to have to take Ben Simmons. Yeah, I'm going to take Ben Simmons, too. I... I like Goran Dragic as a player. I think he's a really good scorer. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy about him on defense, and I don't think he's as good of a passer or a rebounder or a defender as Ben Simmons. I frankly don't even think he's as good of a scorer. But I think he's more. It has more dimensions to his game. But just with how good Ben Simmons is at dri driving to the lane, I don't think it matters. Exactly. I, I agree. Yeah. So that's quick. We can move to shooting guard. Yeah, and this one, uh, this one will be a little more interesting, actually. Uh, we have uh, JJ Redick versus Josh Richardson, the uh, new up and comer. That's interesting because uh, this is this is mm, honestly at this point I, I'm going to have to go with Josh Richardson because he's a two way player. He plays good defense and he can shoot where the JJ Redick can just shoot. JJ Redick doesn't really add much to this team in terms of his defensive ability or his versatility. He's really just a spot up shooter to give someone to give Ben Simmons some space and someone to kick it to for threes. Whereas Josh Richardson is legitimately athletic and can actually take it to the rim and make plays at the rim. Uh, and for, you know, and you know, he can make plays at the rim and, you know, from the perimeter because he can shoot the ball. Uh, and he does all that. He's younger. He can play more defense. He's more energetic. So um, even though JJ Redick does have more experience, he's never, I don't think he's ever. Oh, I know he has put in NBA finals actually, but he, he has, the, yeah, yeah. He has some experience, but I mean, I, in terms of, what that'll come to on the court, I'm not really sure. I'm sure he'll be good for his team in the locker room, but I don't really think that he's going to... That's not like I expect J.J. Redick to step up in the clutch for this team or anything, so I'm going to have to go with Josh Richardson. Who do you play in the NBA Finals for? Uh, the Magic, 2009. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Huh. It was Dwight Howard, Jameer Nelson, J.J. Redick, Tito Turkoglu, and... Uh, uh, one other and uh, some other player I can't remember, but it was basically Dwight Howard and four shooters, which yeah. is how they were so su successful. They ended up beating LeBron James that year and route to the play, uh, going five games against the uh, Lakers. Yeah, and I almost want to go back and watch that LeBron James series. Honestly, it must have been really interesting to see. And <laughs> yeah, like I, I knew about Hito Dirk because you know he's just a fun guy to say, but uh, a fun name to say. But yeah, no, uh, apparently JJ Redick was on that team and. I don't think this one is a contest, to be honest, because obviously we, we've talked about how J.J. Redick has the Sammy Haynes problem. His arms are really short. Like he, he literally has a wingspan of six feet, and that would be okay if he was facing a shooting guard that like was similarly uh, arm-challenged, but Josh Richardson has a wingspan of 6'10". So you're literally talking about a 10-inch uh, differential in terms of just being able to shoot the ball, like get the ball up, and like so that's massive. Even on like just uh, drive, moving around on the on the basketball court, it's going to be hard to get passes off against Josh Richardson. And honestly, I'm wondering if Brett Brown is just going to have to sit JJ Redick or bring him off the bench because it's yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. 
You might, you might, even though Markel Fultz can't shoot, or actually, you know, I'm not sure. Or, uh, I feel like they have someone on their bench that they could start. Okay. Well, well you could start like uh, Marco Bellinelli or something just because he's bigger. Yeah. Well, even still, I don't think Bellinelli's as good as Josh yeah, Richardson. Yeah, because yeah. like defensively, yeah. Like, they aren't as short. Yeah. And like Josh Richardson, he has been a great defender for the, the Heat this year. Like he's really been anchoring them. And, like, he's one of the reasons that, like, this is one of the best defensive teams in the playoffs, even though nobody is giving him credit for for that right now, just because there's better defensive teams. But, you know, like, they are a really strong team defensively, and I'm fascinated to see how that gels uh, with the 76ers. But we'll move on to a small forward where we have uh, Robert Covington versus uh, James Johnson. Oh, this is interesting um, because they're kind of similar players, I feel like. But I'm going to give the edge to Robert Covington. I think he's a little bit younger. I think uh, he's a little bit uh, – I think he's a better defender. Uh, I think he's one of the reasons that Philadelphia is second-best defensive team in basketball this season. Um, so uh, they, he, he can shoot the three. He can play really good defense. He's the ideal 3 and D player, whereas I think James Johnson is a little bit more of a contributor defensively. He's definitely a grinder, but uh, I just I like Robert Coving I like Robert Covington more in his role because I feel like Robert Covington's teammates, such as Joel Embiid passing out of the post, Ben Simmons giving it to him, you know, from with good passes on the perimeter. I think Robert Covington's team will utilize him to the point that he'll be a better player in the series than James Johnson. So for that reason, I'll take Robert Covington. Okay, uh, and I'm going to be honest. For this one, I don't know the either of these players well enough to say anything about them. So I'm just going to. I know off. Robert Covington pretty well. Um, he's he's pretty young too. He's like 25, six, I think. Oh, okay. And obviously, yeah. all the Heat players are young, aside from Dwayne Wade and uh, Udonis Haslam. <laughs> Udonis Haslam, the yeah. savior of Miami Heat. Yeah, so I'm just going to take your word for that on the small forward, and we'll move on to the power forwards, where I know a little more about these guys. you got a power forward, uh, Dario Saric and Kelly Olynyk. Uh, I'm going to go with Dario Saric. I don't think Kelly Olynyk has ever made that stride uh, to being the next Dirk Nowitzki, as many people called him, for being white, tall, and being able to shoot. Wow. So... I've never heard that um, one. I have. I heard that one. I've heard that one a lot. A lot of people thought Kelly Olynyk would be like the next Dirk because he had like long blonde hair and was white and seven feet tall and could shoot the three. Wow. But Kelly Olynyk has really never added anything else to his game. I think the only highlights of his career are breaking Kevin Love's shoulder. I was and, about to say, yeah. Yeah, he dislocated Kevin Love's shoulder a couple years ago, and he can shoot some threes. But uh, he, I mean, just. I would have to go charge. I think he's more fundamentally sound. I think he's more skilled. I think his team will utilize him better. I think he's better defensively, even though he's not a great defender. Uh, he's a, he seems to be a smart player, as a lot of foreign players are, so I'm going to give the edge to Dario. Yeah, I agree. I think Kelly Linick is a subpar power forward in a league that is completely starved of power forwards. I don't think he's a good center either, so that's not really supporting him. And I, I'm not crazy about Dario Sarge, to be honest. I think he's a good plug-and-play player, but he, yeah, maybe he's if not he, a star or anything. Yeah, like maybe he, he obviously has potential because he's pretty young, but we'll, we'll see with him. He was like in the top four uh, players in the 76ers, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can turn into. Yeah, he would have been the rookie of the year last year, too, if it weren't for Brogdon and uh, Embiid. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so and that would be uh, a power forward. Then we can move on to center for this. We'll just assume Joel Embiid's healthy because I think he's going to come back for game two or three. Yep. It's a fun, fun matchup. I like this one. Hassan and Hassan and Whiteside and Joel Embiid. Yes. Uh, I I love Joel Embiid as a player. He's probably going to be my favorite player once I'm loyal to the soil with Dirk Nowitzki. But after he retires, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to 
shift over to having Joel Embiid as my favorite player. Okay. But I'm gonna, I, I love Joel Embiid. I love the way that he can play in the post. I love that he's a great defender. Um, if not for Rudy Gobert, I think he'd be the defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, he's really, really good. Even though he doesn't block as many shots as he did his rookie year, it's like it's just he's always in the right spot. And I'll send you a clip when I get a chance. I just have to find it again. There's a there's one clip of Joel Embiid like he switches to like four different players and he just completely takes over a possession defensively and he just completely alters it. It's insane. I, I love his, I love his ability defensively. Um, I love the fact that he can shoot the three. I love that he can play in the post. He's extremely skilled in the post. I, I remember last year people were putting side by side like like they're putting side by side videos of him and Hakeem Olajuwon doing the dream shake and it was identical. Um, he's so skilled. I think that he's just more talented than Hassan White said. He's a better scorer. Uh, he's a better passer. Hassan Whiteside is definitely, I think, a, he's a better shot blocker, but I don't think that makes him a better defender. I, I think Hassan Whiteside is a little bit better of a rebounder, but I'm going to give the advantage to Joel Embiid because he can do everything. I, I think he can do everything that Hassan can do and a little bit more. So I also don't think Hassan Whiteside has, he still doesn't really have any defined offensive skills. So, okay. For those reasons, I'll take, I'll take Embiid. Yeah, uh, I agree. I was going to make a, ca a case for why, I, if this was any other center, I would have to make a case for why Hassan Whiteside hasn't been living up to his potential this season. He's really regressed, and now like yeah. he's just been underperforming overall. But frankly, it doesn't matter. Joel Embiid has been this good this season. Like He's been a top-five center in the league. His defense has been awesome, as you said. Uh, he's His offense has been awesome as well. He's just been a fantastic passer. It's so much fun to see him shoot freeze, and it just being seven free, and like just, he's just sauntering up to the line, and like just ba bam, and like then he shoots a free, and, and that's always fun to see, and like just yeah. uh, seeing him even do the post up against other centers, where like you know he's seven free, so like he's got like a whole uh, two inches on most centers, some even more if like it's someone like uh, Taj Gibson, and yeah, like it's just fascinating to watch him play, and I, I agree, he's one of the most fun up and coming uh, players in the league. Yeah, he's, he's a lot of fun. I like him a lot. So, moving to the bench then, right? Yeah, so I'll just uh, read off both teams' uh, bench. So, uh, for the 76ers, I have Amir Johnson, the former uh, Raptors guy. I never thought he would leave the team, to be honest. Uh, TJ McConnell, Marco Bellinelli, and then just as a nice little shout-out, Ursan Ilyasova, even though he <laughs> sucks. <laughs> just had to give him a call out there. And then for the Heat, I have Tyler Johnson, uh, Ben Adebayo, uh, Justice Winslow, who has been underperforming this season, but he was a name I recognized, and uh, Dwayne Wade. Okay, this is going to be, I'm not, I I would give the slight, slight, slight edge to the Heat's bench, Yeah. just because I know Dwayne Wade is, like, he really, really can, he really steps it up in the playoffs. I remember two years ago in 2016 when people were just like, oh, like, that, that was Dwayne, like, Dwayne Wade had an okay, like, that was his first real season of, like, regression. It was, I think, the second year after LeBron left. Um, and people were like, you know, he only averaged, I think, 18 points a game. And people were like, oh, like, you know, it's like, he's old now. It's Dwayne Wade. And then, and that, and that, uh, and he, that was, like, a really bad year for him shooting the three. And then the playoffs came. And he took them to seven games against the Hornets. And even though they were a three seed, it was a pretty competitive series. Because I think they were, you know, they were only a couple games back of them. So people thought it would be a competitive series. It went to, it went to seven games. Dwayne Wade completely took over that series, and he became he became extremely hot from the three point line. He was hitting all sorts of three point jump shots, and everyone was like, "Whoa, that's that's crazy!" Like Dwayne Wade can't shoot threes. And then in the second round against the Raptors, a lot of people believed that he was gonna you know beat the Raptors in that seventh game. But then you know the Raptors narrowly escaped that one. 
Um, and I think they would have. If I, I don't know if you you remember this, but in 2016 in Game One with the Heat playing the Raptors, uh, Kyle Lowry was able to tie that game and send it to overtime with half. Like he chucked the ball from half court and he tied the game and sent it to overtime. And then I think the Heat ended up losing Game One. So if Kyle Lowry had missed that heave, I think there's a good chance that Dwayne Wade and the Heat would have won that series and played Cleveland in the conference finals, which would have been interesting. Um, because obviously, you know, LeBron has struggles against Miami. Yeah. So I'm gonna give the, strictly because of Dwayne Wade, I'm gonna give the edge to uh, to the Heat bench. Yeah, for me, this just come because I'm a, really not a fan of uh, Amir Johnson. Didn't like him on the Raptors. Really didn't like him on the Celtics. Uh, so like, I I don't consider him a factor. Obviously, Urson wasn't a factor. He was just he was just Urson, Yeah, he, he had one. He had one or two. He's recent too. Him and Marco Bellinelli have been added. I think like two, three weeks ago. And, yeah. They had a couple good games, but he's Marco just a, only had like two really good games. He had like twenty five one game and then like thirty another game. But yeah, he's just a fun throw out. And like for for me, uh, TJ McCollum, I think not to TJ McCollum, uh, TJ McConnell. I think he's been about as good as Tyler Johnson this season. Like McConnell's good, but Tyler Johnson is really good as well. And not a lot of people know about him because you know, like not a lot of people know Heat players just because like they're kind of no names. He's yeah. been really good off the bench. He's been doing a lot of six man six manning for them. So. It's been good for them. Uh, Bell and L- shooter, so, you know. Yeah, and then I just feel like uh, Dwayne Wade is a lot better than Marco Bellinelli off the bench, and then Edebayo is only a benefit for them. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to get into coaches, and this one should be uh, uh, taking them out to the slaughter, really. I don't think either of us are crazy about Brett Brown, but I know we both like Eric Spolstra as a coach. Yeah, I think it's definitely Spolstra. I, he's just he's done for not, like, the fact that, Last season, he took a team that was 11-30 and 30 and got them to finish 41-41. and 41 Incredible. Just out of the playoffs. That was absurd. I, I Even though he didn't make the playoffs, I was like, damn, he should get some Coach of the Year votes. Like, yeah, me serious. too. Um, but I love Spolstra. I just think that he, he as even, like, I've always thought he was a great coach. Like, the fact that, he, like, he was a baby coach when he was coaching LeBron, and he managed all that. He managed having LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh on one team, took them to the finals four consecutive times. And then, you know, he missed the playoffs the first year LeBron left, but then he was able to bring them back the next year. And then, you know, um, even, you know, through Dwayne Wade's absence, he was able to push that team from going 11 and 30 to, you know, 41 and 41, like I said. And, you know, this year he's been able to kind of take, he got Dwayne Wade back now. And, you know, I just think that he's done a pretty good job getting them to a secure spot, uh, you know, in a, a comfortable position because they really could have finished anywhere. They could have finished 6 2 if, you know, things had worked out a little bit differently. But, yeah. Um, you know, I think in the brief, there was a brief period where they were at four, but then, you know, they slipped a little <laughs> yeah. bit. So um, I, I think it's Brett Brown is just kind of like, it, it, I feel like it's just kind of like he, he happened to be the coach when they started the process. And now it's like he's, he should be the coach that's there for the process. You know, I don't really, I don't really give too much into him. Like, I'm, I feel like he probably just had, I pretty, I feel like he has good defensive schemes, but on offense, I truly feel like he just kind of lets them like, He's like, oh, Ben Simmons, like, just play point guard and give yeah. it to Joel, and you guys just take turns. Yeah, just be creative. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, I really feel like he doesn't really run anything offensively. So uh, I think Brett Brown is a good defensive coach, but Spolster is amazing on both ends. Yeah, uh, same thing for me. And uh, Eric Spolstra, this isn't something we've ever talked about, but I actually think he has a good chance to uh, break the NBA wins record for a head coach just because he got started so young. And for some reason in the NBA, that just doesn't happen ever. that often that coaches start when they're 37 or 38 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're saying like if he coaches for like 30 years, yeah. he, 
and he's yeah, the Miami Heat are a good franchise. The thing is though, what I what I might think though, I feel like Pat Riley might be grooming Eric Spolster to take over as president of the team when Pat Riley steps down and is too old. So maybe he won't be a coach anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll step up to being a front office guy. But I hope for the sake of his, you know, I because Pat Riley was a coach and then became you know the front office guy. But I hope Spolster stays in coaching because. You know, with more consistency and with more good players, like if he gets into the draft a couple of years and gets some good players, he could kind of be like the next Popovich. But yeah, because it only takes like twenty. Yeah, and it only takes like twenty five years to break the wins record. So I mean, yeah. like that's not that that's not crazy long. Forty two, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. But. And like obviously, <laughs> obviously, you got a great start with that Heat dynasty. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's already got, he's already got two rings. So. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think the? And this is not like the first time this is actually going to be interesting. But what, what do you think the favorite, the 76ers, the free seed, needs to do to win this series? Uh, well, I think the Sixers just kind of need to not get. You know, they they need to not get complacent. They need to not think that their 16 game win streak means anything because they only beat three teams that had winning records, which is something that no one talks about when talking about the 16 game winning streak that they're on. Uh, they just need to not get overwhelmed with the fact that it's the playoffs. Their young players need to come and calm down and, you know, not, not really give in to any of this, like, playoff pressure or anything like that. And most importantly, they need to get Joel Embiid back for Game 2 or Game 3 at latest. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But my, my big thing is uh, don't let the young Heat players get hot, especially the guards and small forwards. Like, like if, you mean, like, Tyler Johnson and Jason, or, uh, Josh Richardson and stuff? Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, you said Tower Johnson, and like especially those two, and also uh, let me see, uh, Drogic when he comes back, he can get hot, and obviously if you let Olenek uh, start making a budget freeze, you're just screwing up on defense. Like yeah. th- this is a Heat yeah. team that can run you out of the building if they get super hot, and like uh, as you would uh, guess from their name, and yeah, like they play really good defense, uh, just like the 76ers. I think that's personally, personally, I think that's just going to offset each other. So like it's just going to come down to who plays better offensively in the series, and. Yeah, like if, yeah. if the 76ers get lax and the rookies and the sophomores from the Heat get hot, they could be in some trouble. Yeah, I think what the Heat would need to do to win this series is just kind of slow the pace down so that the 76ers can't, they can't do all that, like, because they're a really good three-point shooting team with, you know, they, they have some, like, they've got Robert Covington, they've got J.J. Redick, they've got Dario Sharks, they've got Joel Embiid, they've got Marco Bellinelli, they've got Ursan Eliasova, every single one of those players can shoot threes, so when you surround Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with those two players, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a... It, they're a really good three-point shooting team. So I think what Miami needs to do is kind of slow the pace down and not and get them to play more in a half-court thing, which I think they're capable of doing because, like you said, they can run you out of the gym. So I think as long as they're really fast getting buck on defense, have really good transition defense, don't allow that much in uh, full court uh, and you know limit transition opportunities. And um, I think what what will be important for them is to just have Hassan. Like, you really need to have Hassan Whiteside in there for every minute that Joel Embiid is playing because – if Joel Embiid is guarding anybody else, he's just going to completely destroy them. Hassan Whiteside at least has some sort of chance of defending him because he's, you know, he's also big and he's a good rim protector. So <clears throat> I think uh, it's just going to be important for Spolster to outcoach Brett Brown, which I think he's capable yeah. of doing for them to win Should the series. Happen. But um, ultimately, I, I'm probably going to go just because of sheer talent. I'm I'm going to go with the the Sixers in six games. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, my X factor is Embiid. Eh, not Embiid. Sorry. Uh, I think he's obviously going to be good. Uh, Hassan Whiteside. If Hassan Whiteside can uh, return to uh, last season's form, not this regular season, the season before, where he was a really good rim protector and like he was getting all the blocks, if he can affect Joel Embiid and make it so like Ben Simmons is questioning to if he should pass into the post and 
and let AMB just do his thing, I think that would be huge for the Heat, because right now they have to do something about that Ben Simmons to Joel Embiid co uh, connection. If that's not fixed at all, they're not winning this series. So, like, that's my big thing. If Sam Whiteside's good, the Heat have a good chance. If he's not, then it's going to be really hard to be competitive here. And my prediction, I have uh, 76ers in six games or seven games, depending on if that happens or not. I think the 76ers have more talent, as I said. And personally, I don't think that the... Like, this is a big thing for, like, me and young players, but I don't think they can play consistently. I can imagine Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, and even, like, Goran Dragic, who I lump into it even though he's, like, 30 years old. To, I, I think they can have, like, one or two good games, but I don't think they can play fantastic over the entire series. And as I said, the defense offsets itself, and I think Ben Simmons and Joel and Beat are more uh, consistent with how they play. Yeah, and uh, before we move on to the next playoff series, you mind if I take a bathroom break? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll uh, talk about the... Yeah, just the playoffs and our expectations going in. So uh, I was thinking about, so I was thinking about uh, what we were gonna t talk about in like actual games because like Arad and I, our big thing is gonna be we're watching all of the NBA uh, playoff games. Personally, I don't know how big of a deal it is to him that we're doing that, but for me, it's a huge thing because every year I, for like the past three or four years, I've tried to do that, and every year I fail in the first round, and it's super embarrassing. The farthest I've ever gotten was three games left in the first round. You know, like, I got to, like, the, this was last year, and I got to, like, the Jazz Clipper, the seventh game of the Jazz Clipper series, and I just got burnt out, and, yeah, it, it was hard. Uh, biggest thing's going to be uh, keeping uh, keeping pace with the games. Right now, I think, I, I'm feeling okay about it for games one and two. I'm just concerned what's going to happen in game three, four, and five, and because, like, I was really enjoying that uh, Timberwolves uh, Nuggets game, as I was saying. That was an awesome game. And like I, I don't think we did it service talking about it for only 20 minutes. That was a fantastic game, man. The Nuggets played their butts off and actually played competitive defense. So that was a big thing. But yeah, like the factors we're going to be doing, we're going to take notes for every game. Not not like crazy notes. Like not not like me on Mob Psycho 100. You guys know me taking crazy notes on that. Did 11 note, 11 pages of notes on it. Hopefully it was worth it for that monologue that you got on it. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, go check out my. Uh, Episode with uh, Andrew, uh, where we talked about uh, reviewing anime. That was good. But, yeah, like, the big things that we're going to be looking at are who had the best performance in each game, who had the surprise performance, because, you know, like, with a lot of these teams, and we were just talking about the Heat, like, you can have a player who surprises. Maybe Justice Winslow goes off for, like, 20 points. Who knows? Uh, best defensive, and that goes into a best defensive performance and best defensive play. And what I, when I thought about that, and like what I really had in my mind was uh, when we were watching that uh, Timberwolves uh, Rockets game uh, a couple of podcasts ago, and like we were watching Derrick Rose play, and like we were uh, bashing Derrick Rose, especially me, because I was concerned that he was going to take too many minutes from uh, Tyus Jones. But he played fantastic defense. And, like that wasn't something I expected at all. And we both really enjoy watching defense, so that's something that we definitely want to pay attention to. And then outside of that, I also have a category for uh, best play. So like just best individual play. I imagine for most games it's going to be a dunk, but I don't know. Maybe we'll have like a Sam Whiteside block or something. Maybe a, a really cool assist like that one LeBron James had through uh, like two players' legs. That'd be really cool. And yeah, that's really that. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, personally, the series I'm looking forward to watching the most probably is that 76ers Heat series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But also the Jazz Thunder series that we're going to be talking about later. Obviously, I'm a I am a big uh, Rudy Gobert fan, as you all know, and I'm really curious to see how he matches up with A, Steven Adams, and also how he's able to uh, lock Russell Westbrook out of the paint. I, I saw a really interesting statistic the other day that uh, 
and by the other day, I mean today, <laughs> that uh, Russell Westbrook, he drives to the paint on 35% of plays and just in every game, like that's over the course of the season. When he's facing Rudy Gobert, he only drives 15% of the time. So obviously that's huge for a player like Russell Westbrook where you don't really trust his perimeter shooting. So that that's that. Uh, let me... Uh, Ooh, I'm back. Oh, cool. I was just about to go in through uh, some of my other topics just to fill time. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. Yes. Okay, so uh, next series we have is the Trailblazers Pelicans. This one's going to be really fun as most of the West series are outside of the ones involving the one and two seed. So I guess we'll just get straight into things. Uh, we have a matchup that shouldn't be too hard to pick, but has a really interesting player on both sides. We have Damian Lillard and Drew Holiday. Uh, are you bringing Rajon Rondo off the bench? Uh, yeah, I'm bringing him off the bench. Okay. So uh, Damian Lillard, uh, Drew Holiday is a better two-way player, but I just don't think that he can match all of what Damian Lillard does from a scoring, three-point shooting, and you know, taking over the game in the you know in clutch situations and. Uh, also, uh, playmaking. I think they're about the same. I, I Drew Holiday might be a little bit better, but I think Damian Lillard just plays with more shooters. Um, so, and he, he has like a he has like a legitimate running mate who can he can always just give it to to get some buckets for him. CJ McCollum, whereas Drew Holiday would kind of have to rely on you know Anthony Davis in the post, which you know sometimes he chooses to pass it off, which you know sometimes can be uh, you know sometimes will, will obviously not result in an assist. So I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take Damian Lillard. Yeah, I, I will as well. You know, I like uh, Drew Holiday a lot as a point guard. I think I he always seen, is one of those players that has a ton of potential and just never really turns the corner. Uh, this season, he kind of engaged on it a little bit, but that was mostly just Anthony Davis doing the leg work to get him as good of a seat as he did in the playoffs. Uh, Damian Lillard, obviously, you can't count on him for any defense. Can't really count on it for Drew Holiday either, so that's not really a factor. But offensively, he's a top five point guard. There's not much of a contest uh, outside of that. Like, I mean, what, you got Steph Curry, you got him, Kyrie if you want to, Chris Paul, and then, yeah, really Damian Lillard. So that that's obviously a huge factor, one of the best three-point shooters in the league still, especially from uh, super deep, so that's a big thing. Not as good as LeBron James, apparently, but, yeah. yeah 54% from 28 feet and beyond. Yeah, but obviously that's in a smaller sample size. Yes, of course. And so I have Damian Lord as well, so we'll just get into the next one, which should be pretty obvious as well. Shooting guard, I have C.J. McCollum versus our, our good buddy, each one more. I'm going to have to... Um, I'm going to have to take uh, C.J., obviously. I think he's just... What? Each one more. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just... Uh, my cousin knows him, actually. Oh, wow. That's awesome. They went to Purdue together. But... Uh, yeah, each one more just uh, he has it. I mean, he can make corner threes, but I've seen him airball some critical shots. So I'm gonna have to take CJ. I really like CJ McCollum. He's not much. He's obviously not a much of a defender because he's very undersized. But I like his game. I, I feel like he could legitimately be a starting point. Like I feel like he could be like Damian Lillard light if he was on a different team because he's a small guard who could probably play, play point guard because of his ball handling ability. Like he's literally just like Damian Lillard except he can't shoot from as deep. Um, so. I, I would take CJ comfortably. Yeah, like I, I wish he could uh, develop more of a game in the paint. Like he could just become a better uh, driving uh, guard because I think yeah. that's something important for him. And like when I first saw him, I you know, like saw his measurables. I'm like, oh, this is a small forward. But no, he doesn't play like a small forward at all. He plays like a, a point guard that you know, can shoot occasionally and yeah, really just takes up space. He, he's good at spacing and like he's 
he's a decent defender. Would, would you say he's a better defender than McCollum? Uh, you talk more. I, I think I would say so. Yeah. But he's a little bit bigger, I think, so. Yeah, I'll be, and that's my big thing with him. I think he has potentials just based on his measurable, but, and measurables, but, yeah, like, he needs to do a lot of developing, and really, I think if the Pelicans were to uh, start him at shooting guard in this series, it would just be to get him some experience, because I, I don't think they really expect to uh, go too far in the playoffs this year. Yeah, obviously, DeMar losing DeMarcus Cousins was a horrible blow to their uh, chances, but yeah, like that's my thing with each one more. So obviously, CJ McCollum is much better, and can't wait to see that uh, combination. That's going to be really interesting to see in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I like I, I like CJ a lot. I just I've seen him do some big things against the Warriors a couple times. He's there are only three players in NBA history who have scored fifty points in three quarters or less, and it's Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard, and CJ McCollum. So uh, the fact that the Blazers have both of those guys is a huge advantage. Yeah. So uh, this ne this next one's going to be interesting because it's the battle of the no names. You have uh, Al Farouk Aminu, uh, famous for uh, being the Clippers' uh, really stand-in for whenever they could actually get a small forward, and then we have Darius Miller, who uh, you might not believe is actually going to start. But I went through the roster; it looks like they don't have any better small forward. They don't. I've seen Darius Miller quite a bit, much more than I would have liked to. Yeah. Uh, better than Solomon Hill, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No um, kidding. <laughs> Darius Miller can shoot some threes, and, but I mean, that's that's it. I, I don't really know whether or not he can play defense. I haven't watched enough Pelicans games, but um, I'll take Alfu Gaminu. I recognize him more. I, I understand that he he's really hot and cold from the three-point line, Like, but he, all I've really seen him do is shoot threes. I, I don't know whether or not he's a good defender either. Yes, he he, he's like famous he, for being a free I he was. Yeah. So I'll take Alfu Gaminu just because I know that he's a 3 and D player. And he's, he's quite big, I think, for a small forward uh, from when I've watched him. Yeah, like I, I originally thought he was a power forward, to be honest, but yeah. he's a small forward. And my last name is Faruqi. His name is Al Farouk, so yeah. I'll go with That's a nice connection. And yeah, like I, I know absolutely nothing about Darius Miller. I'll take your word for it that he doesn't produce much because I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're both Al Farouk on that one. Yeah, not even an interesting name. But uh, this next one's interesting, because I'm serious, I, I'm serious, I'm curious to see where you go on this one, because I might have a controversial pick. We have Ed Davis versus Nikola Miritich. Wow. Um, Ed Davis, it's, it's weird because they have such contrasting styles. Yeah. Uh, Ed Davis is strictly defensive, and Nikola Miritich is strictly offensive. But uh, Nikola Miritich just shaved his beard, and he's done a really, really good job Uh playing with Anthony Davis just because Anthony Davis plays more inside and he's really he's a pretty good outside shooter, Nikola Mirotic. He can shoot it from pretty deep too. So while I would probably take Ed Davis in a one on one, like in terms of like who I would rather have, uh, just in terms of their situations, I feel like Nikola Mirotic is more important to the Pelicans and for that reason I would take him. Also because I don't think Ed Davis has a game that you can really adapt that much to the modern NBA because he really doesn't shoot jumpers at all. He just kinda plays defense and Scores sometimes at the rim, so I'll take Nikola Mirotic for the three-point shooting factor. And given how well he plays next to Anthony Davis, because he's had some really good games. I think he put uh, thirty points on the Warriors. Um, so you know he he's shown that he can he can play even when another team's defense is pretty good. So I'll go with Nikola Mirotic. Yeah, for for me, uh, I also go with Nikola Mirotic. It's it's close, but because I think Ed Davis is a fantastic defender on the Pelicans, and I think he's been one of the reasons their defense has held together as well as it has, along with Aminu and uh, Nurkic, obviously. 
Like, he's been the glue that's allowed their uh, defense to be so team-heavy because, like, they can switch Aminu and Ed Davis and Nurkic on any player on the court, and they're fine. And that's been yeah. massive for them. They have great they spacing. Have court. You're right. Oh, yeah. And, like, that's he's been awesome on defense. So there's that, but I agree with you. He has no offensive game. And the biggest thing that uh, swings this one is Miritich is an average defender. He's above average on offense. You can count on Miritich to get some frees, get some great drives to the lane, uh, do some beard uh, salesmanship. And, yeah, like he's... Shave it, though. Oh, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do now. Maybe he can get, like, a fake beard or something. <laughs> yeah, he was a completely different guy. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Usually they do, like, the playoff beard. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Center of then is, what, AD and uh, Nurkic? Yeah. Yeah, Anthony Davis. I mean, I this is maybe maybe a lot of people might not agree with this because I just think Anthony Davis has been one of the least fortunate players just in terms of injuries and the fact that he's been surrounded by complete and utter garbage for so long. Like his, oh, yeah. There have been multiple, 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 multiple games where his second and third best players have literally been Solomon Hill and Darius Miller and Quincy Pondexter is the oh, fourth option. I forgot like, about him, yeah. Pondexter. Yeah, like, he, Drew Holiday has spent so much time Boogie towards like he just has the worst luck in terms of his injuries and his teammates' injuries. Like he's he like he's literally his like his most reliable teammate has literally been Solomon Hill. Um and then you've got like Alexis Ajinsa and like <laughs> just and Omer Ashik for the longest time, like all these just off god awful NBA players. Um like borderline NBA players. So um <laughs> I I love A D. I think A D is I, I truly believe that he is one of the only players in the league that's capable of being the best player on a championship team. I think it's like Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, and like, you know, maybe you can squeeze in like James Harden, given how he, you know, we'll see this year, I guess. But Anthony Davis, I just think his, if you if you put him in any sort of, Comp- like if you put him in any sort of decent situation, like if you put Anthony Davis on the current Celtics with like Al Horford, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I legitimately think that they could be a championship contender. Um, and then with experience and time, obviously they'd be a championship favorite. But because uh, you know, I think Anthony Davis. Because I was just thinking about this actually. Um, Anthony Davis, I think he is a little bit better than Demarcus Cousins because like. I, I personally believe that if, if if the roles had been reversed and Anthony Davis had tore his Achilles and been out for the remainder of the season, I don't think that Demarcus Cousins would have been able to lead the Pelicans to the playoffs. I agree. I don't think that he has much of a he doesn't have the defensive like ability. He doesn't have the ability to carry a team on defense the same way. And while he is a little bit more skilled offensively in terms of the passes that he can make and is a little bit better of a three point shooter, I don't think that it's it, it's of that much of a difference to that he could carry the team to the playoffs. Uh, Anthony Davis is just more well-rounded in terms of offense and defense, whereas Boogie is all offense. So, um, <clears throat> and the, I mean, I like Yusuf Nurkic. I think he's a good defensive player, but I don't think he carries that much uh, on offense other than playing around the rim. And he was recently body bagged by LeBron James on a monstrous dunk a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to have to go with Anthony Davis pretty easily. Well, that's what happens to Nurkic. I, I think he leads the league in uh, just getting smacked in the face or whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, he gets he gets hit a lot. I've seen some. I have Carmelo Anthony hit him in the face. LeBron James hit him in the face. Ennis Canner hit him in the face. Like, yeah, it's so. it, it's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, obviously AD <laughs> AD is a fantastic player. He's one of the best centers in the league, and that's with being one of the youngest as well. He's just a fantastic around the rim. He's fantastic on the perimeter. He's fantastic in the mid range. He's fantastic on defense. 
there's not much he can't do, honestly. He's essentially carried this team to the playoffs. You know, like, honestly, I don't know how he's done it, to be honest. I Obviously, of course, I haven't watched a single Pelican game, but, like, I'm so fascinated to see how he does it in the playoffs because I, I just don't know how he does it with this team. Like, the, it, it, it's an okay team, but it's not a playoff caliber team, aside from Anthony Davis, and it's incredible. Yeah, I think he was fortunate that DeMarcus Cousins got injured at a point in the year when they still had a lot of wins. Yeah. So that, you know, he had something to at least build off of, and they kind of had something to rally around. But um, I think Alvin Gentry has done a good job coaching. He's done a decent job. He's, he's put his players in the right spots. He's put Drew Holiday in, a, in a, you know, to maximize his ability. He's let Rajon Rondo maximize his ability. Because I know, yeah, I know we just said that Drew Holiday would sort of point guard, but I think the lineup they're actually running it. I think they're going Ron, Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, uh, Darius Miller. Uh, uh, would you just say it? They're power forward. Uh, Miritich. Uh, Nicole Miritich and Anthony Davis. I think that's the five-man lineup they're running. So, um, you know, I, they've done a good job. I like the Pelicans a lot. Um However, you know, obviously we'll get to the prediction in a minute after we get to the bench and coaching, but there's only so far I think they can go. Yeah, I, I agree. And, yeah, like I almost feel bad for Nurkic that I have to say that he's the second best center in the series because he's had a fantastic year. And, like, he's been one of the yes, biggest. he has had an underrated year, I will say. Yeah, like, I, I, I would not feel bad about saying that he's been a top five center this year. And I know there's a lot of competition with him there, but I yeah, think... Yeah, I think it would be probably what it'd be like. There'd be Embiid, or not in order. It would be Embiid, Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, and go, then after those three... We'll go Bear. they go Bear and then him, yeah. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. Because like, like, hey, I would have to exclude Boogie, because I think he's, yeah. he's missed a fair... And, and Porzingis, because of that, too. Yeah, but he's a, he tore his ACL as well, so... Yeah. yeah, which is... Yeah, I was saying in the same way as Cousins, but... Yeah, like, it's incredible that he can even be that good, considering that he was, like, a borderline bench player with the Nuggets just a year ago before he got traded. And yeah, they, they did a good job maximizing his role. He really gave them some help. Yeah, and, like, just in the past couple of years, there hasn't been a better example. Uh, obviously, Oladipo, who we'll get to later, but there hasn't been a better example of a player getting traded to a team and just turning it to a whole new level. And <coughs> I'd, be, I'd be really curious to, like, read, an art, uh, read, like, an interview with him or something, just what really changed for him in uh, Portland. Yeah. Yes, so, that's absolutely then, fascinating. The bench now. Yes. So, honestly, I'm not crazy about this uh, Trailblazers bench. I, I think all of these players suck on it, but I'm just going to read them out. So you have uh, Mr. Overpaid Evan Turner. Yep. Then you have, and then you have the I'm still in UConn, uh, Shabazz Napier. Yep. Then you have uh, Maurice Harkless. I uh, oh. he he might be okay. Maybe. Yeah. And then yes. you have uh, you have Noah Vonley, who uh, you know. The only one of those players I like is Mo Harkless. Yeah, me too. Okay. And the Pelicans is what Rondo. Uh, Emeka Okafor, uh, Tony Allen, Omer Ashik. And Ian Clark and Dante Cunningham. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna take the Pelicans bench just because I like Rondo. I mean, a lot of people don't like him, but I think he's still a fantastic playmaker. He had 25 assists pretty recently. That's the highest assist game in the NBA this season. Yeah, he plays really well in the pick and roll and giving the ball to Anthony Davis in good situations. They play really well together. They have good chemistry, and Anthony Davis really likes him. I think Anthony Davis looks to him for kind of like a locker room leadership because. You know, uh, Rajon Rondo is an extremely intelligent player, and he has a lot of playoff experience. Um, he only, before before it was cool. Rajon Rondo was extremely close to averaging a triple double in the 2009 playoffs. He averaged like 
19, he had 17 points, 9.7 uh, rebounds, and 9.9 assists. So, um, you know, he's a really good uh, – because I think he was probably the best triple-double threat in the league prior to you know, Westbrook obviously going crazy with it. Um, huh. that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, he, he really – he was fantastic at getting triple-doubles. Um, I think he's he's pretty uh, – he's pretty. if you look at, onto the all-time list, I feel like he might be up there. Oh, wow. Um, you know, but obviously now it's gone crazy because, like, LeBron had 13 last year and, you know, 17 this year. And Yeah, that's amazing know. that, that – like, it has just been going off the charts the past couple of years because there's no reason it should have. Yeah, it really just kind of came out. I feel like it just kind of came up like, oh, one second, Ryan. Yeah, sure thing. Well, just on the point, like, you, you can't say, like, it's pace of game or anything because uh, obviously Oscar Robertson played in the, in the season when, like, it was, like, 20 points per game uh, faster than, like, not 20 points per game, like, 20 uh, points per 100 percentage, uh, per, per 100 possession uh, more than it was today. So, like, you would expect more stats then. And today, so like it's fascinating that we've been getting so many triple doubles, and like it's it's not like really. I just don't know why it's happening. Honestly, I, I'll take it because it's awesome. Yeah, it, it is a pretty cool thing that's been going on. But I like uh, <laughs> I like Rondo. So as a result of me liking Rondo, and I like Ian Clark's ability too. He can really shoot threes, you know, create some things for that team, and he plays pretty well with Anthony Davis as well. So. Given the fact that I mean the the Portland's best bench player is probably Evan Turner, I'm gonna have to go with the Pelicans bench pretty easily. Yeah, and that's saying something if your best bench player is Evan Turner. <laughs> like he he's not good. And he's getting paid seventy million dollars, that's absurd. Yeah. And I'm actually really curious to see if to- if Tony Allen has been keeping up the defensive play, because really I don't know, because he got traded obviously. He's yeah, uh, that was my concern. Okay. And then, and then this is going to be an easy one. We have uh, the coach battle, which is Terry Stotts versus Alvin Gentry. Gee, I wonder who's going to win this one. Terry Stotts, there's no reason to eat. Terry Stotts is fantastic. He's, he's better running schemes. He's better with everything. Yeah. I, I mean... Working with less. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's not much to say here. It's... Yeah. Okay. Um, as a result, I think I'm, for the series, honestly... It's close. It may, to me, in my mind, it's kind of close because of Anthony Davis. But if I'm being honest, I don't think Anthony Davis has enough help as you need in the playoffs to kind of win a series. Yeah. So, like, what, who, who on like Anthony Davis's team do you think needs to like shoot the lights out to really get him over the hump here? Ian Clark and each one more are going to need to play the series of their lives. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think that's coming. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with Blazers in six because. They have two stars as opposed to having one. It's a guard-oriented lead now, and Terry Stotts is a much better coach. I think he's going to, even though he has, I guess, less in terms of depth, I think he's probably going to utilize it to the best of their ability, especially because you cut your lineups a lot shorter uh, you know, in the playoffs. So the Pelicans aren't going to be able to, you know, they're going to have to make some decisions. They're probably not going to be able to play both each one more. Andy and Clark's probably going to have to play one of them. Yeah. They're probably going to have to play Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, uh, neither of which are fantastic shooters. And then Anthony Davis is in their lineup. He's not a great shooter either. So you have three players in your starting lineup who aren't going to be great shooters. And then I guess Nikola Mirotic is going to be your main source of threes. And, you know, even though he's a good shooter, I think he, he probably only makes maybe two or three a game. So um, I, I would go Blazers in six, as yeah. Damian Lillard once famously said. <laughs> Was that in a rapper? <laughs> no, he said it last year when they asked him what he thought about him playing the Warriors in the first round. He said Blazers in six. Oh, okay. Well, that and then swept. So. Yeah, that obviously didn't work for him. So, like, for me, yeah, I don't see this one as being too competitive. I, I think that the great games will be, but I don't think the series will overall. 
I think that all the Pelicans need, not the Pelicans, I think all that the Trailblazers need to do to win is just get competent defense out of Ed Davis and Alfaro Camino and shut down everyone not named Anthony Davis because you know, like it's kind of the LeBron James thing before LeBron James had good teammates. You can let him go for like 30 points a game, but as long as nobody else is scoring, you're going to win every game. Exactly. So like that's my thing for Anthony Davis. Yeah, like just everyone around him needs to have an awesome series. I'm uh, most excited to see the Trailblazers team defense because – I'm just curious to see how it works, especially the forwards and centers, because I just love their front court. I want the Pelicans to win just because I want the Pelicans to make a conference finals because I feel bad for them. And yeah. it's not going to happen, though, because I have Trailblazers in six. Yep. And, yeah, so that would move us to what, then? Is that the Rockets, Timberwolves after that? Uh, no, we have Celtics, Bucks, because that comes earlier on Sunday. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, and this, this one's going to be interesting to talk about, because I, I know I'm pretty opinionated on it, and yeah, I mean, you probably are too. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure whether or not you agree with my opinion, uh, but we can go through the matchups first and foremost. Yeah, so uh, let's start with uh, in the very beleaguered uh, point guard position ever since Kyrie Irving's gone out. I have uh, Terry Rozier versus Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to go with Eric Bledsoe. He's just... He's shown me more in the past. He's overall a better player. He's more versatile. He's a really good defender. And Terry Rozier is still young, so I don't think there's much to expect from him because even though he's a pretty good offensive player, I don't think he's given much defensively, um, individually at least, because obviously the team's defense is really good. So I'll go Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, I will as well. I don't think Terry Rozier. I mean, Terry Rozier is better than his backup. His backup is way worse. I don't remember his name, to be honest. But Shane Larkin? Yes, Shane Larkin is a dumpster fire. So hopefully yeah, he's, he's quite helpful. So don't take him out of the game. But yeah, yeah. like it's still clearly Eric Bledsoe. Okay, so then we have a shooting guard. Uh, for this one, I wasn't really sure who they were going to put there for the Celtics, so I just put Jalen Brown because he sometimes yeah. lines up there. And then I had Chris Middleton for the Bucks. <laughs> I'm going to go Chris Middleton. I just think that he's more of a two-way player. I think he's more developed at this point. He's an amazing defender. He's a very underrated player, great shooter. Jalen Brown still needs to come around in terms of a shooter and a scorer, but he is a good defender. But And also, it's more of an experience thing as well. I feel like Chris Middleton, is he's played in the playoffs a couple times, and he's more ready for something like this than Jalen Brown would be. So uh, Jalen Brown, I unfortunately, I'm going to have to rank below Chris Middleton in this situation. But it's not that far. Uh, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's close, but, you know, comfortably Chris Middleton. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just like Chris Middleton shooting better, and Jalen Brown has got so much better from you know, where he has been in the past couple of years, but it's still just not enough to beat Chris Middleton, because when Chris Middleton's healthy, he's a huge asset to this team. It really is. I, honestly, I, I was one of the people, I was really rooting for the um, for uh, for the for the Cavs to try and get him, but I'm sure the Bucks, because he's so long, he's such a good defender, I feel like he would thrive playing next to LeBron James. Like, yeah, that's a fantastic point. I, I, I really wanted them to try and make a move for him to see if he was available, maybe offer like you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe, I mean, like, retrospect, like, maybe they could have tried and get, like, maybe do, like, a Kyrie deal and get, like, Chris Middleton and a couple people, but that would have been too scary of a duel in the East with Kyrie or Giannis onto the combo, so. Yeah, and I doubt that the Bucks would have been willing to trade away Chris Middleton, but, yeah, if you get Kyrie Irving, that's. Yeah, that, that's just a hypothetical, but small yeah. forward then would be, what, Jason Tatum and Giannis? Uh, Yeah. So this one's easy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go Giannis pretty easily. Jason Tatum, I, I feel like as a result of how good the Celtics have been, Jason Tatum's had a little bit of an overrated rookie season. Sorry, Celtics fans, but he, I mean, he's really, 
Like he's really good, but he, I mean, 14 points per game, five rebounds, and like under two assists. Like, and his shooting numbers are skewed because he really doesn't take that many attempts. And <clears throat> you know, he's he shot it really well for a good stretch, and then he really stopped making them. So I, I'm not. I doubt he even makes more than two a game. So I don't think it, his sample size is not very big, which is why shooting percentages are so good. Um, and he really hit a wall around like January or. You know, in like Jan after they played like the college season, he really hit a wall. So I'm not I'm not going to be depending on him or thinking too much of him come the playoffs. So I'm going to have to go Giannis fairly easily. And you know, I don't think I have to explain that Giannis is a really really he's a top talent in the league. So I I agree. Like uh, under the under the not the weather. What am I saying? Under the radar a little bit. Uh, Giannis has been having an MVP caliber season. Like he's been. This is the best season of his career. Not a lot of people are aware of that just because of how horrible his defense was because of the scheme earlier on in the year. But offensively, he's got the most assists that he's ever had, the most rebounds, the most points. And like It's incredible how much his points just go yeah, up every he, single he, year. Honestly, he could be a candidate for most improved player again. Yeah, uh, which would be I, absurd. He went from 22-8 and I think 3 to like now he's 28-10-5 maybe, 4 or 5. Yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The, the defensive stuff this year was weird because they had Jason Kidd, they fired him, they had J, J, uh, Joe Prupty or whatever. So, um, you know, they had, they had some turmoil this year. If they had finished with a higher seed, they'd probably be more in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously most improved players going to go to uh, Old Depot, so we can't even hope for that. But, yeah, like it's yeah. obviously Giannis. Tatum, I think he's been really good this season. Uh, he He's great offensively. I don't know too much about him defensively, but just on the fact that the Celtics have been a good defensive team, I'll assume he's done well. Honestly, he's, great, yeah, he's probably, I think, he probably the second best defensive rookie this year after Josh Jackson. Oh, okay. And like, yeah. just honestly, I expected him to be a bust coming out of college. Oh, did you really? Wow. Yeah, I, and like, I never have a good reason for uh, picking those. I, I, I most of the time I just ignore who they uh, like the rookies are because you know almost. Like, five games into the rookie career, like, okay, are they going to be a bust or not? So, like, it, yeah. usually there's no reason to predict, but, yeah, like, that, that was just my thought for some reason, and, yeah, obviously Giannis in this one. But the next position is going to be incredibly close, and, like, it's both player, it, both players, we absolutely love them. We have uh, power forward uh, Marcus Morris versus Fawn Maker. Just because Thonmaker hasn't shown me much this season, I'm going to have to go with uh, Marcus Morris. Yeah. He's come really big for the Celtics in some situations this year. He hit like a off-balance fadeaway three to win a game. and He's really stepped up in the absence of all of his teammates. So, And Thonmaker kind of hasn't really made any significant strides. So I'm going to have to go with Marcus Morris pretty comfortably. Yeah, I, I will too. I, I wish Thonmaker was better. Because he's so long. He's huge. Yeah, and, and like he's a, I'm, honestly, I'm curious if he's actually 20 years old or not. Oh, he's, yeah, see, he's, well, he's like Serge Ibaka, he lied too. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't know, but uh, yeah, he yeah, probably did. I'm just, my superstition tells me they lied. Yeah, mine too, unfortunately. I mean, I've never heard the thing about Serge Ibaka. It makes sense completely because, you know, Congo, but I definitely heard it about Fawn Maker, and like it yeah. makes sense just because yeah. of how huge he is. Yep. And then what center would be what Al Orford and uh, John Henson. John Henson. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go with Al Orford. Really? I don't think John Henson is uh I think John Henson is an underperformer. I don't think he's the I don't think he's that much on offense. I think he's pretty good defensively. He anchors them pretty well, but I just think Al Orford will provide more veteran leadership. He has a lot of playoff experience getting pounded by LeBron year after year. 
He's made the playoffs, I think, every year of his career, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, because he played with the Hawks. He was drafted by the Hawks in 07, and they were pretty good all of the 2000s. And then, you know, then he came to the Celtics. So he's got a lot of playoff experience. He's been on a 60-win team. Uh, he was an all-star this year. He, he's not, you know, he's kind of declined since he's been on the Celtics, but he's still a pretty good defender, I think. That was a time during the year he had like two, you know, he was averaging like two blocks a game. He's not necessarily a good individual defender, but he's kind of like a mini Draymond Green. Like he's really good at orchestrating the defense and making sure everyone's in the right spots. And he's a really, really good passing center. He's, uh, you know, obviously after uh, we were talking about Jokic earlier, but, uh, you know, he's Al Horford is probably like in the top five passing centers. And, you know, he's still you know, a good rebounder and then he has a couple points. So I don't have to go with Al Horford just because of his overall production and his, you know, his experience over uh, John Henson, who, I don't think he has much at all. Yeah, the only thing John Henson has is an amazing wingspan that he can't use at all. Like Jack, yeah, Al- yeah, the whole team is so long that like he doesn't really get to capitalize like when he gets an individual defensive matchup because by the time someone gets to John Henson, like Giannis or Thon Maker or you know someone will have disrupted the shot already. Yeah, like for, for me, I obviously I was raving. I've been raving about Al Horford for most of the season. I think that he's had an awesome year at center. He's been one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league, even though not a lot of people talk about that. One of the best screeners as well. Uh, and losing Kyrie Irving really hurts his game, so I, I'm curious to see how he can hold up from that. But even still, Horford is a great player. He's been having great three-point shooting throughout the season. And, yeah, like he, he's just better than John Henson. He, I mean, honestly, Al Horford probably could be. like Maybe he could step up because when I think back to those Hawks teams, I would argue that he was probably their best player. I mean, you know, it was close between him and Paul Millsap, but there were obviously times where Outwork was a little bit better. So, you know. Yeah, like close enough that you can actually talk about it. Best player, like legitimately. Yeah. I, He's a second all star, so in theory he should be. But, I, I can go along with that. We'll see. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, the matchups for this series kind of don't really – it's weird because the matchups for this series, like when we talk them up, they don't really seem like they would – be that much of a factor, but because like it's not, it's like yeah. there's coaching, the injuries, the way the teams are playing, and all that stuff. So uh, the bench, I guess you can get into the bench players that you know. Yeah. So for the Celtics, I have uh, Daniel Feast, Aaron Baines, Greg M- Monroe, Marcus Smart, and Shane Larkin. I honestly shouldn't even have mentioned Shane Larkin. He's so bad. And then for <laughs> for the Bucks, I actually think this is the best bench in the entire league right now. Like I think you can make a case over the Raptors, but you can. Here, I'll say this. Top to bottom, the bench of the Raptors is better. But I think when the when the rosters are shortened, this bench is better. So we have Mar- Malcolm Brogdon, Tony Snell, Tyler Zeller, Jabari Parker, Jason Tatum. Not Tatum, crap. Uh, Jason Terry. Uh, my, one of my favorite players, Shabazz Muhammad, Matthew Delvadova, Mirza Toletovich. So what do you, what do you think? I'm going to have to go with the Bucks bench pretty easily. I don't think that the Celtics bench. Uh, also, just a slight thing. Daniel Tice, is, uh, he's, he tore his ACL. He's gone for the year. Dang so it. That shortens them. So he, NBA, but he, wasn't, he was a good rotational player, but he wasn't that much. Yeah. But the Bucks, I mean, far and away the Bucks bench. They have three-point shooting with Jason Terry. They have versatility with Malcolm Brogdon. They have, a, they have basically a star sitting on their bench in Jabari Parker. They might end up starting him over Thon Maker because of Thon Maker's you know, lack of production. Yeah. Uh, Jabari Parker obviously has been played with injuries. If he hadn't been being amazing, he'd be a star probably in this league. Um, he has a lot of potential. He shows a lot when he plays. Him and Giannis coming together this season to make some noise would actually be brilliant. Um, so, but their bench is a lot better. Jason Terry, Malcolm Brogdon, 
Mirza Toledovic, a few years ago, prior to this season, I think he set the record for the most three-pointers off the bench in one season. So oh, wow. uh, he, he's a good asset. Um, Matthew Dellavedova, obviously an amazing defender. I haven't seen much of him lately. Um, and then uh, I feel like you said one more player that I think I'm missing. Uh, Shabazz Mohamed or Jason no, Terry? So Jason Terry? Zeller? Tyler Zeller, yeah, he's pretty. He's a he's a pretty good uh, stand-in defender too. He's, um, you know, obviously there's so many. I think him and his brother Cody Zeller, but you know, Tyler Zeller is, you know, he, he can stand in and give you some good defense as well. So uh, when they, he'll probably won't make the final cup for the rosters. It'll probably be the starting five. It'll probably be I think uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Terry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, John Henson, Shabazz Muhammad. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and then um, Jabari Parker. That'll probably be who it ends up being. So, yeah, and like obviously, I'm really on the Bucks bench. But I mean, I'm curious to see what you thought of uh, my suggestion earlier that this Bucks bench in the playoffs might actually be better than the Raptors. What do you think about it that? Might. I, I kind of agree with that because they have more experience. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is a rookie of the year. Uh, Jason Terry is a you know he's, he's super veteran. He's still a great three-point shooter. Um, <clears throat> then you have players who like um, you have you know you have Jabari Parker who's been in the league a long time. Whereas the Raptors bench is extremely young. Like I think Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet are both super young, and then OG Anunoby's a rookie. Like you know you can't really depend on rookies that much in the playoffs. Um, it's just really historically not that great of a thing. <clears throat> Other than Magic Johnson, of course. So. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. In the playoffs, you might be onto something that the Bucks bench could be the best, just because the Bucks are kind of it's weird because they were seated low, kind of like it's like coaching turmoil and stuff is kind of what prevented them from winning 50 games. You know, it's like they just had a bunch of weird stuff happen, kind of like a, they had imbalance and stuff. So I mean, they won less games than they should have, but I don't really think that that's a that, that, I don't think that's an indictment of their players necessarily. So um, yeah, and like really, I think it's just the. People that can come off the bench first, I think they're better than the Raptors. I, I'm a big fan, a fan of Tony Snell. I think he's one of the best free and T players in the league. Oh, yeah, Tony Snell, yeah. I, uh, he, I was missing him, yeah. He, he is a good player. I remember when he got traded from the Bulls. That was that was interesting. Yeah, I didn't think that was a good trade either. But, I mean, they were in rebuilding mode, so, you know, you just get rid of everybody, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, Bucks bench, I, I would say fairly easily. I mean, the like, it, and then, like, the, there are just other players on the Celtics, like, that we didn't even mention. Like, there's... There's a Gershon Yabusel, and there's a um, there's like Semi Ojale, and there's just Aaron, you know, Aaron Baines. We didn't talk about him. I think you said his name though. Yeah. So I mean, I think just all around the, the Bucks roster is just much more complete, and they have a legitimate superstar in this series. Yeah, that's pretty much how we feel about that team. Uh, then we have the coaches, which is like pretty much the biggest. Uh, Difference in terms of ability that we see overall, uh, we have Brad Stevens versus Joe Prunty. Yeah, I'm good. Brad Stevens. We don't even discuss this. Brad Stevens is going to be the coach of the year. He won 55 games with literally Kyrie Irving and just a fantastically coached defense and nothing else. Yeah. Like, how would you describe uh, Prunty's style? Because I know nothing about it. Prunt, it's weird. It's like kind of slow paced, but at the same time trying to be like other modern teams. It's like he tries to slow the pace down, but doesn't re- like doesn't really do it effectively. But like I think they've definitely been worse with him. So they they just seem a little bit confused. It's kind of like we all play through Giannis, and then we give Jabari a lot of minutes to try and see if he has any real star power. Um, you know, hopefully, because I, I, I've never heard of him in the coaching world. Like I don't know if he's like an assistant from somewhere or if he's 
you know, I don't know if he's just new. So yeah. I mean, in, obviously interim. So like he, he just came in for uh, Jason Kidd as an assistant. But yeah, I mean, Joe Prunty is, he's a, I don't think he's a very good coach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what are you going to get mid season? But yeah. Like, did you think that was a good decision to fire Jason Kidd? Like, obviously the defense was just completely failing, but like, was it I, I really don't think it was because I feel like Giannis has been much less engaged ever since they fired Jason Kidd because he had such a strong connection with him. Um, like he really loved him. So like, I, I just feel like he, like Giannis, Giannis kind of fell out of all discussions once Jason Kidd was fired because they took a real downhill after all that happened. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, here, let me uh, go through uh, some of the things that I think that both each team needs to do. So for me, the Celtics, uh, here's what I said. Uh, let me just quote this. This one's going to be tight, folks. Brad Stevens needs to coach his ass off on this one, and he needs otherworldly production from Morris, Tatum, and Brown if they want any chance of surviving this one. And then for the Bucks, I had uh, play to their potential. The Bucks should be able to win this, mainly on their bench and Giannis tearing them up. But the Bucks have underperformed in the playoffs, which not a lot of people talk about. So let's cross our fingers. Yeah. Um, given all that I've said, this opinion might surprise you, but I, I've got Boston in six. Oh, okay. Huh. Hey, why? Why do you have that? See, because like I just don't think that Giannis has like I, I just don't think that he has any dependability around him. Because like I said, Eric Bledsoe is an experienced player, but he's, I don't think he's ever played in the playoffs. Maybe he did when he was on the Clippers, but he hasn't been in the playoffs in a while. I don't think that he's really mm-hmm. – he's not really big in the, you know, in the most pressure-packed situations. And I just think Giannis is – because Brad Stevens is such an amazing defensive coach. I just think he's going to exploit the hell out of the fact that Giannis can't shoot threes. Because, like, I know like, in most matchups it doesn't matter because Giannis can just push past them. But, like, Jason Tatum is a good rookie defender. Jalen Brown is a good young defender. Marcus Morris is a good defender. And then you've got Al Horford in the paint. And then Aaron Baines, when he's in the game, is a really good. He's a difference maker defensively. He's not really much offensively at all, but, but he's a really good. He's kind of like Andrew Bogut. Uh, he'd be like, not as not the shot blocker of Andrew Bogut, but you know the defensive positioning and all that stuff, kind of stuff. Um, so I'm gonna have to go with the Bucks just because I have a ton of faith in Brad Stevens. I think that he's. I think and t- he he really gets the most out of like just these random players. Like the fact that they were able to like. They had convincing wins over the Raptors and like a lot of other good teams, even with all of their stars hurt. So um, I just think that he's going to be able to get them. I, I think I think what's going to be proven in this series is that Brad Stevens is actually the most valuable asset to the Celtics, and that it really has nothing to do with Kyrie Irving having some phenomenal season that led them to having this many wins. I really don't think it had anything to do with Kyrie Irving. I think that you could plug in any sort of scoring point guard just to give them an offensive spark, and that you could have them win a lot of games just because of Brad Stevens. Um, his system is just so fantastic because, like, he, he he really adopts the right mentality, which is like, you know, your offense comes and wanes, so it's not really a good point to have a great offensive t- because your your defense will be there every night because you can always play defense, but your shots won't always go in. And I just think the Bucks' inconsistency with Joe Prunty will come to haunt them, and I don't think that they'll be able to put it together to win four games against a 55 win Celtics team, which. You know, other they, I mean, other they don't. They really won't only have like Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart are the only two real pieces that they're missing. And you won't really need you know Marcus Smart that much in this series because Marcus Smart is typically used to you know chase like really good point guards like you know Kyrie Irving when he was on you know the Cavs and mm-hmm. you know uh, Kyle Lowry or Demar Derozan and you know having it's just going to be Eric Bledsoe who's like six one. So you know Terry Rozier I think is like six three or six four. So he he can he can do a pretty good job defending him because he is pretty long. So. 
I don't think Marcus Morris's presence is going to be felt. His absence isn't going to be felt in this series because, well, he, his absence is never felt offensively because he's one of the worst offensive players in the league. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think his career field goal percentage is one of the worst in history. I think his career no, you're field right. goal percentage is yeah. like 35, 36 or something like that. He's pretty awful offensively. And then Kyrie Irving, I mean, obviously they'll miss his offensive production, but, you know, when you get Terry Rozier plugged in and then, you know, you, you give, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown more of an opportunity. I, I, I think I would go with, I'm not going to pick the Celtics comfortably. Like I could definitely see the Bucks winning, and I won't be surprised if they do. I just think that Brad Stevens will be able to get the most out of his team for at least a six-game series. Um, it might go seven. If it goes seven, then maybe the Bucks will win. But I'll, I'll take Boston because their home court advantage is really good. They're <coughs> they win a lot of games at home even with their stars out. So yeah, I'm going to have to go. With, I'm going to go with the Celtics just because of Brad Stevens and you know all the rookies, all the team's defensive ability as a whole. I think they're a little bit, uh, they're not as gritty as the old Grizzlies and all that, but they're similar in the way that they really anchor and win games through their defense a lot. Yeah. You know what? I think you might have convinced me, to be honest. Like, this entire time, I, I, I've i been saying, I don't know if I conveyed it at all, but I don't trust the Bucks in the playoffs. Like, I think that a lot... Like, yeah, like, I don't think a lot of people recognize it. Like, everyone talks about the Raptors underperforming in the playoffs. Everyone talks about the... Can't really think of another example, but I'm sure it's another team that underperforms in the playoffs. But the Bucks definitely do, and that Bulls series, they should have won that series. So that was not. I think a, they should have beaten the Raptors last year too. Honestly. I agree. Yeah, like I mean, the Raptors they fumbled that series completely. Like they should have. Yeah, it's like they didn't even want to win it, honestly. Yeah, but you know, like the Bucks have a history of this, and I don't think they're gonna get past it. If they, if if the Bucks come in game one and they look like, frankly, better than the regular season form. And, like, that's my other concern. Like, the Bucks haven't been even living up to their potential in the regular season. But if the Bucks play to their true talent, then I think that they can win the series. So it's going to come down to game one. If that happens, I have Bucks in seven. If that doesn't happen, I I don't want to see it happen. But, yeah, the Celtics will probably win. And Brad Stevens will get the win that he deserves because, you know, he's a fantastic coach. And I couldn't agree more with that Kyrie Irving point. Like, seriously, I don't know why people talk about Kyrie Irving as if he's some fantastic point guard. Like, He's good, don't get me wrong, but he's barely an all-NBA player to start out with. And then, and then some people were like, oh, he's better than LeBron James. And I'm like, shut up. What are you talking about? You know, like, the fact that Isaiah Thomas is 5'9", who never averaged more than 15 points and 5 assists away from Brad Stevens, but he averaged 29 and 6 with Brad Stevens. Yep. I'll tell you everything you need to know about Brad Stevens and point guards to play for him. Terry Rozier is getting Michael Jordan comparisons playing under Brad Stevens. It's, it's almost like what? a D'Antoni thing. I, I have not heard that or a hot take. That's oh, yeah. It's just, I, I think I mentioned it one time. It's because their jump shot and free throw looks so similar, and he's been oh. taking a lot of clutch shots and making them recently. People have started to call him Scary Terry and put him put his picture with Michael Jordan. So Okay. Well, that's 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 a hot take and a half. Okay, yeah. but, yeah, obviously I really want to, the Bucks to win this one, but, yeah, now you've scared me, so, yeah. Okay. So after that, we have the Cavs-Pacers uh, matchup, and that's, you know, it'll really just come down to uh, if the Cavs can flip the script or not. So I guess we'll give them the uh, Pacers their uh, due diligence. Yeah, I mean, let's see. So point guard would be what? Corey, Joseph, and George Hill? Oh, are they start? Dang, well, I was completely wrong. I had Calderon and Collison. Oh, no, you're right. I think you're right about Jaron Collison, but they are starting George Hill. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just change yeah, that. No, you're right. Jaron Collison and Oladipo, that is their starting back. You're right. All right. Um, 
I'll take Derek Allison over George Hill. I think George Hill has underperformed since being on Cleveland. I don't think he's really lived up to anything offensively or defensively for that matter. Um, he hasn't been as good a defensive player recently. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to give it to Derek Allison just because he, he's been a really good three-point shooter this year, and he's been a really good playmaker. I think he's averaging close to like six assists maybe. So I'll give it to Derek Allison. Yeah, I think a really good free point shooter is an understatement. I isn't he like leading the league in free point shooting? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I think he's literally at like forty seven percent, which is absurd. <laughs> yeah, that's like yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so like he he's been the best outlet in the entire league, and like I I talk about how uh, Jingle and Joe has been amazing for the Jazz and just being able to throw free pointers over there whenever they need him, but Collison, ooh, hey, he is a great option for Oladipo if he ever wants to kick it out. Which they definitely do because they're always driving to the mid-range game. But they're a great backcourt. They're a really underrated backcourt. They, they complement each other very well. Really underrated frontcourt too. But uh, yeah, like George Hill, he has underperformed a ton ever since he's left the, the Sacramento Kings. Like his three-point shooting's gone down. His defense hasn't been what the Cavs have needed or expected. And obviously, maybe he'll turn it on in the playoffs. But you know, we'll, we'll see. And, yeah, it's pretty clearly Collison. And I didn't realize he was as good of a playmaker as you're saying, so good for him. I think I might be wrong about that. I might be thinking of somebody else, but I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, ch- I'll check the stats. But in the meantime, we have a shooting guard, and this one's kind of interesting, but not really because Old Depot's amazing. We have Old Depot versus uh, Kyle Korver. Yeah. Um, I mean, regardless of who the Cavaliers choose to start at shooting guard, I'm not sure if it's J.R. Smith or if it's Kyle Korver, if it's Rodney Hood. Whoever it is, all those players are one-dimensional. Rodney Hood still hasn't established himself as a two-way player like I would like him to, whereas Oladipo led the league in steals this season, 2.4 steals per game, which is pretty high. Because usually like the league leader is like 2 or 2.1, but 2.4. So um, he did a really good job this year. He averaged 24 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. Or, like he, Oladipo really came out this season. He really showed that his draft position was worth it, I feel like. And it's weird because it's 2018, and he was drafted in 2013, and we're just realizing that he's actually really good. Um, he's been he's shot the three amazingly well, which I didn't think that was a part of his game. He's super athletic, um, so Oladipo easily over regardless of anyone who they anyone who Cleveland could play at the shooting guard position is worse, unless of course you play LeBron at the shooting guard. Like, and it's Oladipo is is far. I think Oladipo is legit. I think he's. Like, you could argue, I think, that he's the second-best player in the series after LeBron and then Kevin Love. And then, you know, the debate would be between Kevin Love and Oladipo because, you know, just because Kevin Love can be inconsistent sometimes, whereas Oladipo's been really good this season. Yeah, I'd give it to uh, Oladipo uh, just between those two because I was reading something the other day, and I forget if I mentioned this or not, but uh, with uh, Oladipo's number of win shares this season, Apparently, literally in NBA history, any player who has gotten that many win shares goes on to have an all-pro career. So, like, apparently Oladipo really has turned, uh, just flipped the script and made himself an incredible player. So, so yeah. yeah. So, and obviously, incredible player is better than Kyle Korver. He's a great three-point shooter, but personally, I take... He doesn't have anything else. Yeah, and, like, I would take Collison over uh, Korver this season. I don't know how Collison's defense is, but I think that Korver's is worse. I mean, Korver is old now. It's just, it's not even. Yeah. So that's uh, shooting guard. And then in the most non-competitive matchup of the entire, um, well, the playoff uh, podcast that we're doing, uh, we have small forward, LeBron James versus uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich is just... Or maybe, maybe Boyan, actually. It's a J. Hmm. I don't know. No, no, no. Bo, Bohan? Oh, Bohan. No, no, Bohan. 
Bohan Bogdanovich is on the you're right. Bohan Bogdanovich is on the Pacers. Bogdan Bogdanovich is on the Kings. Okay. Thing. Or maybe I have that backwards. I don't know. Whatever. One of the Bogdanoviches. So, and then there's Marjanovic who's on the Pistons. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, Bogdanovich. Uh, it's obviously LeBron. Bogdanovich can only shoot. Not much else. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. I don't think we need to say any more. Uh, LeBron James, best player in the world, best player ever. Yeah. Not much to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now we have uh, power forward. This one's pretty interesting, at least for me, because I'm a big Sabonis fan. We have uh, Jeff Green versus Domatas Sabonis. Well, um, Domas Sabonis has had an, he's had an amazingly impressive, like he's really improved this year. Yeah. He really showed that he can be um, like a pretty good player. Not as good as his dad, obviously. Um, but he, uh, for strictly for defensive purposes, I'm going to have to go with Jeff Green because I've seen Jeff Green really be like LeBron's, I guess, go-to guy. Like on, you know, in terms of other than Kevin Love, because Kevin Love is kind of just for three-point shots. But like in terms of like if LeBron just needs to not be holding the ball, like he just gives it to Jeff Green. So because Jeff Green is athletic, he can do something with it. He can get hot from three, and he's a really good defensive player, and he's really big actually. He's six nine with a really long wingspan. So um, I'm going to go with Jeff Green just for defensive purposes, uh, and I, I think that. You know his experience is pretty good too. He's been he's been in a lot of battles with those Memphis teams, um, so. Yeah, I, I would take Jeff Green in this one just because the Cavs need defense and Jeff Green is defense. I like Sabonis a lot, but I, I mean he just is more of what the you know, Pacers already have. So like he's not really adding anything more aside from yeah. just more mid range, more good rebounding, more three point shooting. And like he, and he is, has like a good complimentary piece to Oladipo this season. Though. He has done a good job. Yes, yes, he has. And honestly, yeah, I know we were talking about the over uh, most improved players of uh, 2017, 2018, but I would give it to uh, Sabonis, if not for Oladipo this year, which really yeah. says a lot of, about the Pacers, that they have two of the contenders for that. Yeah, that is, yeah. They, they've been one of the most improved teams. I think. They finished as a seven seed last year with Paul George, and now they're a five seed. <laughs> Yeah, it has been a really incredible year for the Pacers, unfortunately. I think we both have them losing to the Cavs in the series, but we'll get to that later. So yeah. uh, for the benches, we have uh, for the Cavs, Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance, Jose... Oh, we did your center. Oh, oops. Uh, we got... Oh, yeah, I, that one's actually really interesting, too. Uh, Kevin Love versus Miles Turner. Oh, wow. I forgot about Miles Turner. He's a really good player, too. Yeah. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Miles Turner is a fantastic defender, but I don't think that he has expanded his range to be to the three-point line yet. So it's kind of defense versus three-point shooting plus rebounding. So just because Kevin Love has two stronger elements to his game and because he complements LeBron James so well when he's a secondary option, I'm gonna go with Kevin Love slightly. Okay, uh, Miles Turner is a good three-point shooter, right? Is he? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, like I'll look it up, but maybe at a really low rate though. That might be what it is. Yeah. Uh, if he is, I'm taking Miles Turner there. I think that he's a really good defender. and he He's is, a fantastic defender. I think he was really close to leaving the league in blocks, I think, last year. Yeah. And, like, he's a really good, uh, let me see, free point shooting, uh, free 5-7. So, eh, a little worse than Kevin Love, actually. Uh, I'd say they're about the same in the paint. So, you know, I'm going to switch that to Kevin Love just because of the free point just, shooting. Just, I just think Kevin Love works better with his team. I feel like... Miles Turner was kind of the best player on this team, like last year, or not that well. Paul George after Paul George, of course, but like um, 
like it, it, he kind of stepped down now because Oladipo really kind of changed the way the whole team is. Like everything goes through him, and now Miles Turner's. I feel like his development has been a little bit stunted. Because um, I, I would love to see them play more of a two-man game, Miles Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. I feel like they could be a deadly combination. I don't know why they don't do that more. Uh, maybe it's maybe Victor Oladipo plays a lot of isolation. I'm not really sure. But uh, I like Miles Turner a lot. He was he was one of the bright. He was one of the steals of the 20, 2015 draft. If not for Devin Booker, he would have been the steal of the draft. But um, I'll go Kevin Love. Just I think Kevin Love is a little, he he has become really underrated. Like when when he's playing at his best with LeBron and like I mean earlier this season he was close to shooting a 50-40-90 while giving you twenty points and ten rebounds before Isaiah Thomas came back and ruined everything. So um, yeah, I'll go with Kevin Love. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see how Miles Turner uh, his next two years go because those are going to be a make or break for his career. Either he's going to develop into an all-pro player and it's going to be fantastic to watch alongside every other amazing center that's young right now in the league, or he's just going to be the guy that's left behind. Yeah, okay. yeah he, he just needs to expand a little bit more. But Yeah, so far uh, pretty good though. So uh, yeah. for the bench, we have, uh, for the Cavs, Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance, Jose Calderon, and Jordan Clarkson. And then for the Pacers, I have Thaddeus Young, Corey Joseph, Lance Stevenson, and uh, just because I'm not sure if he's actually having a good season or not, Al, Al Jefferson. Um, I don't think Al Jefferson is doing much. I think it's clear as Cleveland's bench. I mean, they have weapons. Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance have great chemistry coming off the bench together. Larry Nance has great chemistry with LeBron. Jose Calderon has been probably the brightest spot of this season so far after LeBron James. He's they're twenty three and nine when Jose Calderon is in the starting lineup. Wow. He's been fantastic. He's been knocking down a lot of threes. And even though he's so old, he's he's been he's caused problems defensively. Like he really gets into the passing lanes and he, he does his absolute best. He works his tail off on defense, even though he's old, which I really appreciate. And he, he's a knockdown three point shooter. I mean, he holds the record for the greatest free throw percentage in the season of all time. Um He's a, he's a really good shooter. He, he's, he's been snubbed of some 50-40-90s by a couple of tenths of a point. Um, so, uh, you know, there's Jose, there's Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, and then Tristan Thompson, obviously, you know, we're not sure whether or not he'll really be that fantastic or whatever if we'll come back to the Tristan of old. And then yeah. there's J.R. Smith as well, who can get hot whenever, you know, yeah. 25 points in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Hit or miss. So some key baskets a couple times. So, you know, uh, Cleveland's been pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, that summarizes it pretty well. And, yeah, nobody's going to be uh, raving about Lance Stevenson or anything. Hey, maybe he'll turn it on again. Maybe he'll uh, blow in LeBron's ear again. Yeah, exactly. That, that's really that's their only, that's the only way they'll beat him if he blows so hard in LeBron's ear that LeBron gets, like, headaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dislodged my ear, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. But uh, obviously not. But, uh, yeah, poor Lance Stevenson. So for coaching, uh, this one's actually kind of interesting because uh, I know we, we're not a fan of uh, Tyrone Lue outside of that 2016 uh, finals. Uh, we have Tyrone Lue versus uh, Nate McMillan. I'll take Nate McMillan. I just think that he's done a fantastic job this year. He completely flipped over all the players he had. Paul George left. and he just kinda, I mean, I feel obviously to a degree every time that you have a good player who expands to something, it has something to do with coaching. So, um, oh, dang. Sorry about that. Yeah, don't but, worry about that. Uh, I mean... You know, it's like, Nate McMillan has done a great job. Like, I, as I was saying, like, anytime that you have a star player who really develops kind of out of nowhere, you have to attribute some of it to the coaching and the schemes that came up as a result of that. Because, uh, you know, they obviously they obviously attribute to that. So, Nate McMillan, and plus, like, another weird thing about this Indiana team is they play, I think, at one of the slowest paces in the league, but they've been they've still been so effective in doing that. And they're kind of like the old Grizzlies as well. I know I kind of use that a lot today, but um, they're, they're, they're the, like the old Grizzlies in the sense that they really don't shoot that many threes. 
Um, they're not a three-point shooting oriented team, even though they have good shooters. They just they don't rely on it heavily. They rely more on defense and scoring in half court, which is more of what the playoffs are about. So, um, you know, I think that I think that Nate McMillan uh, will probably outcoach Teron Lue in the series, but I think all the players on the Cavs will outplay the Pacers in the series. Yeah, more so than uh, playing in the half court. Really, what the Pacers do, and this is fascinating. I don't know if you knew this, but if you just go by standard deviation, yeah, you bet, I bet you didn't think we were going to talk about that today. Uh, if you look at the Rockets, they are about like uh, I forget what it is, like seven uh, points per possession, uh, not points per possession, like uh, three pointers per one hundred possessions or something. Uh, seven above the league average, so like they're that far above. And then the Pacers are about seven below. So like that's how a few uh, three point shots they're taking, and they're replacing it with uh, mid range shots. And apparently that's something that. Nate McMillan had always uh, preached in the college game, and he's brought it to the Pacers, and it seems like it's helped the Pacers out a ton. Like, the biggest uh, thing is his philosophy is if you have an open shot, take it. I don't care. He doesn't care if, like, you're one step within the three-point line or you're right at the rim. He just wants you to take any open shot that you can possibly get and take it as early in the shot clock as you can get. take it. So like they're yeah. they're not necessarily playing fast, but like they're playing early in the shot clock. So like that's a, that something that they're really doing a lot. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so that's our uh, pick for uh, coach uh, Nate McMillan over Tyler on Luke, because you know he hasn't been this good this season, and who knows maybe he'll go down with another injury. So after that, uh, favorite uh, what the favorite needs to do to win, you know, just flip the script. That's what the Caps always need to do, and then for the Pacers, just cross your fingers that the Caps don't flip the script. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, personally, I'm most excited to see LeBron in this series and like what the Pacers' offense actually looks like. What What are you most excited to see? Sorry, Brandon. Uh, let me just take this call. Yeah. Yeah. Just let, let him let him know to you know. I so, just uh, yeah. So uh, for uh, yeah, why I'm excited to see LeBron. Do I really need to tell you guys? We've been talking about LeBron on like all of these podcasts, and he's such a fun player. Are you kidding me? And yeah. Uh, personally, just my pick. I think it's going to be Cavs in five. Uh, you would think I would say Cavs in four, but I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, last year in the Cavs uh, Pacers series in the first round, yeah, there's a bit of a surprise that they played two years in a row. But in that sweep, the point differential over all of those games, like so, like you sum the point differential for each individual one, was actually eleven points, which is a very small amount when you consider that. Like what? Like they had like two games where like it was like, three points uh, between them, and then, like, a two-point and then a three-point. Like, that, that is a very cool series. It broke the NBA record for a smallest point differential within a four-game sweep. So that's ridiculous. So, like, the Pacers clearly know how to play LeBron close, and maybe that, like, comes out of their front office because, like, there's essentially no holdovers aside from the LeBron whisperer or Lance Stevenson. But, yeah, like, if you remember in the 2012-2013 finals and Eastern Conference finals in the 2013-14 finals, you had uh, the Pacers team led by uh, Paul George, Lance Stevenson, and uh, Roy Hibbert, and, like, they played him incredibly close. Uh, last year, they played him incredibly close. So it seems like they have LeBron's number, and, yeah. I'm back, Oh, okay, cool. So I'm just talking about my prediction of Cavs in five because of the minuscule point differential that happened last year, uh, 11 points, which broke the NBA record for smallest point differential in a in a series sweep. Yeah, I'm going to take Cavs in five as well. I just think LeBron is going to be too much. I mean, but I don't – he hasn't lost a first-round game since 2012, but I think this will be the first time because – I think there'll be at least one game where his teammates just completely flake on him as usual. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm very curious to see uh, out of this series if the <clears throat> if the Cavs completely flip, flip the script or not. Because I I think it's going to be a slow build up actually to uh, yeah getting with LeBron still needs to hold off a little bit because he's really going to need to become like the best defensive version of himself in the finals. He can't really do it that he can't do it like super early or you know yeah especially not in this uh, Eastern Conference playoffs because he played eighty two games too so you know you wouldn't want him to get burned out or anything before the finals. Yep. Okay, so that's that series, and now we have uh, what may be the most fun series aside from the Celtics Bucks. Uh, we have the Thunder Jazz. So this this one's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, this one I think will be a close series. Um, point guard matchup will be what Russell Westbrook and Ricky Rubio. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's much that needs to be said about it. But I think we both like Ricky Rubio. We're fans of him, but he's still not liable offensively in terms of scoring at all. So. Russell Westbrook, just because of his sheer athleticism, scoring, rebounding, assisting. Um, even if he does steal some rebounds here or there, he's still a great player, so I'll go with Westbrook. Yeah, actually, I have Ricky Rubio as my X factor for this series. If Ricky Rubio has uh, has been, it keeps playing to uh, what he's been doing in like the past 10 games of the regular season, I think the, the Jazz have a good chance in this series. But if he doesn't, then they're going to struggle because... Uh, I saw a stat recently where like if the if Ricky Rubio gets lower than uh, nine points in a game, like the Jazz have like some horrible winning percentage, but if he gets more than nine, they have like a really good one. So yeah. they need production out of the point guard slot, but obviously he's not better than Russell Westbrook. Let's face it, uh, Westbrook's in the top three for uh, point guards in the league right now. He's been fantastic. I mean, there's really no way around that. He just finished averaging a triple double for the second season in a row. That's never been done. That's never being done again. He's incredible. Need I say more? He's quite fantastic. So after uh, what? Then shooting guard would be what? Then uh, I guess. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell versus uh, Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I think they're actually starting Josh Westis. I'm sure you. He's, he's probably another Josh Westis, Westis, Houston or something. But oh. the reason they start him, I think, because they like to give Raymond Felton the second unit when Westbrook goes to the bench, but. For what I'll, I'll just analyze it for both. Uh, if it's Raymond Felton versus Donovan, I think Donovan Mitchell wins both. I mean, he's been yeah. fantastic as a rookie. He's only he's the second rookie to lead his team, his a playoff team in scoring. First rookie to do it since Carmelo Anthony. I mean, uh, he's averaging 20.5 points per game, but I usually round up on his point five for scoring because you know twenty one points. So basically, twenty one points per game, and you know Donovan Mitchell's been fantastic this season. So I don't really think that there's a comparison to the shooting guard position. Yeah, I, I agree. Donovan Mitchell, even though I don't think he's been rookie of the year, he has been very productive, and like he's been one of the best rookies in the league. And you know, Raymond Felton or uh, Joe Westis, whoever that is, I didn't even have him on, my, him on my bench listing for the Thunder. Apparently, he's some good player, but yeah, like it's Donovan Mitchell. He's great in isolation. He's great on three point shooting. He's he can lead an offense, not as a point guard obviously, but as a shooting guard in the same way Michael Jordan could. He, he's great on offense. He's not going to hurt you defensively, which is important because it's the Jazz. And yeah, that's shooting guard, basically. So then we have a small forward, which we have uh, Paul George versus uh, the Ingler, old jingling Joe himself, Joe Ingles. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with Paul George. I like Joe Ingles. He's a good player, but I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to go with not him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And like, it, I mean, it's not really much of a contest, to be honest. Like, Joe, he's awesome at free point shooting. That he's one of the best in the league, right next to a Darren Collison, and a, and like basically the entire Rockets team. But 
there's not much to him aside from that. He's, once again, not going to hurt you defensively, but Paul George is obviously going to lift your entire team up defensively, so that's huge, and he's been great on offense this year. So, yeah. Okay. This next one's going to be pretty interesting, actually. We have a power forward. I, You're, you're going to be pissed about this, but I don't care. Uh, I have Jeremy Grant versus Derek Favors. <laughs> no, Carmelo. Um, nope, he's coming well, off the bench. That, yeah, you're right. That Honestly, I'm not going to argue with you. That would be the smarter decision. I just I just know that Billy yeah, no way. doesn't have the guts to do it. Um, so I'll go. I mean, if it's then, I'll go Derek Favors. I think he's had an underrated season. Jeremy Grant really doesn't give you much aside from athleticism and some good defense. He doesn't – I mean, and he's not even that great on defense. He's, he's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of more in there just to give you some power dunks and energy. So, um but you're right, I do think he'd be more effective in the lineup than Carmelo Anthony because he slows down ball movement so much, and he, he'd be better as a bench scorer because he'd be able to legitimately be the best scorer off the bench, and so he wouldn't really have to share the ball as much, which he's not, you know, he's not great at doing. So I'll go Derek Favors over Jeremy Grant. Yeah. I, Carmelo I, Anthony, for that matter, it yeah. really would matter. I, I would as well, and like my biggest thing is just I think Carmelo Anthony has been terrible this season, to be honest. I think they completely wasted that trade away that was horrible and i'm frankly embarrassed that uh, daryl morey was even thinking about signing uh carmelo anthony that would have ruined the rockets it has basically ruined the thunder this season just because they've had had to give carmelo anthony playing time you can't take him out of the lineup because he's a superstar but he just hasn't been good he's been below average in a bunch of the advanced metrics for the week which is not good especially when you're making like 25 million a year and you have no trade clause so, yeah, that's n no good at all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Jeremy Grant isn't much better, unfortunately, so it's pretty clearly Derek Favors. Now, center, I believe you know who I'm going to pick here, but I'll, I'll hear you out, I suppose. Uh, we have uh, Steven Adams versus Rudy Gobert. Oh, wow. This is, this is so hard for me because I love Steven Adams, but I'll have to go Rudy Gobert. He's just, I mean, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. And while Steven Adams is an amazing defender and amazing offensive rebounder, uh, Rudy Gobert, I think, is just more skilled defensively. He can block more shots, and he gives you a little bit more, I believe, on offense just because he's, he's a little bit better in the pick. Uh, he's not necessarily better in the pick and roll, but he's bigger. He's taller, so it's easier for him to kind of, you know, get some lobs, just put it in the basket, whereas Steve Adams kind of has to work a little bit harder for it. He has to spend more time with the ball, whereas Rudy Gobert, you can just kind of give it to him, get an easy bucket right away. Um, and, you know, between these two, it's more about their scrappiness and defense, and because Rudy Gobert is a better defender, I'll go with him. Uh, because, you know, I mean, Rudy Gobert is an un extremely underrated player. He's, he should be an all-NBA player, but he might not make it as a result of not having played enough games. Yeah, which I would say would be a load of BS, just considering how many... Like, he's played a ton of games, say, I, I believe 60 or 59 or something. So it, it's, it's 26, so whatever, 20, 80, 82 minus 26. Uh, okay, so, so a bit lower, uh, 66, but yeah, you know. Uh, so... I still think that's enough personally, but you can make a case against him. Obviously, it's not as compelling as the Embiid case for Rookie of the Year, but, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's much I need to say for this one. Rudy Gobert, I, best defensive player in the league. Personally, I think you can put him in the top five in the league overall this year. I think he has been that impactful for the Jazz. I think he's yeah, been... I think Donovan Mitchell gets a little bit too much credit. Rudy Gobert was a huge part in that winning A season. little bit. Yeah, you get the, he gets a hundred times too much credit. Donovan Mitchell is... He's good, but he is not rookie of the year caliber. He is certainly not the best player on the team. I I mean, he's a good scorer, don't get me wrong. But he, does, he does nothing else. I mean, it's just 
scoring is so big in this league now that every, that's all anyone cares about that he's he's actually he's legitimately going to get rookie of the year votes as a result of literally being able to do nothing effectively except score the ball. Yeah, like Rudy Gobert is the best screener in the NBA. He's better than Al, Hor- Al Horford, which is impressive. But yeah, best screener, he's the best pick and roll player. He's the best player at the rim. He's better than Clint Capella. It's close, but you know Capella also has the best two passers in the league. Like literally the two best in the league passing to him. Like, I think they're better than Curry, but that's just me. And it, so, you know, my point guard is because I would I would I would put LeBron up there as one of the best passers. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah, two of the best for you. Two, two of the top three. Yeah. And, and yeah, like just Gobert's amazing. I I'm not that big of a Stephen Adams fan to be honest. I. What? I, I just said really, I like him a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can tell. And, like, he, he had a good playoffs. I'll, I'll give him that. But, like, I just haven't seen much from the in the regular season. Ultimately, I just think of as, him as, like, a deferrent person because, you know, he gives uh, Russell Westbrook all of the defensive rebounds. That is true. And, yeah, he like, he doesn't seem like a crazy good rim protector. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. He, he, he plays more team defense. He's, he's more like a, you know, uh, I'm not sure what a good comparison. Kind of like Clint Capella in a way. But, yeah. Okay, so that's uh, the center position. Then we'll go to the bench. Uh, for the Thunder, I have uh, Colonel Anthony, Patrick Patterson, Alex Abrinas, and Corey Brewer. And then for the Jazz, I was actually surprised by how many players I like on this bench. Uh, Jonas Jurekbo, or Jurekbo, I don't know what country he's from. Uh, this is a player we were talking about uh, a couple podcasts ago. We didn't even know he was in the league still. Uh, Ekpe Udo. Yeah. He was famous for uh, being a fantastic three-point shooter out of the center position. And we have uh, Fabo Cephalosha, who's always underrated. Uh, Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, uh, Jay Crowder from the from the Cavs, and then we have Raul Nito. Yeah, I think you said Rodney Hood on accident. Rodney Hood is on the Cavs now. Oh, oops. Yeah, My bad. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, Jay Crowder has been much better in Utah uh, than he was in Cleveland. But honestly, just simply because. Uh, I would give a slight, slight edge to the Thunder because Corey Brewer has played phenomenally for the Thunder, and I just feel like Carmelo Anthony, now that it's playoff basketball, I feel like he will step up to a little bit of a better level, kind of maybe play more like he does in the Olympics or kind of like he used to in Denver when he was a sole option. Um, and, you know, despite what people say about Carmelo Anthony, it's still a fact that he can, like, he can still really heat up and, in, in, like, he can, you know, he scored, like, 15 points in a quarter, well, you know, a couple games ago, and, when he heats up, he can really be lethal. He, he's a natural scorer. He's a really gifted scorer, and um, he doesn't give you anything defensively. But you know, just when you need a spark plug or you need some points off the bench, you can really put him down because uh, he's deceptively strong. I mean, he's like six eight, and he's pretty heavy too. So he can he can hit some. You know, he can back you down in the post and get a nice little turnaround jump shot. He can isolate, and you know, he gets off a lot of good mid range jump shots. And he can he can hit that three when he's on. So um, Carmelo Anthony and Corey Brewer would be the two main pieces that would make me lean towards the Thunder bench, uh, simply because I don't see anyone on the Utah bench that can really come in and give you any sort of scoring lift. You get a lot of, you know, well-rounded players, you know, defensive players and stuff like that, but you don't really have that one guy up. Like, Utah doesn't really have a definitive sixth man, if you know what I'm saying. Like, they don't really have someone like a, you know, like a Jordan Clarkson or a uh, or a Carmelo Anthony or a... Or a Joe Johnson. Uh, Joe Johnson is on the Rockets. No, I know. I was saying, like, they used to have him. They used to, yeah, you're right. He used to be that guy. He won them a playoff game, for God's sake. But um, last season against the Clippers when he hit that game winner in game, in game one against uh, the Clippers. But, yeah, 
Um, I'll go with the Thunder bench simply, you know, for star power. And just Corey Brewer has been playing phenomenally uh, for them since he's gotten there. And he's a piece six nine, long wingspan, great defense, and great three point shooter. So uh, I'll take the Thunder bench, but uh, slightly though, because you know the Utah's bench is definitely better defensively. Yeah, and like I think it comes down to if Carmelo Anthony lives up to his uh, playoff performances. Personally, I think he actually will, despite the fact that I've been down on him. But I just say based on his regular season performance, he doesn't deserve that benefit of the doubt, so that's why he's starting off the bench. Uh, for me, uh, Corey Brewer, I think he's about tied with uh, Fabo Cephalosha, just because I think Cephalosha is so underrated in how much he brings to te- every team he's been on. Yeah, he's a good playmaker and a good defender. Yeah, like he's just an awesome... He's the kind of role player that any coach wants to just plug into their and lineup. Like he used to play on the Thunder. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I was mostly thinking like, of him on the like Hawks. The starting, he was the starting shooting guard on the 2012 Finals team. He started ahead of James Harden. Hmm. Okay. I, I actually didn't know that. I, I, I mostly just think of him on the Hawks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did spend a lot of time there. Yeah. So I, I think they offset each other. I think Patrick Patterson is offset by uh, Jake Crowder when he's on, but I don't really trust that he's on right now. And then I think... Alex Abrinas is the big X factor there, along with Carmelo Anthony. If Alex Abrinas uh, stays healthy, because I know he had that concussion, then he's going to be really good offensively. He's a great driver. He's a great three-point shooter. He's something that the Thunder need, and he gives the bench the edge along with Carmelo Anthony if he plays to his playoff uh, projections and like his playoff uh, history. So yeah, that's the bench with the Thunder uh, Jazz matchup. And then we have Coach uh, Billy Donovan versus Quinn Snyder. This one's yeah. not really um, close. Quinn Snyder by far. Better better defensive coach, better schemes, better plugging his players into good situations. Far and away, Quinn Snyder. I don't even think we need to talk about that. Yeah, no. Like, I mean, Billy Donovan, it, I, I don't even know why he got brought in, to be honest. He doesn't even seem like he's that good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what, what I think the favorite needs to do to win. So for the Thunder, I think you have to get production from Carmelo Anthony off the bench. Like that's been a problem all year that like Carmelo Anthony has not been doing enough out of the starting lineup. Uh, he's on the bench for me now, so like it, he's got to do something. And you got to find a way to score at the rim despite Rudy Gobert being there. Because it's something I mentioned during one of the breaks was uh, Russell Westbrook, whenever he's facing uh, Rudy Gobert, his uh, drive percentage goes down from 35% on the season to 15%. And that's, that's absurd. Yeah, and like points in the paint for him is massive to his game. So like, if you can't find a way to score in the paint against Gobert, you're not winning this series. And I'll give you a stat in just a second that'll that'll help that a lot. Yeah, so like that's that's my thing. And then for what the Jazz have to do to win, make sure Jinglin Joe gets the freeze. Uh, make sure Rubio keeps up the great offense because of that stat I mentioned. And yeah, yeah hopefully Gobert doesn't get injured because that would suck. Well, for me, it's uh, so the Thunder, in order for the Thunder to win, this is very interesting. I was going to say, prior to you telling me that set about the 35 to 19 percent, or 35 to 15, sorry, uh, Russell Westbrook, the, rec- the team's record, they play, I think, in like a 58 win, 57 win pace when Russell Westbrook shoots four or less threes. But obviously, now that you know he can't drive nearly as much because Rudy Gobert, he's probably going to have to shoot more threes, which will probably result in them losing more games. Um, so that, that, that was what I would say was that Russell Westbrook needed to shoot more threes and be more consolidated in the paint. Um, so I guess now it's getting, he's going to be, he's probably going to be relegated to pull up mid range jump shots because he's not going to be able to get to the rim nearly as easily as he would against other teams. Yeah. And obviously um, his three point percentage isn't as good as it was last year. So that's going to be an even bigger factor. Oh yeah. It dropped like 5%. That is true. Um, and then, so, but other, you know, uh, Carmelo Anthony, he's a big X factor. And I think Paul George really needs to get out of the shooting slump. He needs to. He needs to probably average a consistent maybe 25 points per game in this series, honestly, because 
I'm sure Westbrook will probably average something crazy, you know, like 32, 33 something, just because he's Westbrook. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Melo will probably need to pour in, you know, close to 20, you know, maybe somewhere between 15 and 20, something like that. Hopefully like 16, 17. His average, but in a more efficient manner. Yeah. Um, Steven Adams is going to need to really have to fight Rudy on the glass. He's going to have to get those offensive rebounds. Um, and then for the Jazz to win, Donovan Mitchell is going to need to have an excellent series, in my opinion. Ricky Rubio is going to have to give you something in terms of his scoring ability. He's going to have to knock down, you know, maybe a couple, you know, three, like some threes. Like, you know, this might surprise you, but I've actually seen Ricky Rubio hit a game-winning three at the buzzer. <laughs> Not for the Jazz, but for the Timberwolves when he was on the T-Wolves. But, um, yeah, Rubio is going to have to give you something. You're going to basically for the Utah and Joe Ingles, like you mentioned, is going to have to cook it up with his left hand like he does. So. Um, then you're going to end Quinn Snyder, I think will out coach Billy Donovan, but he's, you know, he, that's a given that he, that he will do that. I feel like, but you know, that's just something that he, he, he might want to stay on his toes because you know, you never want to, you never want to get out coached by a bad coach. Like, you know, Steve Kerr did in the 2016 final. Yeah. That's never a good thing. And the big thing that Billy Donovan tried to do in those games against uh, Rudy Gobert to try and fix the problem was have, uh, Rudy Gobert constantly having to switch onto uh, players on the perimeter, just, you know, by doing the old pick and roll thing. Yeah, yeah, not really pick yeah, a role, but switch them on to Paul George or you know someone like that. That, yeah. that could be an issue for. But like the, the thing is, you can't do that every time. It's only going to work so exactly. many times. And like event, Quinn Snyder is a good enough coach that he will adjust to that, and he I don't know he'll do something that will stop you from doing that every single play. So like there's going to be some drop off in the amount of uh, drive uh, in the drive percentage of uh, Russell Westbrook, and that's really going to affect his game, as you said. But uh, what I'm most excited to see Gobert, obviously. But really, I'm mean, excited to see the whole entire uh, Jazz offensive uh, structure and just how they play defense. So I think that's going to be super interesting to see. I want the Jazz to win, and I'm predicting that they do win in seven because I think that the biggest thing that's going to happen, I think that uh, Russell Westbrook is going to struggle a lot in this series. I think that he's either going to go cold from the perimeter or uh, some somebody's going to stay cold from the perimeter, and that's going to be a big deal because like, they're not going to be able to get into the get to the rim at all. Maybe Gobert has a down, uh, has a bad series, but I don't think that's going to happen. And yeah. I, I don't think Stephen Adams is going to live up to his uh, past performances. I, yeah, like I, I just think that the Jazz are going to eke this one out because it's still tough. They, the Thunder have a ton of talent, but I don't think it'll be enough. See, the thing with me is I think that um, like one, one important, one reason that you know Pat Riley once said, "No rebounds, no rings," and you know the. Uh, what, you know, the Thunder, they're second in the league in rebounding to the 76ers this year. And usually they're first. You know, they were first last year. They were first the year they had Durant as well. The last year they had Durant as well. Um, so, and the, but the reason that they are like that is because Westbrook averages 10 and then, you know, Adams averages 9. And yeah. the reason for that is because Adams boxes out the bigger players so that Westbrook can go and get the rebound. But it's not going to be nearly as easy for Adams to box out Rudy Gobert over a seven-game series as it is for him to, you know, how, you know, box out like these smaller players that he usually boxes out. So I think West, as a result of that, the Thunder's rebounding percentage is going to dip because you've got Derek Favors, who's a good rebounder. You've got Ricky Rubio, who's a good rebounder for a point guard. You've got Rudy Gobert, obviously, who can rebound. You've got uh, <clears throat> you've got uh, Donovan Mitchell, who gives you about four a game for a rookie, which is, you know, pretty good. And then you've got uh, Jake Crowder, who can get you some rebounds. Like, I think overall, um, it's just, uh, you you know, the, the OKC is going to have – uh, Utah is like probably the worst matchup that they could have gotten in the first round because they have counters to all of them. But uh, despite that, I think that I just think that at some point, I think Quinn Snyder, I don't think that he has enough perimeter defenders to, I guess, have to you know worry about 
Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Corey Brewer all at the same time. Um, I think that they're going to make it a perimeter-oriented series, and I think Paul George is really going to have to shoot the lights out. But I think that he's capable of it because, uh, you know, the last five games of the season, he was averaging 28 points per game, and he was really shooting it well. So I, I assume he'll carry that over into the playoffs, and I'll take the OKC Thunder in a really, really gritty six or seven games. Yeah, it's it's just going to be a really fun series for for yeah, me and it's for be, you. It's going to be grinding it out for sure. Yeah, which is something we, we want to see so badly in uh, this regular season that's been dominated by spacing and just a ton of three-point shooting. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of spacing and a ton of three-point shooting, we have our last matchup for the NBA playoffs, the Rockets versus the Timberwolves. Uh, hopefully we have a lot of insight on this one, at least in terms of the Timberwolves, but I think I know a lot about the fun, the Rockets as well. Yeah, uh, point guard, I guess, would be Jeff Teague and Chris Paul. Yeah. So uh, I got Chris Paul. I mean, I, I love Chris Paul. I think he's one of the most brilliant players. I think he's one of the most underrated players of this generation. Um, he's just unfortunate that he hasn't played on better teams or with more talent. Um, he's so gifted. He's such a good defender, such a good passer, such a good shooter. He's just phenomenal. He's brilliant. And I don't think I've ever once seen Chris Paul get thoroughly outplayed by anybody. I feel like it's always just been Chris Paul's teammates get outplayed and then he ends up suffering all the blame. And You know, he gets all the blunt of the blame and all that, which is kind of stupid, but you know, Chris Paul has never really choked, despite what all the narratives say. He's had one game where he came small, but he literally was carrying his team on an injury. Um, he's clutch. He's he hit a bang shot with a pulled hamstring and against the Spurs in Game Seven when they were the defending champions. Uh, he's just been hammered with injuries. But um, I, I've got Chris Paul pretty easily. Jeff Teague. I like Jeff Teague, but <clears throat> he's more of a score first point guard that's trying to transition into being a pass first point guard because he's playing with so many good scores. But he's still not that great of a three point shooter or anything like that. So. I think it's fairly easily it's Chris Paul. He's literally better at everything: scoring, yeah. rebounding, passing, stealing, defending, three, you know, three-point shooting, mid-range shooting, handling the ball, turnover, assist-to-turnover ratio, like we mentioned the other day. Chris Paul by far, I would, I would say. Yeah, and we've talked about how at least by win shares per forty-eight minutes or thirty-six minutes, Chris Paul is literally the best play player ever, and like that's something you obviously can't compete with if you're Jeff Teague. But yeah, Chris Paul is. Probably the best point guard of our generation if you want to go back before Stephen Curry. Obviously, he's taken over now. But, yeah, it, it's an incredible thing that he's done. He's the best passer that's been in the league. I, I would take him over LeBron James. I know that's controversial in terms of passing, of course. Like, if you oh, got I don't think that's that controversial. I, I mean, I think LeBron James is more gifted at making certain passes, but I don't think that he's a better passer than Chris Paul because – while LeBron James is able to make some fantastic passes, he he does, he is kind of high turnover when he passes the ball a lot. Um, okay. You know, obviously it's more difficult for him because he's six eight and you know he's got less room to you know he's got he's got more room. I mean, he's got more room to make mistakes like when you know the ball is coming up and down, whereas Chris Paul is really low to the ground, uh, which is a factor, even though some people might not think that it's that big a deal. And LeBron, you know, LeBron James just throws riskier passes most of the time. He does more experimenting. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Chris Paul is probably the best passer in basketball. He has been for an extremely long time. And I really, really want him to have a high assist season next season because his career average is 9.9, and I really want it to be 10. <laughs> That'd be really cool. But doesn't Stockton have, like, a 12 or, like, an 11? Or I think Stockton is 11. Uh, the highest ever is Magic Johnson, 11.2. Okay. Steve Nash is 8.5, and then John Stockton is 10.5, I believe. Okay, gotcha. And, yeah, like, Chris Paul, amazing defender as well. There, there's... And almost an endless thing, amount of things that you can say about him. He's a fantastic uh, teammate. He's just a standout guy, and yeah, yeah, he's he's the uh, nobody has led the league in steals more times than Chris Paul, and I think he's like an eight time or 
he's an eight-time All-Defensive Team selection. Yep, leader he's, he's, leader of the NBA uh, Players Association. He's just, he's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. Chris Paul, what a guy. Honestly, him and LeBron playing together would have been my greatest dream, but I just hope Chris Paul doesn't deteriorate too much with age. I hope he's able to be. I hope he's able to have a longer, long, long, long career. Yeah, him and LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, so and then uh, shooting guard would be what? Would that be Jimmy Butler and James Harden? I actually gave it to Andrew Wiggins because I think he's uh, smaller in reach. Oh, okay, gotcha. So you put Andrew Wiggins and James Harden. In that case, yeah. I did. If Jim, if, regardless of if it was Jimmy Butler or Andrew Wiggins, I would give it to James Harden just because of the season that he's having. But if since it's Andrew Wiggins, I think it's definitely James Harden. I mean, he's just he's literally just the MVP this year. 30 points, 9 assists, uh, 5 rebounds, great shooter, amazing in isolation. Andrew Wiggins has been kind of a disappointment ever since he came into the league in terms of he, he's a good scorer, but he really doesn't do anything else. He's kind of like Donovan Mitchell in a way. Um, he's just a good scorer, not really that efficient of a scorer. He doesn't really give you anything on re- uh, defensively, even though he's 6'8 and long. Um, he's not a good rebounder, not a good playmaker, not a fantastic three-point shooter. He's just a good scorer. Yeah, and an atrocious so defender. He's a horrible He's one of the worst defenders in the league. He might have been. I think he's been the worst defender in the league like twice. Yeah. <clears throat> So, yeah, like, this is easy. You literally have the MVP candidate versus the player who should get off this team. He sucks. I mean, like, you can put him on the bench if you want, but he's not going to be happy being on the bench, so you kind of have to trade him. Yeah, they should. I think they should flip uh, Andrew Wiggins and some draft picks for, like, you know, some like a, some good bench players because I feel like you can have Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns carry you and then just Jeff Teague and, you know, Jeff T kind of be your third option because he's still a viable scorer. He can be around 17 points per game um, at his best. So as a third option, he could probably give you 14, which is about all you really need. Yeah, I'd love to see the bench get even better. It's already pretty good. But if you look at it, there's not that many players that are that good on it. But yeah, if you can make it even better, that'd be cool. But uh, after that, we have small forward, which is uh, Trevor Ariza versus Jimmy Butler. I, I mean, clearly it's Jimmy Butler. But would you take Trevor Ariza over Andrew Wiggins? Uh, he, honestly, I would because he's. A, I mean, he's just better for his team. He's a great defender and he's a great three point shooter. Whereas Andrew Wiggins kind of gives the team unnecessary worry as to whether or not he's going to take good shots or bad shots because he can be inconsistent. So like, it's like if Andrew Wiggins takes a lot of bad shots, if Andrew Wiggins takes a lot of shots in general and he makes all of them, then it, then it's a good thing that you know he's there. But if he takes a lot of shots and he misses all of them, it's a horrible thing because he was taking shots away from Jimmy Butler and Colin Thick Towns, who were both more likely to have made all of those shots. So. Um, I would in the series I would give it to Trevor Reza as an overall player. You know, I guess you you debated Reza is more well rounded, and he probably doesn't have that much skill offensively individually. But for the series, I would put Reza over Wiggins, but I would definitely put Butler over Reza because I mean Butler's having a fantastic season. If he hadn't gotten hurt, this team would probably be the fourth or fifth seed. Um, yeah. They were on pace to win I think 53, 54 games uh, before the Butler injury, and then they they had a horrible stretch without him. So. Um, Jimmy Butler's having a fantastic season. I think he should be on an all-defensive team. He's done a great job, both ends. He literally willed them to, uh, aside from Taj Gibson, amazing defense, he literally willed them into the playoffs in his third game back from a meniscus injury. Um, he played 41 minutes. Yeah, 42, actually. Yeah, as you know, Tibbs loves to do that. So Yeah. <laughs> I'll take uh, Butler tips. over yeah, and like uh, secretly, Te- Trevor Reza has been like the best free and D player in the past five years. Like I yeah, loved him on the, I loved him on the Wizards. I love him on the Rockets now. He's awesome. He's also he's he's experienced too. He has a, he has a championship. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't believe it, but yeah, he did get one. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's uh, Trevor Reza for you. And yeah, Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players to watch. He's one of the most clutch players in the NBA. Like once again, like you never talk about the players that are actually clutch. We only talk about the ones that just look clutch. But yeah, like Jimmy Butler, he whenever yeah, like the game, clutch. yeah, like whenever the game's at at its conclusion, you see him with the ball, and most of the time he's making the shot, and like it's incredible. Yeah, he, he's, he, and he's very skilled too. I think it's like he's kind of like a grittier looking guy, you know. So like you don't really expect like all the skill from him, but you know he can hit step back jumpers. He can handle the ball. He's really like he's really agile. Like he's athletic. He's he's a great player. I really like Jimmy Butler. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Me too. Okay, now we have uh, power forward where we have uh, Ryan Anderson versus Tosh Gibson. Yeah, I think actually I think Ryan Anderson might be injured, so I think they start oh. PJ Tucker. Oops, but you know that's neither here nor there. I, I think either way it's Taj Gibson, and I'm just saying that because from like from a defensive standpoint, there's there's just nothing that like. Oh, PJ Tucker, but yeah, he's phenomenal. PJ Tucker's a great defender, but I, I just I like Taj Gibson just because he's he's so tenacious, like with rebounding and his defense, and he can give you about ten points a game because he's he's skilled when he's you know close to the basket, so. Um, I'll, I'll give it to Taj Gibson, but it, it's it, depending. If it's Ryan Anderson, I'll definitely take Taj Gibson. But if it's PJ Tucker, then it's probably about even. I'd give maybe the slight edge to PJ Tucker just because he can shoot threes and play defense. But um, against Ryan Anderson, it's Taj Gibson. Against PJ Tucker, it's PJ Tucker. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. I I love Taj Gibson on defense. We've talked about so many times how he's the perfect sample of a center that has amazing reach. Like he's stands like six ten or something, but his reach is like eight inches longer than his height so he can play center and he's awesome at it i put him at power forward here just because i didn't know where else to put carl anthony towns but yeah yep. the only thing ryan anderson can do is shoot freeze he's not good on defense it's completely overshadowed by the fact that he plays on an amazing defensive team so they don't have to worry about it and yeah like that's all he does he just shoots freeze i mean be it as it may he does it in a very impressive fashion is like i'm surprised like he actually isn't better than lebron james at shooting those freeze from uh, way behind the arc like yeah. every time you watch a Rockets game, he's shooting like one from like thirty feet out. Yeah, honestly, he really, he really, he really does shoot from deep. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely form, but regardless. Yeah, so uh, getting into the center, I I don't think this one is as much of a competition as people are expecting. We have uh, Clint Capella versus Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Yeah, I mean, I think Clint Capella is a great defender. He's had an underrated season. He's a great rebounder. Um, the Rockets are, I think. Their, their record is like 41-3 and three when Clint Capella, Chris Paul, and James Harden, all three of them play. Um, he, he's been an underrated part of their quote-unquote big three, but Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is a top three center in this league. Uh, he's phenomenal. He's really made a, he's made a stride defensively. He's not phenomenal defensively, but he's, he's in the right spots. He doesn't block a lot of shots or anything, but he plays good team defense. He's in the right spots at the right times, and he's offensively, he's just... Like, I don't think people understand how much of a step back he took because Jimmy Butler came. Like, last season, he averaged 25 points and 12 rebounds in his second year in the NBA. And he shot, like, close to 40. I think he shot, like, 38% from three and 54% from the field. And this season, he's become more efficient. Uh, he's shooting, I think, 55% from the field and 44% from three, or 43, or something like that. And like we mentioned earlier when we were talking about him and Jokic, uh, he, he came close to being a 50-40-90 guy um, if he had one on a hot streak of free throws. So... I think it's Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I think I'd say that pretty comfortably because even though Clint Capella is a great defender, it's not like he defends top caliber centers every night because the center position is so weak around the league. Uh, so him having to do that for an entire series, I think is going to weigh on them. And I think Carl, that's the one matchup that they can go to pretty frequently because the Rockets are not a big team. Um, Clint Capella is really their biggest player. and He's, I think, 6'10". So uh, 
Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is going to be he's going to be a big a big factor in this series, whether or not the Wolves can get some games. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. I think Clint Capella is the perfect example of why a lot of statisticians say don't just look at the advanced metrics because if you're on a fantastic team, your metrics will be boosted. If you yeah. put, sorry. I said exactly. Yeah, no. I mean, like, he's leading the all centers and win shares, but that's entirely just because he's getting passes from two of the three best uh, passers in the NBA. Like, what do you expect? You're getting awesome outlet passes whenever, not even outlet, just, I guess, inset passes whenever you're in the paint. You can always count on him to give you a good lob, and just he just throws it down every time. I, he's good at defense, but, like, he, he's not otherworldly or anything. Obviously, Carl Anthony Towns is not, but, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, if you switch them, I think the Rockets would be way better, honestly, which is unbelievable. Yeah. But, yeah, like just because Carl Anthony Towns can score his own basket, if you give the ball to Clint Capella out at like the uh, out on like the perimeter, what's he going to do with it? He's going to pass it to somebody else. He's not shooting yeah, He's not shooting from there. He's not driving in. Like The only thing that Clint Capella can do is just back somebody down and score. And be it as it may, he's the best player in the NBA at doing that. But that's all he can do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because like he's obviously leading the league in field goal percentage, but yeah, like it's not too hard to do that when you're only taking shots within like five feet of the rim. So yeah, that's the center position, and then we'll go through uh, bench. So obviously we got an incredible bench for the Rockets. You have Eric Gordon, the Sixth Man of the Year uh, award winner last year. You have P.J. Tucker, who apparently is uh, starting. He's an awesome uh, three and D player. He's very good. Uh, you got Luke Mbamute, um, the Nigerian Prince, uh, Prince whatever. He's a very good player. Uh, I, I believe he's actually the former Clippers player. I think I screwed that up earlier. And then you have uh, Nene, who apparently changed his name back to Nene Hilario. Don't ask me why he did that. I don't know. Yeah. And like alongside Zaza and uh, uh, Kelly Olenek, he's like one of those guys that just injures people because he's kind of a jerk like that. And then we have Gerald Green. And then on the Timberwolves, I picked out uh, Tyus Jones, uh, Gorgie Dang. Uh, Nemanja Bajulica, uh, Jamal Crawford, and uh, Derek Rose, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. <laughs> um, I, I hate to do this to you, but Luke Richard and Bob Lute will be out for the first round. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I hated that to say that because you, you seem really, really fond of them. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, I got the Rockets bench. Um, because Gerald Green is so athletic, he can shoot a three. He made a game-winning jump shot for them. Um, I mean, Eric Gordon is his reigning sixth man of the year. They've got so many weapons off the bench; they can all shoot threes. I mean, it's just—it's crazy. They're, like their depth. Like I, I feel like this year, prior to this year, like even just looking at the names that were coming off their bench, like it's like wow, like they have a bench that can, like it's like on paper they could really outshoot Golden State, which is something that I didn't think I would ever say. Um, you know, given how they've been performing, how the Warriors have been performing the last two seasons. So, um, yeah, I've got the Rockets bench because I feel like while the Timberwolves bench does have good players, like, you know, Derrick Rose, he's not necessarily good anymore, but he can still create some things with the pain. And he's actually uh, surprised. I mean, this is a surprising thing to say because um, people would never expect this from Derrick Rose, but he's actually he's played some really, really good defense yes. since he's done on the Timberwolves. He's kind of dedicated all of his athleticism more towards uh, playing defense rather than uh, trying to do all these crazy layups and dunks now because obviously he's not a number one option offensively or even a number two or number three or number four. So uh, I watched their game against the Rockets a couple weeks ago and uh, yeah. he, he was playing some really, really good defense on Chris Paul. 
Yeah, we actually watched that one together. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he played really good defense in that game. Yeah, and, I, I was um, sorry. Yeah, so um, I mean, and you know, but the problem with the Timberwolves bench, I think, is that they just don't have enough guys who can shoot threes and play defense, which is kind of what you're going to need to do if you're going to play the Rockets. Because I feel like the only way you can beat the Rockets is if you either have more talent in them, more talent than they do, or if you can outshoot them and out defend them, which there's literally only one team that could do that in the league, and that's Golden State. Um, or you'd need a transcendental player to have, or a transcendent player, excuse me, to have uh, the greatest stretch of games of all time, which would be the Cavs' only chance of beating them, I think, in the finals. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Jamal Crawford doesn't shoot threes or play defense. Derrick Rose doesn't shoot threes or play defense. And Amy Albaio shoots threes. I don't think he plays that much defense. Um, Tyus Jones, he can play defense. I don't really know if he can shoot threes that well. So, uh, strictly because of like the Rockets' bench ability, like they just have so many guys that can play defense and shoot threes. They've got Joe Green, like I said, Luke and Bob Mute, like I said, Eric Gordon, like I said. So I've got the Rockets' bench really easily. Yeah, me too. I, I'm a fan of uh, Gorgi Dang and Nemanja Bjelica, but I mean that's really all they have. Jamal Crawford. A lot of people are just remembering how he's been a couple of years ago. He's not having that great of a season, honestly. He's kind of hit finally hit the aging curve. And uh, Derek Rose, yeah, like I've been super happy with how he's been on defense because I was expecting him to be a terrible pickup by the Timberwolves. I think I mentioned that like five times before we watched that uh, game, but no, he was incredible in that. And like he almost single-handedly got him, got the Timberwolves back in that game because they were down by like forty, and then they, I think the final score was like within eight, which was incredible. Yeah, he has done a pretty good job. I mean, I'm, I like Derek Rose. I just, I mean, I just feel so bad for the guy that I can't help root for him. So. Yep. Okay. So. uh... I mean, we don't really even need to talk about uh, what the favorite needs to do to win and what the underdog does. Obviously, it just it's going to come down to injuries. I think even if Harden or and Paul and Chris Paul underperform in the game, I think the Rockets still win just because they have so much talent. Yeah, I'll take the Rockets in five. Yeah, no, uh, we didn't talk about coaching, but I, I mean, I think. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We forgot to talk about coaching. My bad. So we can rant. I guess we can rant against Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I mean, I like Tom Tibbs, but I mean, he plays the starters too many minutes. He doesn't really understand bench management or player management or anything like that. D'Antoni does. D'Antoni is uh, a historically good offensive coach, and this year he's really made strides defensively. Maybe he just surrounded himself with good assistants, but I'll take the coaching of the Rockets because, you know, I mean, he coached a 65-1 team. Like, you can't argue with that. So uh, I'll, t- I'll take D'Antoni over Tibbs in this case. Yeah, I will as well. I mean, at some point, Tom Fibon, someone's going to have like a heart attack on the court. It's ridiculous. And I honestly, I wonder if like how many more minutes are the starters going to play in the playoffs? Is it like Carl Anthony Towns can play like 46 minutes a game? Like it's ridiculous how many minutes he's playing. He played in the regular season along with Jimmy Butler and with Andrew Wiggins. Just everybody's playing way too many minutes. And yeah, he's not going to learn. But yeah, I have Rockets in four as well. And. Yeah, uh, uh, that's all of the playoff matchups, actually. So just to do a recap for everybody, uh, can you give me uh, your ranking of like which uh, series you're most excited to watch, starting from the worst? Yeah, uh, starting from the worst. All right, let me let me pull all of them up. I just I don't want to I don't want to mix any up real quick. Yeah, yeah, of course. Let's see. Let us see. Let's see. So okay so spurs warriors i've got uh okay that's probably the one i'm least excited to see um after that i'm least excited to see the raptors wizards after that i'm least excited to see timberwolves rockets after that i'm least excited to see pacers cavaliers 
after that, I'm pretty excited to see Heat 76ers. I'm more excited to see Pelicans Trailblazers. I'm more excited to see Bucks Celtics. And then I'm most excited to see Jazz Thunder. I think that might be exactly the same as mine, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I kind of want to just, I, I just want to watch Grinded Out series. I don't really want to watch Blowouts and stuff, so. Yeah, and they're going to make us wait for it, that being the seventh game, of, uh, seventh series that they're actually starting, but yeah. So, okay, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to that little playoff preview we gave. We're probably going to check back in after either, yeah, we'll probably do like the, yeah, okay, so I think we'll uh, do a recording next Saturday, because that's when yeah, the NBA is going to be weird and like have some game freeze going on at the same time as game fours. So yeah, that seems like a perfect time to uh, do an intermission, uh, recap what's gone on so far in the playoff series, talk about how much we were wrong, talk about how I was wrong with the box, talk about how, uh, well, LeBron James really didn't turn it on, or, oh, the Raptors look horrible against the Wizards, and just a yeah. hundred different ways that we could have been wrong in this uh, whole predictions thing. And yeah, if you guys enjoyed listening to uh, three and a half hours of us talking about the playoffs, uh, good God, whew, I am really feeling it after this, I can't wait to stand up then, hey, give us a review on iTunes. It was, it was a lot of fun for us, and I hope you guys had a lot of fun too. Uh, give us a five-star review if you guys think so. And, hey, do it on other podcasting platforms too, because, you know, I use iTunes, but I get it. Some people use Overcast. Some people use a bunch of other ones that I don't know about because, you know, I use the iPhone, and, yeah. So that's an option. You can also go to our YouTube page, uh, Topical Rationalizing the Monkey Brain. That's always a good option. You can give us a subscribe on there, hit the bell, because I don't see a reason why people don't ever hit the bell on subscribes. Like, you're subscribing, you want to know when it happens, right? Just get an email, put it in a separate email, whatever. And give us a comment, say, hey, I'm here from the podcast, welcome to the uncut land. You know, that could be always interesting. And you know what? We're going to see you next time, after game seven.